Welcome to Savvy Sab's podcast on call-in. This is episode 67. Cornell West calls for peace in Russia and Ukraine. Recently, Cornell West and Medea Benjamin have called for peace between Russia and Ukraine. Yet, the left remains split on this issue. How do you feel about their statements and what is the best solution for the crisis in Russia and Ukraine? So I see we already got people lined up here. Let's go ahead and bring in Karthik. You are on the mic. Hey, Sabi. What's up? Uh, good evening. All right. What's Hello? Karthik? Oh, hey, Sabi. Uh, uh, so do you know, could you tell me quickly what they said? Because I, I, I didn't hear what they said, unfortunately. Oh, so Cornell West actually... Um, I should explain. Cornell West, Medea Benjamin, and I think Bishop Talbert, they got together to call for a Christmas truce um, to end the conflict between Russia and Ukraine. And Cornell West and Medea Benjamin were on Democracy Now! So they were interviewed by Amy Goodman explaining why they were calling for a truce. And basically what they were saying is that, I'll start with Medea. Medea Benjamin said that this war is not winnable. There isn't going to be victory on the ground. So she said the best thing to do is to stop the killing and end the war. They're going to have to come to some type of a peace negotiation. Cornell West, you know, agreed as well. Um, But Cornell West also He called out the fact that the American government is not consistent when it comes to who they are going to support and who they're not going to support. And so he said, like, they're willing to support the Ukrainian people, but at the same time, they weren't willing to support people in other countries, like, for example, Yemen, Afghanistan, that kind of thing. And he said that the United States government is also complicit in this as well. But what was interesting to me was that Amy Goodman, her framing of the questions, not all of them, but her framing of some of the questions was basically to imply that Russia bad, Ukraine good. That was something I did notice. Okay. Yeah, this war is just like destroying like so many people, you know, and I just feel like um, there's like, it's only helping the the capitalists in the world. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, uh, have you have any thoughts about how you think this war might end? I mean, based on what I've, I've watched and I have to say independent media because mainstream media is just ridiculous, but they're starting to come around to the fact that, Hey, this may not be, this may not be something that you can actually win. And So for me, that being said, like, I think a lot of us or some of us, I should say, on the left have been calling for peace from the get go. Some of us on the left have been saying, like, no, this is a bad idea. Like, we cannot. This needs to end. You know, they tried to go to the negotiation table. I believe that was back in March earlier this year. And something that was really hammered by uh, Medea Benjamin she made very clear that in order for us to have a a truce, it has to be led by Joe Biden. 
if Joe Biden continues to give Zelensky billions and billions of dollars, there isn't going to be a truce because you're still giving him weapons. You're still giving him aid. So the person that would be the one to call an end for this would be Joe Biden. But he doesn't want to do that, at least not right now. Yeah, it just seems like this war, like there won't be any peace as long as like there's like promises or like guarantees that like uh, Ukraine will be neutral between NATO and uh, Russia. Right. And this goes back to something that Julian Assange has said before in an interview. I'm going to see if I can pull it up and play it on here. Um, But one of the things that Julian Assange has said before is that the goal is not necessarily to win. Oh, he said like that it's a permanent war for the transnational military industrial complex. And to keep funneling money. Exactly. Yeah, for permanent war. Right. And most of us, I would say more so a lot of us Americans are not aware of that. At least that's not the perspective that the perspective that I had, like, especially when I was in high school, like when we when I was growing up, we had the Iraq war and all of those things. That's not the perceptive that, excuse me, the perception that is given to a lot of Americans. The perception that is given to us is that the goal is to win. And that's not the reality. So you have these wars that have just been going on for years. And God knows, I hope that doesn't happen here with this particular situation, because it's only going to get worse because Russia will find a way to escalate things if they have nuclear power. And so... My whole thing is, is to wake more people up to the fact that the goal is not always to necessarily win. And I I really want more Americans to wake up for that. Like the goal is just like, this is a profit. So you have companies like Lockheed Martin, uh, Northrop Grumman, Raytheon, which I know more about Raytheon than the other two, to be honest. This is how they make money. They have to make defense weapons, right? That's how those companies get paid. So if there's no war, what happens to those countries? Their stock falls. Do what? Uh, I said their their stock falls. There you go. Yeah, the, the last two uh, defense secretaries were from Raytheon, uh, Mark Esper for Trump and... Um, Fuck. Well, what's what's the name of Biden? Oh yeah, uh, Austin Lloyd Austin. Yeah, I, I forgot his name. Right, but I think, and the reason why I wanted to talk about this is because obviously I knew, you know, we know Medea Benjamin's anti-war. She's part of Code Pink. She's always out there, like on the ground, like fighting against like um, war and imperialism. But I think what's also important to note is that I want people to see that now more people are coming forward saying, no, there needs to be a truce. So you have Cornell West coming forward and saying that. You have, um, who came forward and said this recently? I forget. I was someone who was kind of liberal, actually. Anyway, people, some people who were not saying this. Huh? Was it TYT? I think it was. Oh, wow. I think it was. I have to go back and check. But, But what I'm saying is, is that, even people who were not saying that in the beginning are saying that now. Yeah, that's good. Like, yeah, it's just so sad what's happening. Um, yeah, anyway, okay, uh, good talk. I'll talk to you later.
Thanks so much, Karthik. All right, I'm gonna go ahead and bring in Delthea. You are on the mic. Greetings. Can you hear me? I can hear you now. Good, good, good. Um, it is not a good idea to go to war with Russia. Okay, and if you don't believe me, ask Napoleon. Ask Hitler. Mm-hmm. Ask anyone who's tried to fight in a Russian winter if it's a good idea to fight with Russia. Now Zelensky yeah. came over here and he came over here for a check. Don't get don't get that twisted. But he's been trying to get ground troops, American ground troops, in Ukraine since this stuff started. And the dingbat dodo Democratic Party has built Ukraine up so high in all of this that the American people may just be dumb enough to support sending troops over there. That's what I'm really concerned about, Delthea. I'm really concerned that they say, oh, well, they're losing, so we need to send over U.S. troops. And that would be an absolute disaster. Mm-hmm. It would be. And I mean, I like a lot of people, people I'm sure in the chat, people listening, I know young people in my family who are in the military. And I know young people who, if they were offered a signing bonus, would join the military. And I don't want to see flag draped coffins coming back with those young people in them. But mm-hmm. everything has been built up and everything has been this, that, and the other. And Ukraine is good, 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 and Russia's bad, bad, bad. And it's been built up this way. We could very easily be spending our next Christmas sending care packages overseas. And I don't want to do that. It would I don't want to do that idea. Yeah, I don't want to do it again. The last time I did that was Operation Desert Storm. No, I take that back. The first time was Operation Desert Storm. Me and my mom were sending packages. Mm-hmm. Then the last time was Iraq. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to engage. It's a... Putin would push the button. Mm-hmm. Nobody's talking about that. Everybody's trying to stay away from that. But Putin would push the button. And we got the wrong people. Biden don't need to be anywhere near this. Because we don't need anybody that's not with 100% of their faculties right now. Do you think that Joe, you think that Biden believes that Putin wouldn't do that? Do you think he believes that that Putin really would is not going to go that far? I think that he thinks he can somehow stop him from doing it. He okay. thinks if somebody else was in there that he would push the button, but I'm Joe Biden and I can figure out a way to make him not do it. And I don't think there's anybody that can stop him once he makes his mind up to push that button. I don't either. That's like what I'm I'm worried about and I'm concerned about is like 
if anything, we should be, well, not us personally, like, I mean, we're not in charge of the government here, but if anything, the U.S. government. Oh, we should be. Go on. Yeah. I mean, yeah. <laughs> you know, we, we've, we I mean, we're, we're like protesting and things like that, but I mean, mm-hmm. like the United States government should be trying to de-escalate this situation as soon as mm-hmm. possible. Instead, they're just like, yeah, let's give them more money and let's just keep doing. I'm like, for what? Because that way, you know, the war profiteers can make their profit off their war. See, that's I want the people problem. To, Go ahead. Yeah, I, I want people to understand. And I want people to really get this. Joe Biden is willing to put the rest of us, our lives at risk here. You guys get this? Mm-hmm. Like, if we're headed towards, like, a nuclear war, like, let me tell you something here. The president of the United States and the congressmen and women... They have places that they can go to where they will be kept safe. We don't. Oh, they got the bunker. Yes, that's what they did when the when the attack was on the, on the Capitol on January sixth. Where y'all think they went to? They have places that they can go to to protect them. We will not be protected. And I feel like this guy, because he's just loony and he don't have all his marbles, he's willing mm-hmm. to like seriously risk our lives just so he can say he did something. Right. We, we're getting into a pissing contest. And that's, no, I, I, no. And I'm not here to, I'm not here to prove, I don't care who's got a bigger cock. I don't care. Mm-hmm. Okay. I don't. They do. I don't. This is, this is not going to end well. And it's going to end worse than anybody can imagine right now. We're, we're in trouble. This is not this is not good. And Zelensky, he he reminds me of in the cartoon the little dog that's yip yip yipping because the big dog is standing behind him. Mm-hmm. So Zelensky's been running around talking more shit than a little bit, which is just going to make Putin that much more determined to shut that little dog up. This like it's it's really terrifying to me. War has never made me feel comfortable. I've never been one of those Americans, even when it was considered acceptable to do so. Mm-hmm. I've never been one of those Americans that's like rah rah rah, yeah, America first, America the best. Like during these these events and these these conflicts that we've gotten ourselves involved in as well. And if mm-hmm. it gets to the point where they start sending American troops over there. I don't know how I'll be able to handle this. Like, I can't deal with that again. I can't deal with seeing like friends and family members go overseas to war again mm-hmm. and then not knowing if they're going to come back. And this is something I don't know the age groups of everyone on the call, but what people have to understand is like, I knew people that went to Iraq that didn't come back. Mm-hmm. That wasn't they that long ago. Back. Exactly. And that's not a good thing. Um, my grandmother, my father's mother, she had two boys in World War One and five in World War Two. And I talked to my uncles and I talked to my father. And they fought the good wars. Okay? They made it very clear to me there was no such thing as a good war. 
My mother had one sibling, my Uncle Dallas. He died north coast of Africa, April 12, 1945. He was 21 years old. There are no good wars. And when his body was sent back here, my mother could not bury him till 1949. Because that's how backed up Arlington Cemetery was. There, there are no good wars, period. Yeah, I agree. And I'll also say, too, that, like... um you guys realize military recruitment is down, right? It's decreased. It's not. Mm-hmm. So what happens if they do make that decision to send American troops there? Would they have to reinstate the draft? I think they'd first do a sign-up bonus. Because right now we, we have a draft. It's, it's an economic draft. Mm. Young people go into the service because that's the only job they can get that pays a decent wage. That's right. Okay, so we we already have a draft. It's called a poor people's draft. It's a rich man's war, but a poor man's fight. Always has been, always will be. They'll start with that. If they can't get enough young people to go, then yeah, they'll bring back conscription. That's what worries me because I I know, like, for people who don't know, like, I come from a military family and I'm telling you guys, like, young people are not joining the military like they did 20 years ago. Like, the military is having a difficult time recruiting people and for good reasons. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) For good reasons. But so they're trying to use other means to recruit people. They had recruitment soldiers at the Top Gun movie premiere, you guys. I'm not kidding. Like, they're trying to send them everywhere, as Uh many places as they can, because they know, like, hey, our military, we're losing people. We need to recruit more people. And young people, as it used to be, like, they would go to, like, the low-income neighborhoods. They'd Uh go to those high schools, low-income brown neighborhoods, those high schools. And they would try to get those kids and say, hey, this is your ticket out of poverty because Uh we have – we'll give you free college education. You'll get to travel. You'll get to see the world. You'll have the best health care. And that's how they would get them. But that hasn't been working as of late. Well, you know, the thing now is they're finding out. I read this. I'll have to look up the article. But I I read this, and it was in a legitimate paper, so it it, it happened, where low-end kids are being signed up for ROTC in high school without their permission. They just look down on their schedule, and all of a sudden, there's, there's Roxy sitting there. I heard about that. You can drop that. You can drop it. See, a lot of times they don't know that, though. But I, I'm saying they don't know. Mm-hmm. They think, oh, I must I have to. This must be a required class like English. That's what they're doing now. You don't think they're trying to prepare for war? They're trying to get these numbers up so they can go send people all here, there and everywhere. This is what they're going to do. I'm telling and they you. don't care what we think. Unless we make them care. And that's uh, that's all I got to say on the subject. Um, y'all have a good night. Savvy, you, you keep up the fight. Thank you so much, Delthea.
words of wisdom there, guys. Let's go ahead and bring in uh, Brent. You are on the mic. Just Hi, Sabi. Hey, Brent. How's it going? Good, good. So um, regarding your the topic uh, about Russia, um, I believe I came on your show once and I expressed my opinion and it wasn't very popular. So I'll probably exp- I'll express it again. Hopefully I don't get any hate. But um, Russia is bad. Let's be clear. Their invasion of Ukraine is a violation of territorial sovereignty. There's no justification for it. They were wrong. But they're not the oh, but let's be clear, they're not the only bad ones in this. The United States has been provoking this and they're also wrong. And in fact, I feel that the United States, in regards to the American public, we should be more concerned about what the US is doing than what Russia is doing. And I feel like by them uh, funding the war, they're just taking advantage of a a bad situation created by Russia to fund the military industrial complex. So um, I feel like the United States is, is doing more damage to the American people than Russia is doing by invading a sovereign country like Ukraine. So I basically, but it seems like on independent media, it's, they don't want to acknowledge that Russia is bad because it's already well known. The mainstream media is already pushing that narrative. They focus more on the um, the other side, the corruption of the United States. But we have to acknowledge that there's no really good uh, players in this. It's just that Russia is the one, is the bad player that started all of this. And the United States just sees the money and they just want to make the situation worse, even though um, Ukraine has no chance of winning. And they just want to sacrifice lives and to make money for the military industrial complex. I don't know that I would say that Russia started it because I would actually say that NATO started this. NATO started this war because the rule, the rule was after the fall of the Berlin wall, I didn't mean to rhyme there. It just happened. (laughs) But after the fall of, of, of the Berlin wall, the rule was that NATO was not supposed to expand and it did so anyway. That is why we are in this position now, because this didn't just start. And this was something I pointed out earlier tonight. This didn't just start like this year. This has been a conflict for the past eight years. So the United States government, they knew this was coming. And I'll tell you how they knew it was coming. They wrote a letter. I have to find that stream where I talked about this. There was a letter written and Rokana signed on it and a, a bunch of other uh, progressive politicians signed on this letter as well, inc- including Hakeem Jeffries, of all people that they were sincerely worried and concerned about the rise of neo-Nazis in Ukraine. That letter was written in April, 2018. They already knew about the escalation. They knew things were escalating. They knew this was becoming a problem and they chose not to act. Now that letter was asking the president to act because they, what they said in that letter was basically like, this situation is getting out of control. Neo-Nazis are increasing in Ukraine. They, they mentioned Poland too. It wasn't just Ukraine. But all those congressmen and women signed on to that letter. So they had already acknowledged in 2018 that there was a problem that was escalating. They knew that this was coming. 
So I don't even know if I would say that Russia started this. I would say that NATO is what started this. And the U.S. was complicit in it because they knew back in 2018 that this was becoming a problem. Right, right. Uh, but the thing is, to invade... To invade another country, I, I feel like there, there were, there should have been other ways. Russia didn't have to invade. I'm not saying that Russia is the only bad player in this. I just feel like invading another country, that's not the way to solve it. If, if they didn't invade, I feel like Russia would be just, what would have happened if Russia didn't invade? Like, would they collapse because of all the things that you described? I don't think so. So I feel that the invasion itself, was wrong and there's people that are going to argue with me and that's fine but i feel like to go into another country and start t like killing people and stuff like i just feel that's wrong but i but i totally acknowledge that this has been going on before the invasion i'm just talking about the invasion itself and i feel that the invasion itself was wrong so when you're talking about the bad players they are a bad player but they're not, they're not the only ones and to your points about the 2014, yes, those were all provocations, but I'm just talking about the invasion. And I do acknowledge that this crisis did not start in, in this year, or soon not to say next year, but this year. It, it, I do acknowledge the, the, the other things, but I'm talking about the invasion itself. And I feel you shouldn't go be able to invade other countries just because they do things that are frankly corrupt. I feel that that's not the answer. And that should not be justified just because of provocations. That's just how it feels. So, Well, that's an interesting point. That's actually something that I've heard um, Aaron Mate has brought that up before too, that he said that he still felt that Russia was wrong to invade. So I have heard that. Um, I will say in left media, not everyone is is beating that drum, Brent. Like there are some people who are saying exactly what you just said. Um, it just depends on like who you're watching. But I think the point that I'm trying to point back to is that the United States government knew about the issue back in 2018 when they wrote that letter, which, by the way, I'd, I'd love to hear Rokana respond to that letter now. I'd love to hear him respond about that today. Same thing with Hakeem Jeffries, because they signed on to it. The point that I'm trying to point back to is the fact that the U.S. government could have done something back then to prevent this from happening. They chose not to. They chose to stay out of it. And here we are. And now you have people in the U.K. who can't heat their homes, who are having to go like stay in warm banks. They have these facilities called warm banks, which some of them are like libraries just so they can get heat because of the energy crisis, because of the war. So this is affecting more people then some may realize like people not having heat during the winter is a serious concern. And we see, we've saw the, the, the drawbacks of this as well with the high gas prices and the, the, the inflation, the food and all of it. And we're still and the prices are still high. So I think that in, inevitably this is not going to be winnable. And the best thing to do at this point in time is to call for some type of peace or truce but that's not profitable for Raytheon, Northrop Grumman, and Lockheed Martin. That's the problem. It's not profitable for the military industrial complex. And I think that's why Joe Biden is not calling for a truce. Right, right. And the United States is only choosing not to get involved when it does when it when it wants to or it doesn't want to. 
So when, when you mentioned that the, the U.S. did not want to get involved, they shouldn't be involved, period. Uh, Russia and Ukraine, they should be able, the United States should not be involved in their affairs at all. But they only chose, to get, they only got involved in, I believe, 2014 with the, um, the Ukraine coup. I believe um, they helped with uh, electing a new leader. I'm not sure about that. And um, they just, the United States only chooses to not get involved when it benefits them. So, um, and I know, Savage, do be clear, you're not responsible for what's in the chat. Uh, I was in your last call in, so I'm not saying that you're responsible for what's said in the chat, but someone mentioned something about like, poking someone in the eye and then someone attacking. Um, I was taught that um, when someone provokes you, you choose to be the better person and you don't engage unless your life is in danger. And I feel that even if people are provoking Russia, they should be able to have a leader who's responsible to handle people that are provocative who are prov provoking them with nonviolent means. I feel that every nonviolent means should be met before violent violence should only be used only if necessary. So I hear all this talk about provocation, but unless I personally feel that unless Russia, unless a country was physically invading Russia with through military means, I feel that violence should not be used. And because um, I'm sure there's many things that um, many countries are provoking the United States, but the United States is not. Well, actually, the United States is a bad example because they invade many uh, sovereign countries. So I'll scratch that example. Um, well, let's say there's a country that's minding its own business, but people are provoking that, that country. That country should not use violence to solve their problems. And I feel that... Um, Russia was wrong to use violence. So, <laughs> well, one thing I will say in reference to what you said about the U.S. government being involved in the situation, the if the U.S. government is a part of the North Atlantic Treaty Organization, then they will be involved, and that's why some yeah. pe people have also called to abolish NATO because of that reason. Right, right. And but the provocation that like I, I totally get what, like you're provoking Russia. So they're feeling I get from a Russian perspective, they feel threatened. But I personally feel that if you feel threatened, you need to prepare your defenses on your border so that if for some reason NATO attacks, you're ready. I feel like just attacking, invading a country, that's not the answer. And it should never, it should not be the, it should never be the answer. That should be the last resort. And I feel that Russia did not, did not satisfy other less violent means to uh, try to accomplish what they wanted. I feel like the, the invasion was totally wrong. And that's the, the only, the mainstream media that they're only discussing that they don't discuss the United's, the corruption of the U.S. And that's, that's why I feel it's, the mainstream media is biased, but I only agree with them in terms of the Russian invasion being wrong. But the U.S. Um, corruption, that's probably more of a concern because people here in the U.S., the home, even the homeless are complaining about sending billions to Ukraine, yet their needs aren't met. So in, in terms of the U.S., um, sending that money is more of a problem.
the whatever Russia and Ukraine are doing. So, yeah, I think we can all agree that the amount of money that's going out the door, even the people who were in support of that in the beginning, even some of those people now are saying, okay, stop sending the money. So a hundred billion now, a hundred billion dollars out the door. So Brent, thank you so much for calling in. I'm going to go to the next caller. Actually, thank you. All right. Let's go ahead and bring in Matt. You are the next caller. What's going on? Hey, Savvy. How you doing there? I'm doing great. How are you? Man, head turned after hearing Brent uh, just fucking split hairs there for a little bit. But, you know, it's all in good faith there. Well, I'm not going to go too hard on that guy. But I do got to call out bullshit when I see it. Um, first, I'll start with uh, I definitely don't think that peace is going to be an uh, option here at the moment. And that's the fact that... Um, Angela Merkel and uh, Poroshenko, I believe it was, both came out and said the Minsk agreements were pretty much a farce as far as coming to the table. They came in bad faith. They knew they weren't, there wasn't going to be peace. They knew that Ukraine wasn't going to abide by the uh, Minsk agreements or whatnot. So Russia was the only one at the table going there, hope, uh, pretty much hoping that you know, they go to the table and negotiate things so that there wouldn't have to be a military option. Um, so with that, like, if I'm Putin and I'm hearing that, like, I'll never trust you fucks again. Like, so <laughs> as far as Ukraine go, I'm going to do whatever the hell I want there. You know what I'm saying? It'll be an unconditional surrender in my eyes if I was Putin, because I can't trust you guys. Y'all, you guys lied from the beginning. You fomented this. Um, You've been sending them weapons, you know? So, like, what I'm losing them blood on the battlefield, I will definitely take back, you know, in land or whatnot, unconditional surrender. Um, And that's just kind of how I see that. And to me, like, that kind of goes back to, like, Brent, oh, you know, they shouldn't invade it. Man, like, obviously he doesn't know history, you know. Um, the Nazis invaded through Ukraine. Um, not only that, you know, you go back to, um, who was it? Um, what was his name? From France. He tried to go in through um, what was, wasn't then Ukraine, but tried to go through the same route there. So Ukraine is a very sensitive thing there for Russia. They understand that if you get there and you're, you know, you're not an ally, you can do sabotage missions. You can do all of that there. And it's just too close for comfort. So that's my, that's my say on it there. And if I was Putin, I definitely wouldn't go to the uh, table there for any peace agreements or none, none like that. So then what is the, the resolution? Because if there, there isn't a call for peace, then more people are just going to continue to die. And there's even the threat of a nuclear war. And that's understandable. And um, if I'm not mistaken, I believe Putin just actually uh, went to the table to Ukraine to try to talk peace deals. But um, Ukraine was trying to say they didn't even want the Russians there or something of that nature. Um, I forgot which nation. I believe it was Turkey, possibly um, was trying to broker a little peace deal there. And, you know, Ukraine's like, oh, yeah, you know, well, just don't bring the Russians to the table. <laughs> and, you know, and it's crazy. But uh, yeah, so and they rejected Putin's peace deal. And that, to me, um, Putin coming in at this time, especially with the battles going on in Bakhmut, things like that, of that nature, kind of lets you know, you know, they shot 100 missiles today. I believe it's not quite confirmed, but they shot a shit ton of missiles over there today. But um, with uh, Ukraine pretty much rejecting that uh, peace deal that Putin just came with, because although, you know, people can say, you know, Russia's not winning or whatnot, this and that, you know, don't I mean, don't get me wrong. They are hurting. They're not, you know, knocking this out the ballpark, so to speak. But, um, I mean, they're definitely going to come out on top. Anybody that's that's watching knows that now, you know, uh, Ukraine, they're, they're, they're getting the last bitch, uh, last batch of their butter biscuits here from the U.S. 
And that'll be about it. U.S. is going empty on weapons, not just U.S., but NATO countries all together. They can't produce the shit fast enough to give to Ukraine. So, I mean, it's, it's they're on borrowed time here now. So in my eyes, I believe Putin was coming to the table just to see, like, hey, last shot here. And if you don't take this here, we're going to, you know what I'm saying? We're, we're, we're throwing everything at you and we're going to take what the fuck we want and we're going to leave it at that. And true peace, peace should be a deal. You know, I mean, yeah, I mean, but we got to live in reality, dude, you know, and um, this just goes back to like the um, bad faith actors that the West is. I mean, yeah, we need peace, but also at the same time, these people need assurances. You get me? Like they've been punked, they've been punked, bullied, <laughs> taken for granted, <laughs> all of that there, you know what I'm saying? So hell yeah, eventually, you know, the bullshit, the bullshit stops, man. And like, um, one thing I can say that, uh, you know, Brent was kind of like, like, you know, all roads should be exhausted before going to war. And I believe like that's something that China did, does very well. You know, when Nancy Pelosi flew over, things of that nature, they could have easily escalated things. But, you know, they pressed off. But then, you know, China's in a little bit better spot than Russia due to their economic, you know, status, things of that nature. Whereas Russia isn't as, you know, strong economically um, as China. So, you know, they got to do what they do. But with, with sanctions failing, they were throwing at Russia, you know, the price cap we just threw at him. You know, now he's like, okay, well, we're not selling no oil to any. Like, we're losing this shit badly, you know. And with that, I mean, we don't really have the uh, the industrial power to keep building up like that, especially when we're trying to fuck with uh, China over there. So eventually we're going to have to start focusing our eyes here back at home. Uh, I think Putin knows that. And um, I think that's why he's just going to, you know, press the gas pedal on this thing here. Peace should be an option, but I mean, it's hard to do when you have bad faith actors coming in, not looking to stick to the um, to the agreements. So peace is needed. Um, I really don't feel like nuclear war will be an option. Um, you know, that's something that's that's always the boogeyman card. That's always like the joker card, if you ask me. Um, everybody knows it's over after that. You know, like you always like we're saying it's all about profit. Right. So. Once the nukes start flying, all profit is gone. You know, yeah, you know, they can still be alive in the bunkers and shit. But, man, that's only for a limited amount of time, too. You know, you can't grow food or shit like that. So, in my eyes, I feel like Putin's going to push it, push the gas pedal in Ukraine. I don't feel like nukes will fly. I don't feel like U.S. will put troops on the ground. Um, you, I mean, you know, Zelensky's just getting his people fed to the slaughter. That's it. Yeah, it's really interesting because I think that is no end game. I, I feel like with Joe Biden, I feel like there's there's just no end game. It's just like whatever. It reminds me, like I said, what Julian Assange said about the goal is not to necessarily win, but to have a never ending war so you can keep funneling money. True, and in my eyes, you gotta also have never ending weapons. And like I said, you know, we see that the U.S. is coming to it, the bottom of its stockpile. Not only that. Um, what we've already sent Ukraine, they're talking about it'll take years to rebuild back up that stock that we had that we sent to them. Um, most NATO countries don't even have that um, with the coming unrest that they're about to have in Western Europe um, with the gas prices, the winter, you know, they're going to need some of those weapons at home to keep their populations in control. So it's just about to be a very fucked up, shitty situation, you know, and with that, I think that's going to benefit Putin more so than uh, the Western countries over here. Yeah, I hear you, Matt. I hear you so well. I, I just, 
yeah the narrative that has been spun around the situation like it's crazy to me how many americans don't feel that ukraine has done anything wrong anything wrong like it's just they're just listening to mainstream media and they're like this is all russia's fault russia's the enemy they don't realize that the united states government is also at fault here as well and it's just again to me it's just so much propaganda that's around this and it reminds me of what we were told during the war in Iraq, like so much propaganda that there were weapons of mass destruction. Turns out there were no weapons of mass destruction. It's just, it's, it's ridiculous to see people not even question the narrative again. Right. Right. And you know, that's just Americans, man. Um, I don't know. And we're, we're going to feel a bite of that here really soon too. I think possibly around April, um may june of next year definitely by mid uh 2023 we'll be feeling the pain of that um uh you know the decisions of just fi- uh, blindly follow um corrupt leaders that we know are corrupt you know we know joe biden led us into um iraq you know on, on lies you know one of the big big cheerleaders of it and then here we are here you know following the same thing and you know that was all the setup from mm-hmm. russia gate and all of this yep. and that here you know so I don't know, man. Like, you know, like I said, like, I definitely believe in peace. You know, I, I definitely wish I could see it happen. But, you know, if I'm if I'm Putin, if I'm the military, you know, um, advisors over in Russia there, you know, we have these guys coming out saying, you know, the 2015 or whatever um, agreements were just all bullshit, you know. So, you know, we could have evaded then, saved a lot more lives. But, you know, we waited. We, we went in good faith. These guys received shit ton of weapons. You know, they fortified. Um, military shit, you know, uh, positions. So now we're losing a lot more men than we would have if we would have just went with our first plan or option. So now, like, you know, we won't be on the end of that ball again in, in my eyes. That's how I would play it. You know, like, no, there is no peace agreement here. Zelensky has to go. Nazis have to go. Um, you won't have a military uh, when we're done with this. You won't be able to build, you know, like, that, that's that's how I would end this. You won't have a military force. <laughs> you know, you'll be landlocked. You won't have any access to the sea. Um, mm. and that's just how I would play it. I mean, at this point in time, you, you, you they're, they're shooting themselves in the foot, you know, and that's just kind of how, how, how I would play it. But, you know, and this just kind of goes back to like the, um, inept, um, dumb <laughs> leaders we have here in the U S dude. I just can't believe, you no, know, let, let's, let's just say it, man, Biden's not running anything, you know, like he was selected during the mid, I mean, um, what was that during the uh, primaries, you know, came in late, you know, selected by a um, bougie, you know, blacks and all of that. They're just thrown in there, man, to, uh, you know what I'm saying, to do exactly what he's doing here now, you know what I'm saying, to push the war agenda. But um, I definitely think they very, they, they, they made a very big miscalculations. One, the sanctions didn't go the way they wanted. That shit completely backfired. And everything else <laughs> from then has been backfired. Had the sanctions worked, I believe Putin would have been in a, uh, Better, I mean, you know, in a more in a tighter corner to come to the table here, you know what I'm saying? But since those didn't really work the way that they thought it would, you know, um, Russia was supposed to be running out of missiles here since shit June of this year. Here they are still in December firing 100 missiles or whatnot, you know. So, yeah, so it, it's, it's, I don't know. I don't know what the hell they're thinking up there in the, in the belt <laughs> there or whatnot. <laughs> but <laughs> but it, it's, it's ugly. And uh, who's ever advising Biden and, you know, Cause I'm pretty sure he's just saying yes while eating a fucking ice cream cone and sitting in the diaper, you know. But um, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what the hell they're thinking, man. But yeah, everything right now is definitely favoring Putin and not just Putin, China also. You know, we don't have the factories to build um, 
you know, our military equipment like that since it's been uh, privatized. Yep. Uh, so it's, yeah, it's, <laughs> I don't know what the hell they're looking at. So I don't know. Then it probably goes back to the nuke situation. Like, I feel like we'll shoot a nuke before Russia does, you know, just due to the fact that shit, like you say, you know, um, recruitment for the military is low. We really don't have the soldiers. We really are starting to lose, you know, our stockpiles and weapons. So shit, I feel like we'll shoot it off before <laughs> Russia or China because they're, they're shit. They're kind of in a, a better pe- position economically you know, um, than we are here, you know, especially with on billions here and here and here, like, we're just, we got it like that. Like we're not in debt, you know? And so, but yeah, that's just kind of my, my, uh, take on it there. Thank you so much, Savvy, for having me. Um, everybody guys have a happy new year's be safe there. Same with you, Savvy, RBN crew, keep doing what you're doing. Love the shows. Awesome. Thank you so much, Matt. Thank you. Okay. Let's bring in MJ. MJ, you're on the mic. You just have to unmute. Hey, how's it going, Savvy and viewers? How are we doing? Doing great. How are you doing? What's your take on all of this? Yeah, so I rep the anti-imperialist party, so I have an anti-imperialist stance. Um, let's see where I can start off. First, I, I don't think it was an invasion. I call it the SMO, Special Military Operation. And I also think Ukraine is not a sovereign country. It's ran by corrupt oligarchs, and militant Nazi battalions that we built up and trained via NATO. And guess how it was funded? U.S. and EU taxes. Um, Joe Biden, you know, his son was involved in Ukraine since 2014. You know, we can talk about the biolabs, a.k.a. research facilities, however you like to call it. And so, I mean, we've obviously had a huge influence there for a long time. Now, there's a book, I don't know if you guys are aware, it's called The Grand Chessboard, American Primacy. One of the things that it talks about in there is saying, like, one strategy to get at Russia is mess with Ukraine. You pretty much use Ukraine as a battering ram for the collective West. Now, what is their point? They want regime change. They want to balkanize, break up Russia. And now, why do they want to do that? They want to, it's the energy market mainly they want to control the energy market russia got a lot of oil so if they really want to like dominate and monopolize on that market you balkanize russia regime change there you go also i mean there's so many good points with some of the previous colors like i think it was just like matt on uh gave a great synopsis on how you know there were possible plans with the minx accords but Angela Merkel, like we've people have talking about, said that was BS to buy him time. I mean, you know, we can go on and on. Um, we also got to watch out for the Polish buildup. Supposedly, there's a Polish buildup of about 300,000 on their eastern border. So, you know, this could escalate a little bit more. Who knows? Maybe I think there's a town or city called Lviv that they might want to get in Western Ukraine, depending on what happens. So, and at the end of the day, the main, okay, who's suffering? Ukrainians are being pretty much grinded down in Bakhmut. I mean, so that's like horrible. They're just keep sending Ukrainians there. So we're losing all those lives. Also, I mean, like, I think some of you guys were mentioning in Europe because of the oil, um, the sanctions and stuff and the oil markets there, I mean, they're going to be cold during the winter. So 
that's also another issue. They're already, MJ, in the UK, there are already people who have no heat because they can't afford to pay the bill now because their inflation is like 10%. And they also have the energy crisis. So the UK had to create these things called warm banks so that they can have a, a facility to go to just so that they can have heat. But again, like they can't sleep there. So eventually they still have to come back home and go to sleep in their cold apartment, in their cold homes. Like that's how that's how bad this is affecting people at this point right now. It's really, it's really disturbing. And I wish more people would talk about that. The fact that you guys know people in the UK, like people are struggling because they don't have heat. It's terrible. Exactly. That's like a, a perfect point. And I mean, what did what did we do to the the Nord Stream pipeline? I mean, that and the Crimea Bridge, um, Dugan's daughter and the the car explosion. Where I'm going to call out some leftists. There were some leftists that were cheering that on. They were cheering on the terrorism. I mean, what what kind of world do we live in? I like how there's some points that were made. How I mean, I can kind of maybe go to Cornell West. I mean, there were some points made. They're trying to make the distinctions between, oh, we support these guys in Ukraine, but not in like Yemen or Palestine, right? But I mean, there's also, I mean, there's like a flip side thing. They think, they think like, okay, like Israel and Saudi Arabia are bad, but then they, you know, they also think Russia is bad. And I don't know, it's just like, we're funding Nazis. And I mean, I don't know. It's, uh, it's really unfortunate. I want to know kind of what, how our politicians are doing. I keep making this point, how there was one of the big spending packages, only some Republicans in the house, the MAGA Republicans voted against it. I know some people said that was just for show. I mean, it could have been definitely, I mean, there's a lot of things where politicians just do things for show. Like supposedly AOC voted no on something recently, but I want to see if they keep it up. I don't know about any recent things. It seems like all of all of the spending, they're not even voting on it. It just seems like they're sending it. You know, it, it's it's crazy. Um, let me try to get to another point. Joe, like we mentioned how Joe Biden needs to be the one to end it. I mean, there's all people behind him, like uh, Anthony Blinken, Victoria Newland. Like there's the whole neocon, like all the neocons. The, all, the whole Senate is down with it. They all vote yes, so. You know, I mentioned the Republicans in the House voted no, but the Republicans in the Senate all voted yes. All the Democrats voted yes. It's it's not looking good. And then Cornell West is calling Putin a gangster, which I don't know. I mean, I guess at this point I'm kind of pro-Putin, so I'm biased. But I mean, if when you look at things historically and you look at the material reality on the ground, you look at all of the peace negotiations that were trying to be met the nato expansion i mean i'm sorry i'm just i'm just using facts so at this point i'm just using the facts well and i don't think russia is imperialist well have you also heard that some of the weapons that have been sent to the ukraine are ending up in, in countries like um in countries in africa some of those weapons aren't even making it to ukraine yeah, that's a, that's a huge issue. I mean, so not only all the money that's pretty much being like, uh, what's the term, like laundered, all the money laundering, but the weapons as well. It's supposedly like they're, the West is clearing out all of their World War II stocks to send to Ukraine. It's like, 
it's it's a straight up proxy if you know i mean i don't know if anyone's mentioned it but we've all implied it it's you know it's a proxy it's a nato proxy war and they're like yeah take all of our world war ii garbage and stuff that you're not trained on and go ahead and fight the russian army on their border when they'll just blow you to smithereens artillery and you have no air defense so it's it's very it's 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 a very it's a crazy world we live in i guess and then I like how Olensky was all trying to kiss Nancy Pelosi in a very awkward way. That was that was great. But that was such a cringe moment for me. <laughs> yeah. It, yeah, that was that was very cringe. I mean, oh my goodness. I, I I mean, you know, he had to fly all the way here just to get that kiss. So, you know, you know it was a, an important one. But um anyways, like it's good that Cornell West and um the, the other person, they're trying to get peace, but I think they're not looking at the full situation and they're definitely not taking in the Russian perspective. Mm. I'll, I'm going to leave on that. But thank you so much for having me and um, everyone have a good night and happy new year. Thanks so much for calling in, MJ. All right. I'm going to go ahead and bring in Noel. Noel, you are on the mic. What's your take on all of this? Can we have peace and why why not? Good evening. Um, no, I don't think we can have peace because peace is not the objective. Um, when you look at this situation, you know, foreign policy is not established, you know, overnight. So the military industrial complex and the Pentagon and these people and the Defense Department, they're doing long range planning. And the reality is the US foreign policy appears to be so helter skelter across the various administrations until you look at it from an economic perspective. You know, um, I think Chris Hedges wrote a book called War is a Force that gives us meaning. And I think the U.S. is having an identity crisis and it is all stemming from um, our capitalist, you know, way and approach. We're trying to reorder the world and we've been at this enterprise since World War II trying to reorganize the world in a unipolar way when the world is really a multipolar set of circumstances. And I think we did a great disservice to that objective when for profit, we allow the corporate community to export the um, industry, the manufacturing. And so when you export manufacturing, which brought you to prominence in the last century, then that goes to China and other places in, in Asia. And so that begins to create a real strength economically in other places than the U.S. And now each administration is trying to, you know, create a national identity that will cover the imperialist hegemonic drive that's being fed by capital looking for profit. So the the we just come out of the Iraq and Afghanistan and before we can blink we're in Ukraine but as you put and explained it Ukraine didn't happen overnight 
Ukraine has been in the making for decades, and it includes the expansion of NATO, and it includes the U.S. involvement and intervention in Ukrainian um, governance. You know, Zelensky was picked. We had the um, American diplomat on the hot mic saying, you know, F what Europe thinks, we're going to go with A, B, and C. You know, we have the involvement to the extent that Joe Biden's son was put on the board of Burisma and he has no background in energy. So we see this involvement that has been materializing over the years. So, yeah, you can argue that Russia was quote unquote wrong. And I really think he should be in the 21st century with respect to foreign affairs, we should be beyond this simplistic right and wrong thing because there are no good players in this set of circumstances when everybody is trying to jockey for position. And so, you know, when you can't discount what the expansion of NATO means to Russia in terms of having it encroached upon and with NATO's policy that if you strike one, you strike us all, and you have these other border countries petitioning now to be a part of NATO. So Russia would be totally encircled. And we also know that the military industrial complex and war is like the scout dog for capitalism. We're looking for resources. We were in Iraq because of oil. We're at odds and have a difficult relationship with Iran Iran because of oil. We're in a conflicted, you know, schizophrenic rapport with Saudi Arabia because of oil. So it's all about, you know, military intervention as a means towards creating fertile ground for capitalistic exploitation. But we're coming to, I believe, you know, the natural Um, I won't say the natural end, but I think we're coming to the place where the natural world is yielding or has yielded much of the resources, you know, that it can. And now that we're in this global market thing, you know, if you can't dominate through industry, then you have to, you know, try and threaten the rest of the world with your military superiority. And to Mm. your point, if we stop these you know, engagements in war efforts, how can you justify continuing to allocate the billions of dollars per year to the Pentagon and the Defense Department when we're not at war? So you have, and like you say, those appropriations feed money to the military industrial complex, which translates into jobs and things of this nature. And when you think about it, um, defense and well, not defense because we aren't at war, but the military ex- military exploits are one of the biggest economic industries that this country has next to finance. So, you know, if we stop funding the production um, of military apparatus and sending it and selling it and deploying it, then exactly what do we do? I think we've, we're losing our national identity. I think it has made us paranoid because we see the world moving towards a multipolar 
um, set of circumstances that we're not prepared for. And frankly, I think the powers that be that are in alignment, I mean, Democrat and Republican, they have no idea really of how to move forward outside of what they've been doing for the last several decades, which is pushing military, you know, adventures. And so can we have peace? Certainly we could if peace was the objective, but that's not what the objective is. The objective, as Lloyd Austin said earlier in the year when he made a speech, they want to see Russia weakened, which will facilitate um, a reorganization of the world towards that unipolar thing that's not going to be possible. That's why Nancy Pelosi is going to Taiwan to stir up the tension between Taiwan and China. It's just, I think it's just not going to work. And I think we're in a really, really bad place because no one really knows what to do and they could care less about they could care as little about Ukrainian life as they did about Iraqi life as they did about Afghani life as they do really about American life they do not care and i think you know like i say we've lost our national identity and so we're moving in this schizophrenic way and and just pushing all the buttons well said, Noel. I think, you know, you brought up some really good points because maybe that's the question we should ask ourselves, like, what is, what is the actual goal that they have, right? And the goal is, is, or the objective is not peace, you know? And I think that, thank you for bringing up Taiwan, because I said that back then, like, now why would Nancy Pelosi go to Taiwan, given the relationship with Taiwan and China at that point in time? She went there to stir the pot. Stir the pot. Exactly. And so watch, watch and pay attention, you guys. All the demonization that they've done in reference to Russia, they do this, they've done this with China as well. Don't be surprised. They come for China next. And, and a lot of this has to do with economic power. You guys understand, like, a lot of my, a lot of my students were from China. Like, they have, they don't need, they don't need us. Like China has like, they have, they can stand on their own if they need to. This is the way my, my students explained it to me. It used to be back in the day when a lot of the international students used to come over from China, they wanted to live here in the United States. What I have seen in the past couple of years is a lot of them wanted to go back home. And I would ask them, well, why, why don't you want to, you know, get the visa and stay here? And they said, because back home, I'm guaranteed a job. If mm -hmm. I have a degree from the United States, I'm not guaranteed a job here in this country. Hell, we're not guaranteed a job here in this country. If we want to be real, we don't even have a federal jobs guarantee, which is something that has been talked about for multiple years. So they had more guarantees going back home. They don't have the homeless rate that we have in our country. They have cut the homeless rate. They have reduced it drastically. They're pretty much like millennials going back to China they are living better there than, than millennials are living here in the United States. And you have to keep in mind when they go back home, they're not going back home with student debt. Right. They can't take out student loans. International students can't take out student loans. So the ones who come over here, they're either given a stipend or a fellowship or their parents can play, can pay right out of pocket. They can pay for the all four, all four years or for grad school, whatever they're here for. So, they're not stuck in the same financial situation that a lot of American students are when they graduate from these institutions. 
So that to me right there says something. When they explain to me, well, yeah, we have our own version of Amazon. We have our own version of Google. They don't really need the United States. And that is a threat to the U.S. government because the U.S. government wants to be the king of the world. The king of the world. And that's just not possible. And when you think about the transformation that has happened in China and in India as well, um, it has to do with those two countries, you know, caring about their people to some extent and willing to be the manufacturers to the world. You know, China produces technological people. No, India produces tech people. And they've been coming here on those visas and, you know, doing work. But the capitalist uh, model doesn't value labor in that way. So we just go from, you know, suffering to suffering, whereas those countries have at least gone from strength to strength to some appreciable degree. And when you get those advances in, you know, having a really educated populace, um, and technology, you expand your ability to do military war and things of that nature. And so for America to blindly pursue profits and, and do all this at all costs, you've allowed the world to shift in a way that doesn't suit who you think you were. And now you're at this place, and Chris Hedges talks about this eloquently as he always does, you know, in the last stages of empire, they are characterized by a lot of military hypermilitarization because they're trying to assert to the world in their last days that they're this unipolar power. And it happened with England. It happened with Rome. And it's going to happen with the U.S. while you're busy trying to prove to the world that you are the military. And I, I mean, think of the 800 military presences that we have around the world. What are you trying to say to the world? You're trying to be a force of intimidation. But people cannot live. People refuse to live like that. That's why you have these protracted wars between, you know, Israel and Palestine, because Palestinians cannot live in trauma forever. And so we just I think we're at a place in world history where we really need to consider a different way of being. I think the natural world is giving us every kind of sign, hint, and cue that your days are numbered if you can't figure out a different way of existing. And I think the powers that be are content that since they believe they will survive, they're content with making these horrible decisions that cause life in all of these other countries to, you know, be decimated because they're looking at their own survival. And I think it's so short-sighted, you know, I just don't know what else could be going on in the minds of the power that be. We know, And in this country, war has been used to consolidate um, the masses and quiet the criticisms of the administration's whenever we are involved in any type of military exploit. 
you know, Bush used it in Iraq. His numbers were down. And as soon as we were in mm-hmm. war with Iraq, you know, people start criticizing him because you're labeled as unpatriotic. And I think, you know, they use this military thing to, you know, squelch people criticizing the government. But every time it places us closer to authoritarianism, because we're so busy being silenced till we as a people fail to come together and criticize the government for the bad stuff it's doing, you know, domestically. And, you know, we always say it's imperialist outward face is its racist face inside. So it's just it's just sad. And but to your I think Medea Benjamin and Cornell West, of course, are in the right position. Although I was concerned when Medea Benjamin made the comment that they didn't want the um, center or the critique of these uh, military adventures to be coming from the right and people like Bobert and people like that. But the reality is even a broken clock may be right twice a day. And so I, I question, it doesn't matter where the critique is coming from. There's a political dynamic to all of it. Everybody is jockeying to, you know, compete in those two arenas. And I think it's best when our leaders in terms of spirituality kind of steer clear from that because it only makes them look partisan. And we know the Democrats are just as bad as the Republicans when it comes to military and foreign affairs. But I think Cornel West, of course, was correct to point out, you know, America's schizophrenia when it comes to supporting other oppressed peoples. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, these are the right positions. Yeah, we should be um, confronting and protesting and this and that. But we know from our recent history that this country pays no attention to that. And now more so than ever, they just do what they do. You know, which brings us back to the point we've made before about organizing the masses so that they can be afraid of us, but they aren't. So they do what they do. And what people have to understand too, is that the reason why John Kerry really didn't have a chance to be a W at that time is because we were already in conflict and it is not popular to replace a sitting president during a time of war. So George Bush knew he knew what he was doing. He knew he had that nail in the coffin. Like, well, no one's going to replace me as president during a time when we're at war. Exactly. That's something that people have to understand. And the other thing as well, being critical of the government, this is why it's so upsetting to me when I saw that statement from Matt Stoller on Twitter saying that politicians should be respected. And I said, oh, hell no. You have to earn your respect. If you're not helping people in your district, these politicians are not helping us. They're helping corporations. So why should I give them any type of respect You cannot continue to do that and have that mindset because this is probably the most heat I've seen, I would say, Democrats. The most heat I've seen the Democratic Party get probably in my adult life has been this year because of everything, because of the the war with Russia and Ukraine, because of the inflation, um, because of the pandemic, like all of it, all of it adds up. And what I have learned is that these politicians for the most part are not used to this. They're not used to being bombarded when they go speak at a town hall. Like that was happening nonstop 
exactly. and they don't know how to handle it. They don't know how to handle it because they're used to just like people are going to respect me because I'm a politician. Now they see the tides are turning. Things are starting to change because Americans are upset. People are frustrated and fed up. And to your point about them mentioning that we can't have that message coming from the right. This goes back to the whole, um, you know, unipolarity uh, idea. Same thing when it comes to us working with countries abroad. There has to come a time where we can't just say we're only going to work with our allies. When you look at an issue like climate change, that is going to affect the entire world. That is not just going to affect our allies. That means that we may have to work with Russia. We may have to work with China in order to try to help with climate change as much as we can. When you talk about an issue like that, which is going to be a global effect, you cannot just say, we're going to focus on how to help people in the United States or protect people in the United States from what is to come from climate change. That has to be a global effort. And as long as the U.S. is has this this mindset that they are only going to work with their their allies, we're all in trouble. And I point to a show. I don't know if you guys are into sci fi, but if you are, you're going to love this show. There's a show called The Expanse, and I highly recommend you watch it if you guys have not seen it. Because it shows you in the future what has happened after climate change took effect. And it shows you most of the countries are underwater. The majority of earthers, they're called earthers. The majority of earthers are only in certain places on earth and the rest have fled. They fled to Mars or they fled to the beltway or they died because of the climate crisis. And I know it's just a show and it's fiction, but you can watch that show. And you can speak to this could actually happen because of what we know about the science. And if we don't do something, and and that doesn't matter if Democrat or Republican is in office, they are not moving fast enough when it comes to that particular issue. We don't have that long. And to see them tell us when it comes to the vaccines, you can't ignore the science. But when it comes to climate change, all of a sudden we can ignore part of the science and we can say that we have more years than what the scientists are telling us that we have. So you guys got to see how this is all connected. It all goes back to the money. They're doing what helps corporations. They're doing what helps their own pockets. And if that means that it risks the lives of other people, these people don't care. They They don't care. Protected. They don't care. And then my last point will be. You know, we haven't even discussed the fact that war and military adventure contribute significantly to the carbon footprint. Yep. You know, all the waste that's created after. And, you know, in terms of a resolution, of course, there will have to be some type of negotiated settlement because, you know, the Ukraine won't win and Russia won't win per se. There are no winners. But I think the U.S. is jockeying for a position because there will have to be a significant rebuild effort. And again, that's another way for the U.S. corporate community to get in there and get those contracts and be doing rebuild and getting access to all those um, um, elements and, and riches that Ukraine has in terms of, you know, industry. And and that's, I believe, as big a part of the thought process that got us here, 
you know, the minerals and things, that's as much a part of the equation as, and I think, frankly, it's a bigger part of the equation than, oh, Russia is bad and this, that, and a third. These people are trying to get positioned because, like I say, everywhere we go, it's about resources. And if you don't have resources, they will let you just die and be oppressed like Yemen and Palestine. The only places we venture to go, the, our involvement in Venezuela, it's about oil, it's about resources. But the climate people are telling us it is your oil and oil consumption that's pushing us closer to a global catastrophe with respect to weather. And to your point, Savvy, the efforts through the UN to affect some type of climate accord, they're just falling on deaf ears. I mean, they go and they make these pledges and this and that, but nothing substantive really ever changes. And it's way too late because we didn't get here overnight and we won't get out of it overnight. And so that's pretty much all I have to say. Thank you so much for that. Noel. Thanks so much. Thanks so much. Uh, I want to go ahead and say hello to Case Study QB is in the house. What's up? What's Case? up, Sabrina? Happy holidays, everybody. Much love to the chat. And, um, man, I just had a thought about what uh, Noel was saying, but I, I lost it. But um, I wanted – I know we're talking about Russia and Ukraine. Can I riff on the Pete judge and the airline stuff real quick? Yes, absolutely. Go ahead, and I'll bring Gary in um, as well. But go ahead. Thanks for the shout out and the show. I appreciate that. And I, I just on basically because I have a personal vendetta with Pete on this as far as I was stuck in the airport for the first time in 14 years. I was away from my wife on Christmas Day because I tried three times in a row. And and I know Roger, could, he's in the tri-state area with me. I went to JFK. I went to Newark. I went to LaGuardia, all the major airplane airports in my area i'm in new jersey not get to atlanta for nothing my daughter and i cannot be with my wife and my son who we sent earlier um ahead of us and then i tried three days in a row so i could totally relate to the people that were in the video as far as um trying to get out there luckily i had my parents i went eventually ended up in new york and i spent time with my parents and my sister and my nephews and niece so i, I still had a great time but it was the first time away from my wife um and uh what was the last thing oh yeah the last thing that nobody has brought up this point i didn't see in the videos or anything they price gouge the heck out of you in these airports like when you're there your flight gets canceled you're there from morning to night check trying to get on like six different flights but in between you have to eat and you go to the the commissaries and they're, they're great restaurants i i'm you know i'm looking at the places a clean establishment i got to give them credit the bathrooms are clean i give them credit for keeping the airports very spick and span but i go to buy a meatball sub simple meatball sub 22 dollars with a little Jesus. side of fries <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, y'all can buy two pies of pizza with this for my daughter. And I, and then she's, um, also, you know, special needs. So I could, she has diet restrictions. So I just bought her fruit and the little, little bit of fruit was like $10, a little handful. Like, look at your hand. If you look at your hand and think of fruit in your palm of your hand, that costs $10. 
So anyway, you I just have to first thank you for letting me riff real quick. So sorry to hear that case. It's a mess out there. I'm telling you, like, it, it's just ridiculous. They got to do something about the airline system, uh, you know. But again, that's that's Pete's job. Oh, <laughs> you see, Rokana made that very clear. We told him to do something about this. What? Months ago. Name one thing that this man Pete has done as secretary, as mayor, anything. Like, he's not one. Can anybody? Nothing. Nothing. <laughs> like at least with Obama, like the lowest bar in the world, like Obamacare stopped the precondition, pre-existing conditions issue, right? You know, we won Medicare for all, obviously, but at least he did that with that specific issue. Pete, what have you done? Like you got Roe coming after you. If Roe's coming after you, you know you're in trouble. You're doing something. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know. You know, Case, like that right there let you know. Could you imagine if Pete would have become president? Just think oh about all God. these guys. Oh my, forget about it. He he would be a, a toady for the corporations. This, You know what it is. He He's trying to be cool with the donors, with the CEOs of these corporations to say, hey, you know, when it's time for me to run, you know, just remember I looked out for you. I didn't force you to, to I didn't find you. I didn't force you or your hand on anything at all, so make sure that you support me. That's basically what this is all about. And definitely as president, he wouldn't be. Well said. Uh, Gary, what's up? How you feeling about everything? So, obviously, I had a lot of thoughts um, regarding the Ukraine issue, but I, that was, I was very triggering, that conversation about Pete Buttigieg and the um, ongoing incompetence of the, the Biden administration. I was actually going to, I was about to um, shit post on social media. Every time I get the urge to shit post, I type it and then delete it before posting just because, you know, that's, that's how we got to do it. That's how we have to get through this, this life. But I'm just like, people voted for this dude. And a lot of people who pushed him and promoted him, pushed him because of identity politics. And I was, I was like, well, at least he was great for the, for LGBTQ representation in government. So God bless that. Right. Cause that's, that's all we need. And it's like, at the end of the day, it's like we get the government that we want. If we're, if we're talking about representation, we're going to get representation. If we're talking about competence, we'll get competence. So, you know, at the end of the day, you know, like I said, we get the, we get the government that we, that we ask for. And, and oftentimes we're not asking for the right things. And so mm. it's almost, it's, in, my, in my opinion, it's my fault. I mean, it's, like, it was, it's all our faults. You know, not, I, I don't take sole blame because I would never vote for this man, but ever under any circumstances. But, um, you know, and I think all the people who did vote for Joe Biden it's time to kind of, you know, take a look in the mirror because, yeah, it's we have. Gary, we have yeah. So since last time you were on here, yeah. how many people have you shaken so far Make and right said, who the hell are you? <laughs> I don't get the reference, but no, nobody, nobody. No, last time you were here. You was talking about some like infiltrators or DSA or something like that, and you're saying I'm talking to these people and I'm wondering. I want to pull them aside and shake them and said, "Who the hell are you? Are you sure it was me? No, no, no. I don't. Know oh yeah, no, it was you. It was you. Infiltrators. <laughs> it was in the DSA? funny as hell. It no, you was you was talking about somebody like um. Well, I forgot which. Well, look at the last time you was here and you was talking. I forgot which which show it was, but it was definitely you. I just thought it was funny. 
Okay, I mean, I mean, I definitely criticize a lot of a lot of people who are sort of larping on the as leftists, but yeah, I mean, whether it's the DSA or, or any people on the on the online left, I think a lot of people on the online left are really just PMCs using uh yeah yeah quote unquote, right. Right. And you was, yeah you were saying exactly that you were saying exactly yeah. that and you and you said it just makes me want to just grab them and shake them and say who the hell are you. Uh, this, it's, that's that's possible. So. <laughs> uh, that that's sounds possible. like you, right? Yeah, yeah. But um, yeah, I'm not, you know, I wouldn't obviously do that. I, I like to be free in this world, so I I, I wouldn't. But like <laughs> I said, you know what I mean. At the end of the day, you gotta watch. You gotta watch, and people show you who they are. And and that's one of the, that's that's literally every time I call it, that's that's pretty much the theme of all my. Watch who you shake. Well, one, it's like make sure that you at least have your glasses on. Make sure you got. Well, I mean, they've they've upgraded to the contacts at this point, so. You know, they you can see them, but they can't see you. You know, at the end of the day, and I think because they they not only do they live, but you know they control, and you know it's important that you at least you know understand what you're looking at because I think if you continue to try to look at the wrong people, if you if you vote in Joe Biden as your president, and then you're trying to look to your government to keep you out of wars, um, you're barking up the wrong tree. And so when we talk about oh, how do we get peace? Like it starts with the decisions we make about what our leadership looks like. Uh, and, you know, it's, it's, it's important that I bring that up only because every movement that has any um, principles behind it, any integrity is a movement that starts with truth and reconciliation. So I'm always like, let's take accountability before we're talking about how we start fixing the problems that we've created for ourselves. So at the end of the day, Joe Biden is a corrupt war war criminal and we were told to vote for him because he doesn't tweet mean things. Okay. Right. Okay, that's that's a great that's a great sales pitch. Now we got him and our you know, our government is going to hell in the handbasket and you ask yourself, Okay, did you, you know, we don't get any mean tweets from our president. Are you happy now? And <laughs> you know, at the end of the day, we like we have to really start considering they being more selective and more you know calculating about whether or not we withhold our votes from the democratic party before they start taking us seriously and start really start forming an opposition party that we can rely on to push policies that keep us keep us safe and keep us having a high standard of living which is what we should care about and we're we're not moving in that direction uh we're we're, we're talking about identity politics and we're talking about, uh, you know, Twitter and, and decorum, and thus we're we're not we're getting a, con- a country that's being run by corrupt people who are who seem to be inept and who seem to be uh, more worried about propaganda and controlling how we are allowed to talk to each other than actually doing anything on our behalf. And I think the Twitter files is, is something that's important for us to pay attention to. And I think it's important to watch the people on YouTube who call themselves leftists and call themselves people who want to, you know, speak truth to power, who are under, who are sort of trying to undermine the Twitter files and, and the revelations of our government, more concerned about propaganda than about productivity. Like I said, like these are all the things that we have to take accountability for because we're allowing our government to get away with these things and we're continuing to support politicians who are obviously not on our side obviously not on our side that's right sabrina 
I wanted to say something real quick before I picked up the customer. Um, I got five things to say, but I'll probably be able to get it two, maybe three. Um, the whole thing about, well, well, one, um, if you remember, Kim Jong-un had said, um, why would I work with the United States or give up my weapons if they had Gaddafi give up his and look what they did to him? So that's one. So that reminded me that. when, when you guys right was talking. Right what, what's that? Hello? I was saying I, so I do remember my, that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the second thing was, oh, yes. Um, today's freedom, ahead, today's right freedom fighters right that America calls freedom fighters are tomorrow's American terrorists. I think of uh, bin Laden, how in the early 90s, we called him a freedom fighter against Russia. And then later on, he, he attacked us. So I'm taking a look at what's happening with us funding uh, the, right the Nazi Ukrainian right army. We don't know where the weapons are going. Don't be surprised if those who we're calling, well, not me and you, but who we're calling freedom fighters or whatever the case is, turns around and those Nazis attack us Okay, from now. Um, three, it, yeah, I know, something to think about. Three, now, what I never understood is when that agreement about NATO uh, was not supposed to expand, I never, under, well, maybe they did try it and it didn't work or whatever the case is, but I never understood why, what's that, what's his name? Pick up Thomas on the uh, left. I, what, Boris Yeltsin, or maybe it was Gorbachev never said, hey, yo, look, I guess it was Yeltsin, maybe. Hey, yo, look, if we gotta, if we have to dissolve the Warsaw Pact, then you guys should have to um, get rid of NATO. You know, and like, not expand, not say, hey, uh, don't expand NATO, but just be like, no, if we gotta get rid of ours, you gotta get rid of yours. So, I don't know whether it was because they were at a moment of weakness, because the Berlin Wall fell, or whatever the case is, but that's about it. Going on mute, picking up my customer. Awesome. But not, yeah, that, that's, I, that's super I, real. I think you just, oh, no, 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 please continue. I was just going to say, I think they thought at that time that making the decision not to expand NATO in itself would be enough. But obviously we see that's not the case today. Yeah. Go ahead, Gary. But I just think it's important. I think he just said something very poignant um, that, you know, don't fall for the banana in the tailpipe. We already understand that we have a government who's willing to use any any method they can come up with to deceive and propagandize the American people, including when it comes to escalation and warfare. And so, like I said, you know, if they, if there aren't the, the, the terrorists and the escalating factors that they need for the narrative, who who's to say our government? Our government is definitely not against creating them. You know what I'm saying? Obviously, you know, we talk about Operation Gladio, which is a NATO operation. And, you know, we don't need to go into the history of Operation Gladio, if you know what that is. If you don't look into what Operation Gladio is, um, it's very important that we understand what NATO has always done to frame Russia a certain way. Um, and it's not really bound by morals or ethics in any way. Um, and just to bring it more nationally, uh, when we had, quote unquote, freedom fighters from one perspective, um, against the lockdowns and against, you know, different policies, the FBI itself literally tried to frame them 
as terrorists and attempted murderers of the governor of Michigan. So, like I said, our government will always try. And, and this is the funny thing about why I, I always condemn the left, because once upon a time, it was the SDS and it was the Black Panthers and it was SNCC that was the, being the victims of these types of operations. And now it's the so-called left who are always on the side of the FBI pulling these ops on people who fight against the, the government and the power that powers that be. And so when the government tries to manipulate people with these types of operations, it's important that people who, you know, have principles and have integrity um, un- understand that there's a potential for manipulation, there's a poten- potential for false flags that are going to take place. And that's the sad thing about it, because when you have conflicts like this, there's always potential for false flag and, and fog of war. And so just I think it's important for everybody to just continue to be discerning Continue. Don't get white helmeted, you know, like so many people did. You know, white the white helmets got an Oscar for their documentary. We can't get white helmeted. We we can't get manipulated by operations, uh, which are, I I believe are, are on the horizon and going to be used and going to be, you know, and, and social media I think is going to be a, is going to be utilized to kind of manipulate people's perceptions of what exactly is happening on the ground in order to escalate this to a place that's, that's, that's very dangerous. So we need to be discerning. I need to ask all the right questions when those questions arise. Yeah. And this goes back to the Twitter files as well, because as we saw, as it's been revealed so far, and I know they're still doing more digging, but as it has been revealed so far, we see that these government agencies had their hand in that. And so they want to control the narrative, whether it's Twitter, whether it's Facebook, and I'd question YouTube as well. At this point, yeah. I'd like to see a file dump on YouTube, too. Yeah, I don't know if that will ever happen. Hopefully <laughs> that will one day. We'll probably need a um, person on the inside to do, like a whistleblower, to just do like a WikiLeaks dump in regards to YouTube. But uh, definitely, you know, something that people don't think about is that we literally, you, you hear about the brown shirts, you hear about secret police, and you hear about, you know, even in, in Nazi Germany and and even in uh, Stalin's uh, Russia and of all these different secret police, but this is our secret police. We have the FBI, we have the CIA, we have other alphabet organizations that we don't even know about that are doing this work. Um, what Gary was talking about just reminded me of how Aretha Franklin, Aretha Franklin was tracked by the FBI for 40 years, all the way up until 2007. I'm looking at this article I'm going to put in the chat. It says yeah. from, from 1967, to 2000, I was in college, 2007. I, you know, that's how recent in that. And then the last thing I'm going to say is the Black Panthers who are still alive, they still can get their own files that the FBI, you know, made on them. You know, this is 60 years, all these years later that they still can't get their own. You know, you should be able to get a, do a Freedom of Re, um, Information Act request on at least the information that the government compiled on you and they still can't get that to this day so that secret police that we have is not being called out but they are and i'm sure they do a lot of good work too the fbi you know finding kidnap people and there's other things they do but this rogue uh part of the organization or maybe not even rogue but systemic part of um and they admitted that they are against the left like systemically against the left in the country and prevent the uh, advancement of left in this country. They've said that on um, on the mainstream media, and we need to 
you know, talk about it. We need that's why we need political education. This is why the masses need p- the political education so that I remember a button. I saw a button when Ralph Nader ran for the Green Party president. And of all the different policies, he had a ton of policies. One said abolish the CIA. Right. If you go up to the average person and say, hey, do you want to abolish the CIA? First of all, they might not. I don't even know if they would have an opinion on it, but they might say, oh, no, of course we need the CIA. But that's where the political education of how um, CIA have been very problematic over the years in doing coup d'etats and then uh, even um, within domestically how they have been problematic, JFK, et cetera, et cetera. So political education is a big uh, thing that we need in this country. I agree. I agree. And you know what, too? That reminds me, there was a debate. Um, I think I want to say this was last year. There was a debate with uh, Nico House and someone named Hunter. I had never seen dude before, but this guy said to Nico House, he said, why would you not trust the CIA? And I I seriously just wanted to die laughing because I was like, (laughs) why would why would you trust the CIA? Are you kidding me? Yeah, I mean, the, the left has ceded that territory to yeah. to people who are supposedly persona non grata. You got, you know, the Farrakhan's of the world and the Alex Joneses of the world, even the Candace Owens of the world, Tucker Carlson's of the world. They're the ones that are constantly, you know, condemning the CIA. And I'm like, come on, this was a left thing. And, you know, I'm talking about it's like it doesn't make any sense that that territory has been ceded to people who are supposedly on the wrong side of politics. It's it doesn't make any sense to me. It's it's irrational. I agree. Well said, Gary. All right. God bless. Do you have um anything else to add before I bring in Amanda? Oh no, that's it. Thank you so much. God bless you. All right. Thank you so much. Okay, bringing in Amanda. Just have to unmute. And I just thought about that movie. Um, what's the name of that movie? Can't Hardly Wait. You guys ever seen that movie, Can't Hardly Wait? It's really funny. Um, Wait, let me look that up real quick. Can't Hardly. It's funny. It's like a, it's an end of the year high school party. And uh-huh. um, anyway, there's. Oh, a, with Jennifer Love Hewitt? Yeah. And I her did not character. Watch mm-hmm. It's funny, Case. Her character's okay. name is uh, Amanda. Mm-hmm. And um, her boyfriend that she breaks up with at the party, mm-hmm. he he gets really drunk and he's like, so are you, Amanda? <laughs> I did see my wife and I were going through Wednesday and I saw you commented on Wednesday on Netflix and it's mm-hmm. good so far. We're enjoying it really well. And uh, that actually it's nothing but good acting in that show, man. It I love it. I love it. Excellent acting all over the place. I love it when there's not like a weak link in the acting cast, you know, because it's so jarring where you see like a bad actor, you see all these great acting going on and then just one bad actor. Like an example of that is um, um, the this, this show that's on stars that 50 Cent started Goat with Ghost um, Power. I don't know why I couldn't think of that. And the son, oh my goodness, he's such a bad actor to me. I don't know. Have you ever watched Power, Sabrina? No, I don't have stars. Okay, okay. Oh my goodness, the son in it, and he later on he becomes like a main character. I'm like, how is this guy the main character? Anyway, <laughs> anyway, I want to ask you a quick question. Um, before while Amanda's coming on, um, Sabrina, have you ever? Uh, uh first of all, are you familiar with John Kariaku? 
He's yes. a former CIA. Okay, you're familiar. He's on Sputnik, I believe. And have you ever interviewed him? Because I'm going to have to look that up if you have. I interviewed him on the ground. Um, okay. He was. Okay. Yeah, he was at the uh, the Julian Assange rally in D.C. Cool. Yeah, he's cool. really cool. Like I I interviewed him there in person. About, okay. You know why he supports like freedom of um, yeah. Julian Assange. Uh, really, really cool dude. Funny too. Yeah. Like he was, he was funny. Yeah, I got I, I got to check out. I know he has a show out, but it's on Spugnet. So it's not like I haven't seen it on YouTube. So, but I want to check him out. But the reason why I, I thought of him is, you know, we think about the CIA and we know all the problematic side of things. But like any where any organization, any government, there's nuance, right? So he's a probably one of the few bright spots that he was in the CIA. He was a whistleblower. He felt strong against, you know, what he was doing, that they put him in jail. So that who's to say they're not more good people that might be working within the CIA, but they don't have, they're not that very, very top, of course, but they, you know, they're part of the wheel. And I would be, I'm curious if what he thinks about the CIA, like, is it redeemable? Does he think it's redeemable? Should we even have an intelligence agency and et cetera? I'll, I'll be curious, uh, if he ever had a call in, I wish he had a call in the show or something, you know? <laughs> yeah. I have to try to um, see if I can reach out. I got to be careful too about what I talk about. Like we talk about CIA, be careful on YouTube because like, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. depending on how it's talked about, they might pull the video. They've done that to us mm -hmm. a couple of times at RBN. Mm -hmm. That requires a Rockfin um, interview. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Or even calling if they want to do calling. That's one thing I love about calling. You don't have to worry about that stuff. And somebody pointed out Ray McGovern too. Yeah, he was in the CIA as well. Yeah. Somebody called in here one night and said they actually met uh, Ray McGovern. That was recently, I thought. They said they went yeah. to some some. I think it was like a town hall thing or whatever. And like Ray McGovern was there, and wow. they they talked to Ray McGovern. Yeah, it was just really random. I was like surprised by that, yeah. but. Yeah, but yeah, like he's, um, he's a national treasure, man. He, he's definitely um, he's getting up there in age, but he's def definitely a treasure trove of knowledge and wisdom of the intelligence agencies. And yeah, I give him a lot of kudos for giving us a lot of information that you know a lot of people, I'm sure, would be paranoid about. You know, coming from that side of uh, things, you know, both of them, yeah. both of them. I'm trying to see if I can get John to come on call in. I think that might be a safer bet. Yeah. Oh, if you do that, definitely let me know. I would definitely love to hear that one. Yeah. All right. Let's try to see. Amanda, are you still there? Amanda, you have to unmute. I'm just going to go ahead and invite you as a as a speaker, Amanda. And I'll go ahead and bring in uh, Saul. Saul, you are next. Just have to unmute. What's going on, Saul? Soul, oh, you might have. So let me invite you as a speaker. I think this happened last time. All right, I invite you as a speaker. Uh, Jay, you're next up. What's up? Hey, Sebi, who are you? Hey, how are you going? Do well, do well. I mean, uh, with everything going on, I just, I don't even really even though where to begin regarding this whole uh, Ukraine-Russia shit. Um, you know, like, I was actually bookmarking some of the things I wanted to mention in here, so let me just go back and look for some of those. I love that the, you took notes, Jay. 
Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I was waiting for a while on the. I was waiting for a while on the call, so I had time to take notes, listen to what others were saying. Uh, yeah, let's start with this one. I just learned about it recently, but apparently, uh, the people that we're sending over a hundred billion dollars to uh, the Ukrainian army, the Azov Battalion, they're they. I just learned it recently that they actually export white supremacy and Nazism like all over the world. They recruit and train various different far right wing and Nazi groups. They've been responsible for attacks in the U.S., including Charlottesville and attacks uh, uh, outside of U.S. as well, like uh, the Christchurch shooting. Um, And in 2019, 40 members of Congress sent a letter to uh, the State Department asking them to be designated as a foreign terrorist organization. It was, um, uh, let me just interrupt really quick here, um, Jay. It was 2018. It was April 2018. Oh, 2018. Okay, perfect. So let me put the article in the uh, chat just so people know what I'm talking about. I encourage everyone to read it. Like, and and the fact that, like, uh, you know, this is not that long ago. Uh, it, it hasn't been a full year since uh, um, since the war started. And already, like, it's it's like most people just have short-term memory loss, completely forgetting about the fact that, like, this is what Congress was saying about, you know, Congress, not just Congress, but like Congress and the Western media was saying about the Azovs. And, um, uh, sorry, just give me one second. I'm getting a little interrupted. Sure, no worries. I didn't know about the Charlottesville situation. I did know that that symbol that they've had on some of their attire, the um, that sun symbol was also spotted on police officers in Akron, Ohio. I did mention that one time um, in a segment. I, I forget which segment that was. It was something about police brutality. But that that it was discovered that even some of the police officers in Akron, Ohio, had that same symbol tattooed on their arm, which is also a Nazi symbol. Oh, so I guess it came earlier than what I said before. I said it was going to take about a decade. That's what they said. That's what I had reported a while back. Um, I had talked. I think I talked to Max about. I think I had talked to Max Blumenthal about this, if I remember correctly. Um. But yeah, that symbol, you it's not just like in Ukraine, that symbol has been represented in the United States as well. But what was even scarier is the fact that it was reported that Akron police officers, some of them had that symbol. And apparently they there have been complaints about that before and the police department did nothing, of course. So yeah. Ohio's a ballot initiative state. That's all I gotta say. That's right. That's right. Um, but yeah, it's just go ahead, Jay. But I didn't know yeah, about, sorry about that. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's and it's not just Charlottesville. It's been like uh, um, a few other attacks uh, in the U.S. as well, um, where they pretty much radicalize and train far right wing militias all across the world. Um, but going back to what we were discussing earlier with Brent and some of the subsequent callers about how NATO uh, literally provoked this war. You know, I think there are, it's in writing, but there are quotes from uh, the Secretary of State and whatnot, basically 
I think his name was James Baker or whatever at the time, basically saying, if you let Germany join NATO, uh, we will not expand one inch eastward. And so this war, like, you know, you can't sanction a country to oblivion and then uh, keep encroaching on their, you keep building up a, for, a hostile military at their border and, uh, you know, have the ethnic cleansing of ethnic speaking um, Ukraine. Well, I'm sorry, Russian-speaking Ukrainians in the area, and not expect some kind of uh, response. Like how it's, it's like if anything, I would say it's like thirty years overdue. Like you know, about thirty years. Like that's when the, uh, you know, the Warsaw Pact fell. So I mean, the fact that it took thirty years, it, if anything, I think the outbreak of this war took way too long, just because of all the aggression that we've been that NATO's been showing towards Russia for, like in that time. Um, but let me just see one thing. Another here. thing that's disturbing to me too is the number of Americans that I've run into that doesn't believe that there are actually Nazis there. That's yeah, very I mean, disturbing. And I'm like, dude, you are looking at. I am showing you pictures. I can show them pictures, and I'm like, don't you see? You see the symbol? You see the symbol, the patch on their uniform? And like, yeah, I know. But CNN said, I was like, fuck what CNN said. You think CNN is going to admit to you, hey, the United States government is funding Nazis abroad. You think they're going to announce that shit? If they would, they wouldn't have their jobs. Don Lemon and all the rest of them would be gone. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and it's not like, uh, you know, the Azovs are hiding it themselves either. Like, they'll proudly tell you guys that they're Nazis, you know. Uh, probably the highest concentration of Nazis in the world is, uh, as, as like, on a per capita basis, I think is in Ukraine. I'll, I remember seeing that somewhere, but don't quote me on that. Um, and I, there's just no way the Western media will call them out on it because a lot of the, uh, cause they do have an open board of directors with defense contractors. And in the, like in December alone, I think we passed, uh, on average one military contract every 36 hours worth hundreds of millions of dollars. Like I just every sent day. Them... Sorry. I ahead. just sent. Oh, sorry. No, when people don't believe there's Nazis in Ukraine, I just show them that letter that you were talking about that Sabi shared with us. I, I made sure to save that to my to my Dropbox. That's right. Of all the of all the congressmen that Congress members who signed on to the concern about Nazi uh, in, in in the Ukrainian army. Um, and and then when they showed Max. Uh, got those ladies to admit um, that they uh, took in the, the. They said we didn't take in Nazis. We made them part of the uh, the, the the army, like trying to make it seem as if they um, relinquished their Nazi ways. And I was I was just like, well, that's an assumption. That, that they did, they're still having those patches on their arms, so the, their government legitimized them. You know what I mean? Anything, so I feel like the problem would have gotten worse. Because, yeah, because uh, we because we made it worse. Speed trap <laughs> yeah, reported ahead. Yeah, and like, um, and they probably like have a vested interest into wiping out, um, you know, people within their borders that are pro Russia. Such as like some of the ethnic speaking uh, speaking Ukrainians in the Donbass region, uh, and that's the I guess those are the biggest uh, unspoken victims of the war um, are those ethnic speaking Russians 
uh, ethnic Ukrainians who speak Russian because they've been just persecuted from all sides. And, you know, they're a significant chunk of the population. I think in the 2012 election, they got like 40% of the vote share and they're just being completely ignored, being attacked by Ukraine and just being just pretending as if they don't even exist, as if there isn't a significant chunk of the Ukrainian population that opposes Zelensky, that actively does not want weapons sent over to them because they're being used on uh, these Russian-speaking populations, etc. Um, yeah, go ahead. Oh, sorry. I think, by no, the way, ahead. when, I forgot who it was, who said that um, they think that the Americans are being uh, a well propagandized? I, I forgot who, who I, I forget, you know, the brother that was on before. I would say if we were properly propagandized, then recruitment in the military would be up. I'm looking at the results. You see, what I'm saying, like, think of how much recruitment went up when when the propaganda worked about the uh iraq war and weapons of mass right yeah they're throwing all this stuff and i i don't think people are as propagandized as they used to be and i'm just looking at the the outcome the the results enlistment is still down you know yeah and uh at some point, it's just not going to work anymore because at least most of my entire life, the, this country's been at war, you know, and probably every single year since uh, uh, in the 21st century, we've been at war. Uh, so at some point, you, and with the Internet these days, you know, it's it's going to work less and less. But the sad thing is I still see it having some effect, unfortunately. Because the reason why is the fool can't get fooled again. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Anyway, I think uh, that's about wraps up what I wanted to cover. Thank you very much for having me on, Sabi. Anytime, Jay. Yeah, I think a big part of the problem is like in talking to like younger people, the reason why more people are not joining the military is because they're starting to see like, especially those who are climate activists, they're starting to see like, wait a minute, war is actually worse for the for the climate. So that's a big part of that push as to why, especially young people that are really like woke, I don't want to say woke, but are really, have really woken up. They are starting to see that, listen, we want to push back on the climate crisis here, then we cannot have war. So that's a big part of it as well. Uh, go ahead, Ashura, what's going on? Uh Let's see, the past three days I've been going on a war path with Roland Martin for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Just like six comments. I don't know why he came for me. Like somebody had a, him in a video. He was talking about black owned businesses. And I've heard Roland, t- Roland talk about black owned businesses, but when he talks about black owned businesses, he's really talking about himself. Because I always, I always keep rolling bitching about how nobody's coming for him. No big white donor is coming for him. You even have Professor Black Truth is calling him out because his black media isn't the, you know, the small channels like, ourself, like yourself and RBN who are calling out the Democrats 
who are not like a bunch of fucking sycophants who will just go get them to vote. You want you want something in exchange for your vote. And he came for me. He's like, you clueless. So I, well, you call me clueless. So I basically wrote, wrote everything I knew about Roland Martin. I said that uh, you basically give Hillary a cheat code basically in 2016. You basically Donald, you gave that to Donald Brazil. How are the Clintons call you? Are they getting the calls from the Clintons or the DNC? Mm-hmm. I called him out, and then after a couple of tweets, his last tweet to me was, "Did I did I follow you? Nope." In caps, <laughs> I get. I guess he probably figured out that uh, I was the Republican. And the question I got: um, if if you follow somebody and somebody follows like a Roe Martin, does that mean by extension of you, I follow him? On Twitter, because I don't no, remember following Roland Martin. No, you you have to actually follow them yourself. Okay, so must have pressed a button somewhere. <laughs> I'm so sorry, Ashura. <laughs> oh, it was okay. I was, it was surprised to me because it, it seems to me he was like uh, Sam Cedar to you. I was like, really, two a.m. in the fucking morning? He's he's looking for people to <laughs> to fight with. I've seen him arguing with uh, people on Twitter quite often, actually. <laughs> and it's like, I don't know why people waste their time arguing. With, like, Roland Martin, like, he knows what he's doing. He He's very much aware of how the system works. Yeah. Uh, I, I also I also said, uh, <coughs> how's my... <laughs> oh, no, we lost Ashura. What happened? Oh, let me bring you back, Ashura. I invited you to speak. You uh, dropped off somehow. That was really weird. Rolling okay, down. go ahead, Ashura. Sorry. You Rolling have to unmute. Bottom. I know. <laughs> See what happens when you criticize Roland yeah, Martin? Yeah, yeah. Roland must be listening. <laughs> yeah, because uh, my last week, woman, basically, I said your master was Joe Biden. I basically put Massa in parentheses. Because I asked them, like, how's the how's the Clinton money? How's the how's the DNC money? Have you got the phone calls? Because you keep bitching about he has a way of speaking where he pretends like he's a revolutionary, like he's he's a strategic guy, but really he'll fucking funnel you to the Democratic Party. Yes, that's his job. That's his goal. Um, that is his uh his spot there. Like that's what that's what he's sent in to do. Um, and you know, like. It's really interesting because he's good on like on some of the issues he's good on, like when he talks about like police brutality, those types of issues, he's good on that. But then he'll still tell you, like he'll admit, you know, the Democratic Party is complicit in some of this. They're giving the police more money, yada yada. He'll say that, but then he'll still tell you to vote for the. De- you know what? Put I put Roland Martin in the same category with Robert Reich and uh, Michael. What's the guy's name? Oh, I was talking about him recently. Um, ah, shoot, I forgot his name. But I put him in the same category with uh, Robert Reich because he does the same thing. Like he'll tell you what the problems are, but at the end of the day, he'll tell you he'll tell you to keep voting for the problem. Yeah, it's like if you say the word third party, he, he shits on it immediately. Yeah, that's his role to simp for the establishment. I mean, he's not because Roland Martin criticized uh, progressives too. You guys, I don't know if everyone remembers this, but yeah, when Bernie was running, because I, yeah, I, I I used to watch him and I used to watch his his panels daily. And and once Bernie was running in twenty nineteen, was it twenty nineteen? 
And the entire panel went after Birdie for some fucking reason. They all they all went for Joe Biden. Even though they were shitting on Joe Biden and they were all on the some of them were on the Kamala camp. Even Roland was the Kamala camp guy. He still thinks that Kamala is gonna do some shit for African Americans. Yeah, he's he was a part of he was a part of the group of that uh neoliberal establishment um of African Americans that was basically trying to also demonize any type of progressivism or progressive movement. Roland Martin was complicit in that. Go He's ahead, a big Hakeem Jeffries guy, also. He mm-hmm. like he he can't wait to get an interview with Hakeem Jeffries. It's just it's kind of sickening to see, but um, I, I wish people were they were more critical because especially now he has his show and I, I I'm subscribed to him as well on YouTube, and um, you're independent, so you can have a more independent view. But I think because he's so locked in his ways of, you know, he used to be on CNN, he goes on MSNBC every so often. And there's also the circles you run in. If you're still cool with those people over there, that you really don't want to rock the boat too much. That's why I love this community that we have, you know, with RBN and, and uh, Harlan's Media and every, all the different people. We we have disagreements, you know, this disagreements that we have, but nobody's like ostracizing the other person. Nobody's canceling each other, you know. Well, also, mm-hmm. we didn't start on uh, corporate media. <laughs> it's, it's a big yeah. difference when you when you didn't come from corporate media. <laughs> oh boy! Yeah, uh, I was just looking online, like, how, what is the total for the Ukraine aid money? And from the article I got, as of November um, eighteen, that's the recent one. I can't find anything else. Uh, you've sent about one hundred and. I think it's 100.5. Where is it? Where is it? Uh, I think it's 100, 100, $105 billion to Ukraine. And I'm like, is that just the United States or just like total, all those countries combined that basically the United States says you got to send money to Ukraine or else. And I'm like, imagine what that fucking money can do right now for these countries who just sent that money to a bunch of serving Nazis. That's just the money that came from us. The one hundred five billion. It's it's a hundred billion. It's roughly a hundred billion because Glenn Greenwald reported on this. Okay, it's a hundred billion that came from us. Uh, I got a hundred and five. Well, maybe a hundred five. Well, roughly around there. But um, some of the other countries stopped sending the money a couple months ago. They said they weren't going to send anymore. Which countries? Germany was one of them. Germany was like, yeah, we don't really. Is it Germany uh, uh, doing some shit with the U.S. over gas? Because you know, they blew up Ru- Russia's like for one of the gas pipes, and one of them was damaged. I mean, aren't they into that bullshit of getting uh, uh, United States gas for forty percent increase or whatever the fuck the amount is? They're they're, they're gonna pay the price for not going to with Russia on this uh, on, on, on the deal, the gas deal they have with Russia. They're gonna pay the price for this. They 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 can't keep. Uh, taking uh United States gas money. They're going to keep increasing the prices. I'm not sure about that per se. Um, I do know that they were one of the countries that made it clear to um, Ukraine that they couldn't continue to, they weren't sending any money. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And, they just don't uh, have it because like, again, like their people, they're not going to let their people suffer because of this conflict with Russia and Ukraine. 
And I think Africa did the right thing from the get-go because from the beginning, Africa said that they were going to remain neutral. And I think they did the right thing. And even though they were getting pressure from countries like France telling them, no, you need to take a side. They were like, no, you don't tell us what to do. Yeah. We're not getting involved in your conflict. Yeah. One of the, one of the worst countries to be taking orders from the, the France. We know how many black countries they fucked up and they, they still think they, they, they got slaves over there. Yeah, I should. We should uh, contact France and ask them. Have you guys paid reparations to Haiti yet? Or those black countries? I mean, it's not just France. All these other white countries were doing it. Belgium, one of them. They they all have a hand in it. And uh, on the topic of the guy that you were talking about tonight, I mean, this guy. What a fucking liar! <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm Jewish. I'm like, how do you fucking put that in a sentence? <laughs> I, is he trying to say I'm Jewish, but I'm Jewish? I'm like, <laughs> you're talking about uh, George. You talking about Santos? Yeah, Santos. Because I, I, I almost thought that you were talking about this. Like, well, maybe he's like antithesis, antithesis to DeSantis because their names almost sound the same. Yeah, you got DeSantis and DeSantos guy. And I'm like, bro, th- th- this guy basically said his mom died twice. I was watching Jimmy Dore before I watched your video. He was, he was that his mom died twice. They even made joke about that shit. That his mom died twice. <laughs> <laughs> he said his, his mom died maybe 10 years ago, and 10 years later, she dies again. No, yeah, she died in 9-11. And then the mom died again later on. I'm like, whose mom, who's the second mom? Was it his stepmom or something? <laughs> stepmom or uh what do you call it uh mother-in-law i'm like come on and the and the lies don't stop the lies don't stop with this guy and tulsi's just just whacking him over the head like and, and he's like yeah well, well well sir well you keep lying to the american people they're not dumb but i'm not lying he's like i'm not lying tulsi i'm telling you the truth i'm being smeared <laughs> that guy was horrible Horrible. I mean, I mean compare him to Ryan Grimm. Who, who's horrible between the two? That's... It was obvious, too, that he was lying there. Like, it's just, if you go on conservative media and you're the conservative guest and you let the conservative host, like, expose you, like, what was he thinking? Well, did you know that uh, he basically called himself an Afro... Brazilian, Jewish. <laughs> this dude was grabbing as much boxes he can tick to basically say you're coming after him. He's Afro, Brazilian, Jewish. I'm like, bro, shut the fuck up. Just admit you fucking lied. Take your medicine and go. I mean, <laughs> this guy's in New York, right? Yes, yeah, in the congressional district right above mine in Long Island, Ashura. How the fuck did this guy get elected, man? If, if he's t- telling so many fucking lies. Don't ask me. I, that, that's a rich district up there, so I, I ain't part of that district. They didn't do you, know what I ended up, you know what? I, I ended up getting a uh, an NYPD uh, uh, former detective as, as my congressperson this past election, <laughs> so... And the Democrat was terrible life also, so I was just like... I, I just pretty much just left it blank. Um, but you were talking about uh, African countries. Now, how, how many of you know about what happened with the uh, cobalt mines? 
that Anthony Blinken went over there and and pretty much just said, yeah, you're going to give us access to your cobalt mines <laughs> so we can batteries and, uh, and, and you know, it's the cars, you know, electric vehicles, whatever the case is. Uh, I'm going to ask you something, Roger. Uh, Go ahead. This, this is like a comic book reference. You do know basically when, when T'Challa's selling vibranium, he sells it in small doses for high prices. I'm like, why don't yeah. why don't they fucking do that shit for that cobalt? If they want cobalt that badly for batteries, sell it sell it small a small minimum price, a small small size for the most largest amount of money. Take your money, take make them fucking buy it from you for the biggest price you can fucking make. Yeah, uh, hey yo, ask them. <laughs> I, I can't I'm like. I'm like, uh, no, man. You not, make not, a fucking day. How many times did they fuck up your country? Yeah, I know. Also, you um, when talking about uh, uh, Roland Martin before, right? So, yeah. um, that's now. So, not specifically to Roland Martin, but there is a a class from the community that always, and you know, I would include um, Michael Render in this also. Um, Killer Mike. Stuck up rich black people to me. I mean, you had that one that ran for office against uh, Andrew Yang. He, she's a regular on a show. Someone who ran against Andrew Yang. Ran in the against Andrew Yang? Yeah, in she's the a regular. She's a regular on on, on a rolling show. Like I've, I've seen her before. A black woman. Oh, Maya Wiley. Yeah, I think that's her. She's oh, kind of yeah. tall. She got long braids. Yeah, yeah. She's corporate. Yeah, yeah. Well, she, yeah, yeah. She, she'd be on MSBSC a lot. So um, a lot of times what you'll see from the community is uh, 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 black capitalism disguised as black business, black-owned business, right? Yeah. And for a while, for, for years, that's something that we heard on whatever the case is, right? And I think it's really not until recently where people, black people are beginning to see, and maybe I saw this when I saw how Damon Dash treated his treated his workers. I mean, he had absolutely no respect for his work. Okay, in case anybody don't know, Damon Dash was Jay-Z's partner in Rockefeller. Um, I, I remember seeing a, um, a movie where they was going on uh, you know, back in the late 90s where they was going on tour they made a movie of you know like yeah he was also I um, saw Damon Dash how he treated his, his employees or whatever the case is Roger keeps cutting out yeah you're cutting out a little bit Roger let me go uh -oh. ahead and, and bring in um, Gator as well because I know he's been okay. waiting for yeah. a bit oh yeah I can hear you oh. okay Gator Gator you're on the mic Hey Sabrina, how you doing? Hey, how are you, Roger? Can you mute for just a second so I, we don't I'm get good, the thanks. I, I I'd like to say that I appreciate the fact that you turned up on the Pangburn Hangout because I think that you were being um, let down by the guys' uh, minimal, mi minimally naive um, economic purview. But I think you were good to go to that audience and just bring some of those issues to their attention because it was a good e educational thing that you did for them. Oh, thank you so much. No worries. I think it's, uh, you know, I, I think it was worthwhile you doing that. Um, to go to the room's topic, 
I'm, I'm going to say something that's probably a bit too brutal, but I'll say it anyway. Um, I actually think that well, I had a quick look at Cornell West's position, but I haven't really seen any of his interviews. So I don't know his detailed position, but he seems to be tweeting at the moment that um, Russian imperialism versus, um, you know, the wrongness of war. And I don't really think that it's appropriate for somebody to use the term Russian imperialism because there's so much more complexity to exactly what Russia was doing and why and when territorially. And it's only once it got pushed past the line that it executed an invasion when it didn't it didn't have to be put into that position. And Are you saying that? Now it's shed blood over territory that it finally recognised right at the last minute in order to justify the invasion. Um, I don't think that's really completely fair to call that imperialism, right? Now, Maya Benjamin's position, um, she's, list, she's written an article in the Salon recently, and she makes some fair points about this idea that there's now a security dilemma where essentially you get into this problem where neither side trusts each other and neither side can essentially really begin to act or is prepared to negotiate in good faith and how and you get into kind of like a conflict deadlock where you're basically going um potentially get locked into into conflict because you can't go into another into another option but but what she does there's a, there's a, something quite telling that she says in this article um which is a characterize her characterization of uh, something historic. I'll, I'll try and pull it up shortly. Um, just hold. Oh yeah, yeah. So she says that. Oh, I can't find it at the moment. I'll 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 come back to it. But she even she mischaracterizes some aspects of what Russia has done and why and how. And she uses very specific misleading language. Right now, what I think is going to actually have to happen here for the greater good is literally the end game of military violence inside the country right why do i say that and what does that what do i actually mean the us as the puppet master uh, with with its then backed up by its western lackey vassal states who've all chucked in cash as well have have clearly got a, a well-published strategy of how they want to inflict pain on Russia. This is in documentation. We're, we're following a printed strategy or give or take. And so what we've spent is now sunk cost, right? It's it, the money's gone. It's gone. And if and a big telltale sign that nobody is really bothering to talk about in the press for obvious reasons is how much and how quick. Now, we have spent, as you point out, over a hundred billion dollars altogether it's probably pushing 110 with america plus other countries right in what period of time in less than a year how that is that is more than any one year spent in afghanistan which roughly came to 22.3 trillion in 21 years now what were we doing in afghanistan well there was the brits and the americans were literally fully boots on the ground in a hot country full air power Camp Bastion being the largest fucking military base outside, you know, ever in a conflict zone or something like this, and all of these outposts and all of this other bollocks that we were doing, right, for no reason whatsoever. 
So how is it that we've spent the same amount of money for a year in Afghanistan for a for less than a year in, in, in Ukraine, where we officially don't have boots on the ground, we don't have any air power, we don't have any bases, and we're not feeding our own troops inside a very cold country, right? Is that not a clue to, to stupid people that the game in Ukraine from a financial position, purely a financial position, isn't what we're being told it is, right? And when you look into how much money is spent out of that 105 billion on hardware, it's only about 25%, 20 to 25% of that money's gone on hardware. And where has over 40% of that hardware gone? Fuck knows. Onto the dark web. It's, It's in North Africa, it's going into other parts of Africa, and it's going across the European continent, right? Into being sold off and stolen, right? Now, meanwhile that's not that's not mentioned so so we've got this whole other story going on about this war in the west meanwhile russia has got its position which is roughly what it says it is which is essentially fuck off away from our borders take your nazis away as well otherwise we're going to do the job for ourselves and they've gone and done that job now because zelensky who is really kind of a puppet has made very polarizing statements, which include, we will not negotiate with Russia whilst Putin is the head, which is essentially we require regime change. How do you backpedal from that? You don't. On the grounds of your own credibility, you don't, right? Because otherwise you lose your own legitimacy as you're held to account for saying, well, why is he backpedaling when he said he would never negotiate with Putin? Also, he's doing things like coming out with his 10 point plan which of, 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 of things that we can talk about, which about seven or eight of them are actually in Russia's original demands in December 2021, saying we will invade unless we can get to talk about these things. And, and Zelensky just ripped him off. But, but if, he, if he's prepared to rip off those talking points now, why wasn't he prepared to have negotiations around them before the invasion, right? So basically, the, the situation as I see it now is that Russia is never going to be a primary user of nuclear weapons. They're just not that stupid. Nobody is that stupid, right? Um, because Russia wouldn't, Russia won't do it. It has a kill switch system, which if that still works, and they claim it does, is the ultimate guarantee that they need. Because if anyone fires first at Russia, that kill switch will engage and literally annihilate the globe, is basically how that system works. So they have no need to engage um, a nuclear weapon first at all, right? Because they know that that, that's just not a tenable position. And so basically, if Russia gets to complete its military campaign to its satisfaction, which will probably going to involve completely taking more the DPR, LPR around to Odessa, it's probably that is probably the minimum requirement of land it requires now. What does it get? It gets 95%, it's something like 65 to 95% of GDP of Russia, of, of Ukraine, because it gets all of the gas underneath the DPR, right? And it will use that money to reconstruct that, that, the, that, the, the, the country, uh, 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 you know, on a reasonable basis. It's like 1.7 trillion cubic litres of gas. That's what it will get control, and it's got control of it now. 
and then and then it basically it will rebuild that 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 land and have to fight deal with a constant insurgency for the next ten or fifteen years from the west, right? Constantly putting terrorist attacks in and trying to destabilize it. But that but that's what it's probably going to get, in my opinion. And then in doing that, what it will do is it will have achieved a completely decisive military display that says all of you Western countries put all of this money in and you still got shat on in the end and you couldn't actually achieve what you claimed you were going to achieve, which is to defend Ukraine, keep it sovereign and keep it safe. And we told you you could have done that if you just listened to us in the first place. And if it goes that far, then the West will not have anywhere to really hide a narrative of pseudo success. But if you follow Medea Benjamin or Cornell West position, which is to say, no, no, we've got to negotiate now. We can't let this go on any further. That's the biggest mistake Russia could make because it would give the West liar room to spin a narrative that Russia was weak. So it really did have to come to the table when actually Russia is the one who is in the position to demand the most in negotiations because it militarily is winning, right? And it's and it's pumping in more that, that's going to kick off again soon. So it really, if I was Putin, I would just fight the war now because I've, I've, I'm so deep up to my neck in it. I might as well just see it out and destroy everything that I want to destroy, complete the destructive objectives, and then say, right now, who's left for negotiations now that we've got everything we want? And I think that's the way it should go, to be honest. I know that sounds harsh, but that is, that's the way I see it. Why not take the deal? Why? If I'm, if I'm, if I'm militarily I mean, yeah, in dominance, my it now, deal is going to be what want, I want it to be. Stop. Just take the deal and just make a ceasefire or whatever. Why? Uh, I say because it's gone too long. No, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how long it's gone. The time window is irrelevant, right? Because because who, on whose terms, right? Russia, if Russia is is militarily capable, equipped, motivated sufficiently to continue to fight the war, right? And every time it wins a battle and makes a further inch and destroys a bit more of Ukraine's weapons and Nazis, right? It wins more and so you just keep doing that and then if you win you don't need to negotiate like, I'm pretty if, sure at, at this point. Inch, every inch you take means that if you negotiate at any time you feel like negotiating you are negotiating from increasing strength which means you get a better deal right that's that's I'm there's pretty no sure reason it, it, for, nego- for rush to I'm negotiate sure everybody knew that ukraine was never going to win this war everybody knew that so why do they do it um, they be, they be, they basically wanted the with the Donbass, I believe, because the Donbass was basically fighting against the Nazis, and they wanted to go. Well, they want to be part of Russia, just like with the what was that place where basically they said that Russia took it over. Uh, I forgot what it's called. Um, the Crimea. They, Crimea, yeah, Crimea basically wanted to be Russia because the the Nazis were encroaching on them. So basically, with the Donbass, they're doing the same thing. So nobody basically, no, everybody knew that basic. Um, uh, Ukraine was never going to beat Russia. Russia had more military strength. They got more money. Basically, Russia basically showed them that with all the money pumped into this, they're still fighting. So at the end of the day, I, I think basically the U.S. knows that they can write whatever story they want and say we won, Russia lost. I don't think Putin cares about the, whatever story the media writes. 
I just want to add, um, I think I hear where both of you are coming from. My question that I have is the fact that listening to multiple people, including journalists who are on the ground there in Russia, like Wyatt Reed, it is very evident that they are not going to win this war. So if that is the case, what is the point of still continuing to fight when more people are dying because of it? Okay. I mean, I, the way I look at it, from, mili- from the military perspective of, Ukra- of, of, of Russia, their two objectives are consistent and they're, and they're sp- specific but also weirdly vague terms. Demilitarization and denazification. <clears throat> now, there are some people... You know, people, individuals on calling who who are pro narrative, who don't, who claim that they don't understand what denazification means, but that's a, that's a well established term going back to the Yalta uh, Accord um, post World War Two. Literally, the removal of Nazis from power structures by any means, right? And it's, we've been through that before post Second World War. Now, now Russia is pursuing that by killing and capturing and defeating in battle Nazis. And they intend to remove them from the ruling ruling network power network where they can. Right now, the other thing is demilitarization. Well, you know, the military analysts that I would say are relatively consistently credible are Ritter, McGregor, and they basically point out, well, what what's Russia doing? It's doing slow grind um, destruction of uh, Ukrainian armed forces, which is demilitarization. And they want to, in that, in the pursuit of that objective, they are literally radically increasing the reconstructive cost of whatever remains of Ukraine to whoever foots the bill. And basically, the you know what the West now faces is the reconstruction bill for infrastructure, military, and essentially. Per, per, you know, citizen rehab, right? And the more damage that that um, Russia does on that basis, and the bigger that bill becomes, the more guaranteed is the fact that Ukraine will never be allowed to join NATO because NATO won't want to officially pick up that bill, and they will not be allowed into the EU because the EU cannot then pick up the tab to subsidize the full reconstruction. <clears throat> Ukraine. But they, were, they were never. They were never going to join the EU. Also, I mean, the, the EU, they were never going to join it. It's just a carrot. They're throwing a carrot in Ukraine's face, but they're never going to join the EU. The EU. The EU was literally saying that that you that the, that they would take Ukraine. It was only Russia turning around to Yakushenko. I think his name was. Well, that's, uh, that's um, not- that's not really say, true. They're not going to You're going to have to basically pick. They're just, they're just but, saying that. They're not going to let Ukraine in. Ukraine doesn't have the money to even be in NATO. It, yeah, exactly. Because uh, and and so the the Russia, if Russia wants Ukraine to be de facto neutral and de facto not in NATO, right? It's not going to trust that by doing a deal and signing a piece of paper saying you're going to choose to be neutral, that that's going to keep Ukraine neutral. That's not going to happen like that. 
The way that you make sure that Ukraine remains neutral and out of NATO is by bombing the shit out of it so that it is far too expensive for NATO members itself to carry Ukraine. Like, uh, and that I mean, is what I, Russia is doing. I disagree on that part, the bombing the shit out of it. I think they should just sign it. Zelensky should just take his chances, sign the paper, and get the fuck out of Ukraine before the Nazis kill. But he's not going to. He would have done it by now. I mean, you had his... I think it's important to remember when we're talking about this conflict with Russia and Ukraine and who is president of the United States at this point in time, it is important that we remember the Hunter Biden laptop story. Yeah. It's important that we remember that Joe Biden's son had business dealings in Ukraine. Yeah. And so just something to keep in mind there. The other thing I think that is important to remember is the amount of money to be made off of this war by the military industrial complex. Yep. Absolutely. That's a, that's a dead cert. I mean, what are, we, what are we looking at? We are looking at, I mean, and, and that's before you factor in probably the probable outcome of FTX using as a laundry, as a laundering front for, for a number of different political actors. So, um, you know, one of the things that I found interesting about this in terms of how Russia has used information, and I've put this to a few people, and not all of them kind of agree with me, but I'll quickly float it. <laughs> Did they call you a Nazi? <laughs> well, okay, so it, hang on. If you imagine um, the Western media sphere, right? So it's a bubble that contains all of our news, right? It's, it's a West-controlled news, alt and and mainstream. But basically, Russia's blo- locked out of penetrating the, the mainstream sphere. The, t- the West's tight control and narrative stops any real um, proper representation of, the, of Russia's position. To find Russia's position, you have to look outside of the Western sphere. So Russia is shit at, at penetrating the Western narrative sphere. It's just not very good at propaganda. It doesn't really do counter propaganda very well. But what it does do, I've noticed, is it's it's been very consistent in what it says for years, right, about what it wants and what it thinks is going to happen and why why that is the case. And once the conflict kicked mm-hmm. off, it's been very consistent as well in saying that we have evidence of bioweapons labs, we have evidence of Nazism, we have evidence of um, essentially the other side of Hunter Biden's laptop deals, we've got them. Right. The Ukrainian NABU came out in April or May saying, yeah, we've got the reverse of his trades and all of his stuff in, 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 in Ukrainian. Um, and that's one of the anti-corruption units in, in, in Ukraine, believe it or not. Right now, since then, Russia has done something which America has never really done. It's gone first to the UN and consistently presented the bioweapons lab stuff and the chemical weapons stuff to the UN and demanded investigate formal investigations under the biological weapons convention which has been blocked by the us and some of its allies in the un right so there's no intent to allow transparency in that because the us is blocking it now what what does this represent the un sorry russia is basically dropped a few what could turn out to be very slow burning truth bombs about what the west has really been doing and as time has truth bomb has started to detonate because now it's as sabrina reminds us hunter biden's laptop story is guaranteed true i've seen the contents of it his 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 128,000 emails 
are available online for searching and have been for ages. And um, they are the, the content is a 644-page PDF report has been done by MarcoPoloUSA.org where you can read all about it, right? And you can basically pretty much check out his tackle, right? And his choice in, in partners. It's ridiculous, right? Now, all of that truth is being staved off just about held off by the mainstream media, but it's starting to penetrate. But once that fundamentally penetrates the, the perception of the average American and the average Brit and the average Westerner, America is far more fucked than it is now because suddenly it's dealing with the problems of funding a war that probably it loses and having to explain that one again, whilst at the same time dealing with the fact that more of the population has woken up to Twitter manipulation, FBI corruption, Hunter Biden corruption, and therefore major warfare, biological, chemical weapons corruption by the US in a time no. of COVID. Um, Can anybody hear me? Like, I just, one second, so I just want to uh, um, mention oh, this. Oh, you can hear me good. Yeah, the last time Raytheon had layoffs was in 2020. They laid off 20,000 employees because of losses during the pandemic, right? So again, what was happening during the pandemic, right? There weren't as many commercial flights. Obviously, they weren't making weapons for defense at that time. Like a lot of us, especially here in Massachusetts, there's a big Raytheon location here in Massachusetts. So we were locked down. So just keep in mind, they laid off 20,000 employees, and that's just them. I didn't look up Lockheed Martin and Northrop Grumman yet, but I'm pretty sure they lost money during the pandemic too. So the point that I'm trying to make is this. They got to make that money back. Yeah. They don't have to necessarily hire those employees back or hire back 20,000 employees, but they're going to find a way to make that money back. And here we are, 2022, with Russian-Ukraine war. Yeah, and a big demand for artillery shells. Yeah, go ahead, Sol. Hi, can you hear me, everybody? Hello? We can yeah. hear you. Yeah, we can hear you. You can hear me loud and clear? Yeah. Yep. Okay, I'm sorry, man. I was, I didn't change anything. I just went back on and it came back on. I don't know. Um, yeah, I was waiting a long time. Like, uh, Noelle nailed it, by the way. She, like, put it clearly as it is. I don't get trapped. Like, I've been trying to stay away from all this kind of talk because it's very clear what's going on with the U.S. and, and Ukraine and what the whole, you know, theater that they did with uh, uh, Zelensky coming to. Why is this dude in freaking Congress? Why is he in front of people selling the same thing that is already sold? He's, he, what the hell was that about? Uh, one question, so... No, one yeah. question I have for you. So he wasn't he wasn't using the US. I thought basically I thought it was uh what's her face that basically uh, went green to screen? <laughs> no Zelensky. Yeah, green oh, screen, Zelensky, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. No, I didn't, he I didn't was actually was there, there because they, he gave him a flag and everything. Yeah, uh, he I was there. No, I thought it was like uh, what? What's her face that went to see him in Ukraine? Um, no, he no, was actually he was here. here in DC. This was like big yes. news. Yeah. He was and here in D.C. and Max Blumenthal, that. yeah, Max yeah. Blumenthal even interviewed people outside of the event. Oh, yeah, right. yeah, yeah. Yeah, like, people don't catch that. Like, what is that about? Like, 
I mean, I, I, I am not so savvy as like my, my brothers over here as Case Study and Roger Meadows because I have so much shit on my plate. I'm sorry for the for the French. I have so much stuff on my plate and all I am all I am doing is like I'm viewing this from a person that is gonna get affected because my voice is not heard out there. And I don't have a channel and like I was looking at the population of America. It's like three hundred and fifty something billion people. <clears throat> And we only we are like here, like in uh, Sabi's room, RBN, and all these lefty media groups. We're like not even a percentage of what's really going on. What's actually being heard in in like getting to the Capitol, the people that actually get to the Capitol to speak about these things, and and they just watched it on TV. This little dude came on and just like, hey, give me some money. All right, here you go. You know what I mean? Like, what am I going to do about like that? I can't do anything about that. This this has already been decided. Like, this is what I'm trying to say. This has already been decided. This proxy war was already planned since 2023. It's been planned. This is something that is not new. We can hear, sit here and speculate who did what. Russia was not the aggressor, by the way. And I hate when people say Russia was the aggressor. Russia was not the aggressor. Russia is actually the adult in the room. They've been sitting down trying to get peace talks. UN, NATO, everybody, US doesn't want to hear it because you know what? Like um, Sabi said, this makes money. And like every war, war makes money for the people on top. And who, who, who suffers from this? Now the, the British people like yep. uh, Gator is experiencing this kind of fallback. If you join this, this kind of rhetoric and this kind of idea that these these wars are waged for freedom, they're not waged for freedom, they're wa they wage for profit. I mean, this is down the line since the american natives like when was the last time that the u.s honored a treaty when was the last time that they kept that word never so what are we what are we doing here we can just sit here and look at them and say oh well you know um oh well i like the politics and the way this guy is handling this no dude it's fucking people are dying man people are freaking dying i don't care if it's ukrainians i don't care if it's the russians i care about people dying and this is the thing that's glossed over when, when we look at Zelensky getting honored and, and everybody's like clapping and we over here like, yo, this is messed up. Like, okay, so what? What now? This is going to come back on us because the money that they're spending on this war is taking every little thing that we need here in America. Not just here in America, but also in the UK now. Sorry, UK, you also feeling it. Sorry if I'm being a yeah, little Yeah, UK is feeling yeah, it, so but I just want to add really quick. Uh, you know, we talked about this the other night about people in the UK not having heat. But like I told you guys, but pay attention to who does have heat. King Charles mm -hmm. has heat. Buckingham Palace mm -hmm. has heat. Anyone who's wealthy in the UK right now probably has heat. Yep. So, so this is the saying. problem. It's like, again, when you take, put the parties, the political parties aside, the people who are wealthy always have even when middle class people are, are without even when the poor people and the working class and the middle class are without the wealthy people still have they can afford well, these high grocery prices right now for inflation you know what i'm seeing now that's different than you know what i'm seeing now that's different than before all these other wars that have been starting they learned how to launder basically i mean they've been laundering money through wars basically all the time but they learn now that the public is not the it they they, they see that we're we're not affecting 
what they're doing. Because we're not we're not like Paris. Paris is out there in the street for little shit. Like, yo, they're out there. We're not out there. We're out there for like five days and then like, no, we're done. Like, we're not doing that. What what other other countries are doing right now. They, they learned that we're like passive. Yeah, we're passive now. We, they learned, they tell us to be passive. Even though we're angry, they know that we're going to be passive. They know like, okay, this is how it is. We're just going to deal with it. The next president that comes along. But hello, the next president that comes along, the next prime minister, the, the UN, all these people are in a pocket. They are in, in this little pocket that they're, uh, they're using this power that they, like, they know it's draining. They, they know they're losing control of the global power right now. So they know that. But so I what they're doing what, right now, they, yeah, go ahead. I think what we have to understand when we compare ourselves to other countries is a, a couple of things. Number one, they have a different mindset than we do. When you see right. Sri Lankans like rise up and say, we're going to kick the prime minister out of his home. They have a different yeah, mindset. Country. They're able to small come country, together. Same thing with the French. Like this isn't the first time uh, French people have been out in the streets. Oh, Let's go dude, all the way back like, to the yeah. Let's go all the way back to the yellow vest. Yes. Like, I, I mean, this has been going on for a long time. Again, they have a totally different mindset than we do. And also, unlike the United States, a lot of these other countries are not a melting pot like the U.S. is. We are divided over a number of issues in this country. We're divided oh, racially. Yeah. We're divided economically. We're divided by political parties. Mm-hmm. So you see, they don't. it's easier to get people to come together when everybody looked the same. That's why it's, and that's something I want people to really understand. If you talk to people who live in those countries where it's more of a monolithic, like I think South Korea is the most, I think to this day, South Korea is the most monolithic country in the world. So And Japan. Uh, I, I, I think, well, maybe, I think Japan's a little bit more, has a little bit more uh, integration. It, but is, isn't North is, Korea going like, to be more monolithic than South Korea, if you think about it? That's I true, think I think I think you're correct, Gator, on that. Yeah, it's easier to get. It's, hey, hey, guys, let's all come together. It's easier to do that when everybody look alike. It's easier to do that when everybody's the same race, when everyone's the same religion. It's easier to do that. It's easier to unite the working class when you don't have those things dividing you. In the United States, we have division among multiple categories, and it is much harder to get the working class people united because of all the other categories that separate us. Yeah, but I'm looking at it in this in this way, like Eric T. Red just stated, like Europe is under U.S.'s thumb. They're benefiting from like the, the like you said, the people on top are benefiting from this war from any war that happens because they all are running the same scam. Because you can't run a, a whole scam on the, around the world if they don't have the biggest leaders in this country, in this world, in these global global leaders aligning themselves to do it. This is something that is unified. It's 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 a front. Right. You, you understand what I mean? Right. People have to understand that, like, we are the ones, not us personally, but the United States government is the one taking the lead. And usually, like for the most part, like that's how it's been. So if the U.S. government is the one taking the lead and there are other countries that take their advice from us. So, for example, when I was on George Galloway's show, what did he tell me? He said, Sabrina, we usually follow the lead of the United States government. So whatever you do, we usually do that here. Exactly. That's what I'm stating. Like, I'm stating that the people that are are, are, like the people that have the strings right now, there's China 
and let's say now they're awakening South America with their with the new minerals that they have a new kind of power, but they're still not united. But China and Russia are united in this. They're not going to allow uh, America or Europe to take over whatever what whatever's making their their country prosper. By the way, because. Russia and China are not hindering America from pro prospering. They're not hindering UK from prospering. That's that's the intent of the US and the UK. Not UK, the NATO, the NATO nations, the people that are aligned with the NATO. So it's it's not it's not Russia against us, the regular people here on uh, uh, on this side or in, in UK side, like the Gator and all these people that are here just looking at this happening unfolding before us. It's the it's the controlling powers, and the thing is that we have things that we have take take. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, I'm getting an echo. So I think yeah, it's I'm you, Roger. Echo, so. Oh, you. sorry. So right, right. I, I don't. I, I certainly am under no illusions about about. There's nothing. This nothing to do with freedom. Mm. Certainly not from a Western perspective or. And it's not about sovereign protection of a sovereign nation. Ukraine is not a sovereign nation. It is not no, a sovereign not. nation on a military basis, a governmental political basis, or a financial basis. It is a slave nation on all mm -hmm. three of those bases since at least 2014, if not earlier. Right? It's it's part of a it's a it's a it's a it's a political nexus. It's a political pawn in a geopolitical game that's being pretty badly played right depending upon what you who, who you who you think is the benefactor right but mm -hmm. um my point is ultimately that if you want a, a longer term benefit net beneficial outcome that is going to come from the um unambiguous humiliation of the western narrative about this war what you want is essentially if, if you want the citizens to benefit in the longer term you want the ruling classes of the west who have pissed all this money up the wall and literally killed a load of ukrainian people by, by not by allowing the war to continue or to actually begin See, Gator, that's what that's what we diverge that's where we diverge the u.s is not doing we are not doing this we what? the people of the americas are not doing yeah, but it's this. never about South the people it's never about yeah, the people so, so that's what I want you to focus on is the powers that be are doing this. Yeah, but wait. So if you negotiate, if, if the war stopped and, and by negotiation now, the, the ruling classes on the East and West would both create narratives in their spheres. And our narrative in the West would be, yeah, we did the right thing. We executed the right strategy because we beat Russia because we eventually got it to stop. And it had to end by negotiation because our strategy had power. You don't want that as a citizen. What you want well, is your leaders well, the thing to is have that, nowhere the thing to is go that United with States that didn't want a resolution. They wanted a war. Exactly. And when yeah, when, you, when the I U.S. You, wants a war, the point. it doesn't you're matter how many point. diplomats, how many how many people come with a common sense like you have, Gator. I respect your com. I, I respect your voice, but I'm trying to tell you, you and I, we have the common sense to say, "Hey, we need a resolution. This is too many killings on both sides." And the only people that are, are, are benefiting from this are the people that are not in the in, in the center of this war. They're the ones pulling the strings of this war. No, you missed my point about where how I believe the resolution is going to come, right? I don't agree with you. I think we've gone past the point where 
the, the, the time to end this by negotiation and basically go, we don't want too many people to die or we don't want any more people to die was over three months ago, right? And the problem is now we've gone past that point as Zelensky said things that he can't back out of and all these other, all, the, all these other political theatrical statements have occurred, right? And Russia has now invested in its mobilization, its tanks, and, it, and it's capable of executing a major onslaught is doing by is by missile and air and whatever else, right one citizens on mass in the west will benefit over the next 10 to 15 years better if russia terror it wins the war because then all of the dumb citizens who've in the west who've believed the western narrative up to this point will suddenly be faced with the unassailable truth that they were lied to by Biden and all these other rulers of the West. And that, and then they're them being unable to hide those lies and those citizens going, fuck, we got fucked. We just got fucked to the tune of $150 billion to pissed upon a country that the Russia ended up winning. And, and after all that money and after all the bullshit rhetoric from our leaders, we didn't, we definitely lost in that war again after Iraq and Af Afghanistan. And so the next time round, we will never ever fucking support another fucking proxy war, which basically shuts down the ability for the West to try to mobilize any more NATO spending in any of the bordering Russian states, right? And it will mm -hmm. basically start the, the collapse and re withdrawal of NATO as an entity. And then it will re and, and that will be the grounds for Europe to re-stabilize itself and reinvest in its own defense on its own terms, which will diminish the power of the US over Europe. And that in itself will create a slightly counterbalancing power block, right? Inside the Europe-US paradigm, which will then start to wind down Russia's threat counter, you know, its concept of threat, because it wants Europe to do its own defense. It doesn't want Europe to be a bitch to NATO, which is essentially the U.S. hegemony. Correct. And those yes. things will all come from a military win by Russia and a, and a military loss by the West. And that's yes. why I think that's what we what has to happen for the yes. next the best benefit in the next 15 to 20 years. I 100 percent agree. Like we we in the West, like the people that. Not we, because I'm just a peon. I'm just a regular dude. But like Wes needs their ass kicked, basically. I'm sorry for being blunt, but they, we need our, they need their ass kicked because the, the hubris that they have is that they have control over everybody's um, borders, basically. Like they can be, they can, and they could, they could put ships right next to China and Japan. Well, Japan agreed to have bases there, but they could be around uh, uh, the, uh, the Middle East. Nobody says anything about it, but as soon as the Middle East does a little anything about their what's happening with them, like Palestine or anybody else, mm -hmm. like Syria, anybody else, right away the U.S. goes, "Hey, this is this is a terrorist country. We need to we need to step in." Well, well, what, what happened with Ukraine was Ukraine was an opportunity, like everything else that the U.S. does. It takes an opportunity and expands it and creates a war that is not that they're not directly involved in, but they 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 fund. The, both sides basically they will yeah, find so both gonna, sides I just, I just want to make sure we get uh, other people in to speak as well um case we yeah have i'm happy to duck out uh, let me speak sabrina thanks very much thanks gator 
Uh, case, we haven't heard from you. And Eric, um, or Case, we have heard from you. We haven't heard from you in a while. And Eric, we haven't heard from you. So uh, if either one of you want to jump in and unmute. Go ahead, Eric. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Hey, it's working. Oh, a bit of housekeeping. Uh, Sabrina, are we doing a show tomorrow? Yeah. All right, just checking. I think, uh, who was it? Bad Cookies. I think, you know, yep, he's happy about that in the chat. <laughs> I mean, with, with, with the Ukraine thing, I mean, personally, I, I don't think the outcome in Ukraine is, is going to change things one way or the other, really, systemically. I mean, if you look at, at how we got our asses kicked in, in Iraq when it all mm-hmm. came down to it in Afghanistan, it's, you know, I, it's it's not really about winning or, or losing, and I you know I, I think and one of the notes I wrote down for myself is like we you know we, we're taking what our what I call them our leader ghouls say like like way too seriously, and I mean it, it it's like um, it's like Assange said I mean this whole thing is just about funneling money up to the you know through the military industrial complex and, and up into the the whole billionaire class and and the whole thing that's that's the whole point of these of these wars and and at this point you know everything's going great you know for these billionaires it's it's all working and and like we were talking about like this enlistment and soldiers and i mean i i don't think they, i don't think they care about military enlistment I mean, they're not, they're not running an army to win. <laughs> you know, they're not running an army to like, to like have you know, military victories like World War II styled. I mean, it, it's a grift. And in future wars and future armies, at least from the U.S. side, are, are going to be robotic. I mean, that's another thing I, I think that people don't take into account enough is, <laughs> is, is it's, it's, you know, you, you think these robot dogs are, are something. I mean, it's, this is just the start. And so, mm-hmm. you know, it, they, they're just going to figure out ways to just keep, keep the profits rolling and keep the money rolling. And I, I think understanding that and how these interests are playing in and lining up is really important because if we're going to figure out how to have a mass movement and what's going to inspire a mass movement, we need, we, we need to get straight what's going on and, and all the narrative. I, I was uh, there's a new Caitlin Johnstone out. I was reading, and, and she's always just talking about narrative. And so I, I think the big thing we got to figure, out, we got to do, is to focus on the money, and and the narratives, and you know, and and what's our counter narrative. And if we can figure that out, you know, then maybe we can inspire this mass movement and, and these masses of people. Well, there's going to be two that I know of uh, protests coming up soon, anti-war protests, one in February. And Medea Benjamin said tonight, one in March, March 8th, which is my birthday, um, against this this war as well. Um, so those are good to check out. What do you think about this February 19th one, Savvy? Again, I said this the other night. I'm sorry, but because it is led by Nick Brana, and I'm usually not that person, but I'm going to be that person. This guy is accused of sexual assault. I interviewed him and I interviewed his accuser and I don't feel comfortable putting myself in that situation, period. Like, I'm just sorry. It, too bad it's led by him, not someone else, but it is what it is at this point. I think the people's party would actually move forward and do better if Nick Bronner were to step down, but that's a whole uh, other discussion. Uh, I feel you on that. I, I guess it's them and it's the libertarian party. 
I, I, I guess the, the thing on the other side of it is it does seem like a pretty big event, and you get Jimmy Dore speaking at it. So it, it's kind of there are things on the other way too. It's it's kind of a tricky one. Mm-hmm. It ain't that tricky for me when I saw him. <laughs> I got a sneaky little <laughs> uh, Nick Brana problem. Um, you know, I kind of started similar idea back in 2016 called the People Party. And then Nick Brana came along and did his thing. Somehow or another, he's more popular than I am. But uh, uh, Somebody else said that too, Brady. Somebody came in. I forget what show this was. It was one of the call-in shows that I did. Somebody came, came on the call, and they said that Nick Brana stole the People's Party name from them. So I've, I've heard this from different people that they had already had that name. Yeah, I, I wouldn't well, accuse him well, of stealing that idea. It's a, pretty, it's a pretty popular and basic, I mean, obvious idea for a party name. To be so fair, they, they did a vote. Of that, but I, I do to think be fair, that, they did a vote and that's, that's what the vote came out with. I remember voting for that. Yeah. And yeah, you also think, got I a twenty. They also got a twenty thousand dollar logo. So you know, <laughs> that was some nonsense. That was some nonsense for sure. That's a legit criticism, right there. Um, but yeah, you know, we can just totally sidestep Nick and just do. I mean, it, it looks like he's not even really trying to make a party or really trying to get people on the ballot. Like, I don't see any real candidates anyway. Like, it's not how I would organize it myself. I, I'm more like, I want to see actions. I want to see things happening, you know. So that's just me personally. But, you know, I've got a lot of ideas as far as how to end this war in Ukraine. It's good to hear anything from Dr. Cornell West. I love that guy. And um, my best idea, I think, is... It might not be my best idea, but what I would like to see is before we give one for any war ever, there should be an open debate that is moderated by like all the gnarliest journalists we know. Like Sabi would be a fantastic debate moderator for this Ukraine situation. She might even point us in the direction of some some better people. I think like Whitney Webb would have some good insight on that. Matt Taibbi would probably have some good insight. Even Alex Jones. I would love to see Alex Jones be a debate moderator for like something like this. That would be. They can answer some real questions, you know. You you'll definitely uh, have fingers pointing at Sabi. I knew she was right. Wing, I think it's only fair to you know allow for some right wing voices in the moderation, or at least maybe yeah, some more neutral Alex voices. Jones? Maybe not Alex Jones. Alex Jones is not the best part of that. <laughs> you don't want the families of Roger. Before we spend a dollar on anyone anywhere, there needs to be an open debate on to make sure that they've tried every line of communication and negotiation before we in any war, you know, because I never see that in any of these scenarios. All the debates are kind of proxy. They have representatives talking to representatives, and they might give... So, Brady, I, I, I agree with you. I, I agree with you, and it's a good idea, but but they're not listening to us. Like, and so why aren't they listening to us? And, you, and it's the same answer to every what political why question. You know, it's the money. Yep. That's what I said, Eric. Like, then they don't care about what we're saying right now. We we can march right up to the Capitol, and they would like just cop us out, out of there. Unless we got a billion dollars in our pocket, like, yeah, so exactly. how do we deal with the money? And that's why that's always my focus, and what you know, what my demands put it number one. And I think the sure, other I problem. Make sure, um, one second, Noel, because Case, I know Case has been waiting. Case, I wanted to go ahead and get you in here too as well. Thank you. Um, yeah, I just want to say real quick um, that I wish we, we have to find a way to systemically make it 
um, not viable to do wars. But unfortunately, you know, we're human beings throughout all of our history. We've had wars, right? So, like, systemically, what I mean, we have the United Nations for a reason. Unfortunately, they're not doing their job. Otherwise, this wouldn't be happening right now. But maybe, like, every time you use a bomb, you have to you're, you have to put a certain amount of money into a, a bank to, like, to, to then um, rebuild where you're just bombing. So, for example, in this conflict, is Russia saying that they want to take over a certain part of Ukraine? That's another thing is maybe... They should allow for the people, from what I understand, they want to be part of Russia. But then at the other side of this, I think about what if the majority of Texas wanted to become part of Mexico? Like would the United mm-hmm. States just say, okay, yeah, you could go ahead and be part of Mexico, or would there now that would we be fighting Texas? I don't know. The but US, I think well, system- the Republicans, the Republicans in the U.S. would be against it because they still want those votes. They still want those votes and they still want the federal dollars because I'm sure Texas is not a um, it's like a nanny state in the sense of they, they receive more money from the federal government. I, I'm sure I could be wrong, but I, I'm pretty sure that, that um, it's a lot of red states that they get more money from the federal government than they put into the overall system. You know, yeah. But um, yeah, I think systemically wise, we need to I wish we find a way to say, hey, if you're using and the other thing is like just to make. Um, wars um, or people who manufacture weapons, a nonprofit, like throughout the whole as a globe, we say if you're going to um, create weapons, it has to be uh, a not a profit uh, industry, because whenever there's profit involved, whenever there's capitalism involved, then there's incentive. There's going to be the incentive to want more of it. Because that's literally why the Ukraine war has been going on for so long is because it's, you know, Raytheon and all these military industrial complex organizations are making a ton of money. You know, that's how I feel about this situation. That's the reason why we need we should nationalize it, remove the profit incentive out of it. Yeah. Um, Also, also. um, Yeah. 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 What you what you were saying about. uh, Republicans would be against uh, Texas, uh, I don't know, bringing Mexico into Texas or whatever the case is because of votes. Now, the funny thing is, most of the, uh, the Latinos that are coming here voting Republican. So, so that, that, I mean, that's something else. Um, because when it comes to also, the economic issues, you know, especially if you're looking at, um, if you're looking at the Cuban population, particularly in Florida. <laughs> When it comes to the economic issues, they don't want something similar to what they had in Cuba. So, yeah, they're more likely to vote for the Republican Party. Yeah. Yep. Um, One of the things we've realized is that Democrats and Republicans are are the same. And so, but what we've got is this mass of people in, in, in this country who believe the narrative that they're different. So I think we always need, we always should be pushing against that narrative and just saying, you know, whether you vote for one or the other, it, 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 you know, you, you think one's, you know, one's better than the other, you know, that how quaint, how cute, you know, that that's adorable. But when you're ready to hear the truth and, you know, get the red pill, you know, you mm-hmm. need to start focusing on, on the billionaires, the top 1%, the money, and how do we get them to represent us instead of representing the billionaires? <laughs> Sabrina, I would like to, um, I was thinking about this for a, a while. So 
guess who I nominated the worst president in the past 75 years? Who do you think I picked? Obama? Nope. Who? Donald Trump. Trump. <laughs> Trump? Trump. You didn't hear what I said? Economically? Uh, no, no. I said Truman. Oh, oh Harry Truman. Truman. Oh, yes. Yes. Okay. Wow, you went way think back there. Think of every single problem that we've been having that all came from him. We're talking about nuclear bombs. That was Truman that did that. Okay. He didn't have to do that. I heard Japan was going to, was getting ready to surrender anyway. Yep. Okay. Oh, yeah. Think of the issues That's that true. we're having with, like you said, oh, we can't get together and so on and so forth because it's not homogenous and so on and so forth. You for, you also forgot to uh, mention the fact that a lot of times it's the NSA and the C CIA that are infiltrating us and stopping us from getting together. They were yep. born out of the Truman administration. Mm -hmm. Yep, mm -hmm. that's true. We're still living in Truman's shadow. Think of mm -hmm. every single problem that we have, you know, Truman Missile Crisis, all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. even though Truman later regretted signing this, you know, CIA. I, I forgot the name of the act, the Security Act, mm -hmm. or whatever it was called that signed the CIA. The National Security Act? Yeah, yeah. He yeah, regretted it later on after JFK died because he knew, you know, the, the entanglement with the CIA. Oh, the military you know. industrial complex. That came from yeah. him. Yeah, you know, yeah, and he yeah. he created he created, well, he created that was Eisenhower, right? Was that yep. was Eisenhower before Truman? Oh yeah, yeah, that's that's true. That is true. Well, it, it could have been it could have been any one of the talking puppets, any one of the Freemasons could have been thrown in there. You know, he's a Freemason. He's part of the weird Boy Scouts club. But my main concern is like, you know, we know who the bad guys are. We know we know everyone is involved. We know the story and the history. We're all there now. But what are we going to do about it? So we got some marches coming up, and that's good. You know, that's better than nothing. It's a good way to get the, the word out. There's, I think there's some creative new ways that we can make those marches more effective. Um, like instead of making kind of uh, <clears throat> annoying – make, make the chants more informative is just a suggestion that I have. Like if someone's coming up with chants, I can help write some much better chants <laughs> that are just a little more informative, a little more information-dense. And I would suggest the same thing with the signage. Like we live in the day and age where we can print out uh, websites and even full articles in large print and blow that up on a sign. And then when the mainstream mute, uh, news is reporting on the protest, someone could potentially pause the screen and read the entire article or just the links to some articles on someone's sign and you could essentially be hijacking mainstream news to have independent journalism with independent journalism. It's just, just a couple ideas to keep in mind while we're out there marching. But outside of marching, what are we going to do to really make these guys change their behavior? It's not going to be easy. These are the most ruthless warlords on the planet. And the first thing that came to my mind was a general strike. But a general strike cannot happen without a network of mutual aid first. So I think the first step is honestly making establishing that network of mutual aid and really starting to take care of each other. But everything you're talking about, Brady, depends upon, and we've said this a million times, organizing the masses of people to do these things. And I really think, you know, first of all, I think war as an um, instrument um, of international operations should just be obsolete in the 21st century. And I think when you think about 
marching and protesting based on what is ethical and moral, I don't think these are going to resonate in the way that they did in the past, because at this point, Americans are not boots on the ground. So to protest is really going to be about the American funding of Ukraine. And if that money is not going to be redirected to domestic activities, it's not going to be the push from the groundswell. And, you know, a part we already have talked about um, the inflation that we're experiencing is not necessarily tied to, you know, um, the backlog in the supply chain and this and that. This is corporate America just gouging. But when they gouge like this, it creates trauma amongst the masses because people are surviving. We talk about what's going on in independent media, but like we've said before, this is a very, very small slice of the American electorate. And most of the people don't even know what we're talking about. They don't even know we exist. And they frankly are not focused on these issues. They're focused on their needs. And so I don't think the way that media has been co-opted by the corporate community, I don't think we're just going to see it. I don't think it's going to resonate because people are busy, you know, trying to survive out here. And that's being underreported. That whole Putin appearing before Congress was to dial in to the mainstream of America that still listens to that to build support for that. But I think, you know, not only, and I don't think it's just unique to the United States. I think the masses around the world are sick of what's going on. I think everyday Russians are just as fed up as everyday Chinese, as everyday mm -hmm. Yemenis, as everyday Palestinians. But we have a problem globally with a, you know, cabal that's, you know, waging these war games and, you know, we've had all these uprisings, but people are not able to break through. That's so true. how are we going to be able to break through is the question. What I are we going it, to do to break through? And I, I think, think I have another idea. To organize, we're going to have to. War narrative. We're going to have to rebuild those community structures that have been destroyed or damaged. And we're going to have to, as Sabi says, overcome the divisions amongst us in this country and start saying, hey, we're more alike than we're unalike. And we're going to have to strengthen the ties that bind and then build that momentum. And we're going to have to do it outside of the mainstream. And that's, yeah, you so know. That sounds like you're calling for a mutual aid project is what you're calling for, which is exactly what I was Trying, trying to suggest that we actually do. And, and I we need agree. an organizing network to do it. I mean, the people party is available. Let's hijack it. Like, don't let Nick, you know, you know, the, all this, all this talk about hijacking, just like the rebel, the Democrat revolution was supposed to be Occupy. hijacking the Democratic Party. It just it's it sounds good. But those things have not played well. They just haven't. Well, you got to you got to make them work good. Well, you know, you know what people understand? People understand money and corruption. You ask people, is Congress corrupt? What are they going to say? Yes, wicked corrupt, as we'd say here in Massachusetts, maybe. 
And so I, I think that's where we need to be hitting them. We, we need to be screaming yep. it. You how know, are we going to hit them? How, how are we hitting them? First, first you call, we have to construct our own narrative and our narrative has to be both parties are corrupt. They serve the same masters, focus on the money. They're paid off. They're I got a whole platform built for the people party that targets all that. Brings all the financial corruption, the medical corruption, the educational corruption, the agricultural corruption, all that stuff into question. And not only that, but the world global corruption of the globalists. So I would actually um, part of our platform is to reach out to the rest of the world, apologize for losing control of our own government and allowing our own government to do terrible things around the world on our behalf. You know, that is we are partially responsible for that. And I, I feel like we need to simplify our messaging. Just, I feel like mm. I feel like we need to simplify totally. our messaging. They're they're totally. corrupt. Absolutely, they're following yeah. the money. We have to do something about the money. Yes, demand like number uh, one. Yeah, one of the one of the ways I'll I'll handle corruption within the party is that um, all campaign contributions are put into one pot and democratically voted on for mutual aid projects. We're not spending money on advertising. We're not spending money on logos, anything like that. We're saying who needs water, who needs food, who needs medicine, who needs shelter. And we're going to start taking care of all those issues just on a very small scale is as much as we can with where we're at, with what we have, you know, and slowly it'll build and it'll advertise itself. Um, as soon as we start providing clean water in a town, you know, that'll be on the local news um, something like that. But uh, the more resources we have to help each other out, that makes it easier for us to fully step away from the system and say, okay, let's do a general strike. You know, we're going to stop paying taxes until this war ends. We're, we're not supporting it right now. People don't have an option to step away from their jobs. So that's, you know, why we need more projects like co-ops and also things called private membership associations. Super good for that. But I don't want to take up too much time. That's basically my whole idea. Um, I want to make sure we get some space for bad cookies coming in next. Oh, get the cookies in here. Cookies. Cookies. My customers, my customer agreed with everything you guys said. Awesome. Bad cookies, you're on the mic. Hey, Savvy, how are you tonight? I am doing all right. How are you? Um, doing Hi, great. cookies. We, we've great. never actually spoken. Now we've spoken to each other, right? <laughs> yes, Eric. How right. are you? <laughs> Well, Sebs, I'm really excited about your New Year's event. Um, I didn't catch it last year. What happened last year? What can we expect about? What can we expect for this New Year's show? Do you have anything planned? I'll go over it a little bit tomorrow night because I just got that schedule from Shane. Like Shane and um, Kerber Roast Media, they actually put all this together. Okay. Um, but there's going to be different panels throughout the day. Uh, who was it that put it together? Shane from Kerber Roast Media. Kerberos Media. Well, shout out to them. Thanks a lot for them putting that together. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, Heartlands Media will be a part of this too, so I'm really excited. In case I just got the schedule, looks like you're on there too. <laughs> nice. Um, well, this uh, whole Cornell West calls for peace situation. Uh, it's really uh, irrelevant. I feel that it's kind of a, a moot point. He can sit here and, and go on Democracy Now! and say, oh, yeah. It, well, the only thing he said that was true, and it's something that you emphasized, that I found it to be very poignant, was that if we are to do anything in terms of negotiating peace with Ukraine, it's to be initiated by Biden. That's not going to happen. 
So mm-hmm. it's it's just it's irrelevant to even have this conversation. It's it's not gonna do anything. It's not gonna motivate Thank anyone. Cookies. That's exactly what I was saying. Uh, so it's just uh, it's it's kind of disheartening because I I like I told you before. I think I told you this on Tuesday. I, I used to have a lot of respect for Cornell West. I used to think he was like a stand up dude, but the more I hear him talk, the more I just see him just standing up for the uh, the Democratic Party, and it's so disgusting. Uh, what do you think mm-hmm. about that, Savvy? Well, I didn't re- necessarily see him standing up for the party, per se, in this particular video. Yes, um, that's true. But, um, you know, I, I, I kind of, what you have to understand is someone like Cornel West, Medea Benjamin, and Bishop, um, oh, shoot, oh, Talbert, I'm about to say, I always forget his last name. They are, those are our are faith leaders. So they're people from the faith community. So to them, like, this is what their faith tells them to do, <laughs> is to call for peace. So them writing that letter and having other people sign on for it, this that's exactly what I expect someone in that position to do. If you are following your faith and your faith tells you, that you should try to make peace, that is what they are going to do. So I've been saying from day one, like this war should not happen. This conflict should not happen. This is gonna be a disaster economically, globally, economically, and look at where we are now. So, I mean, as soon as I I started to talk about the pipeline and all of this, I was like, this is not going to go well. And not just for people in Europe, but also for us. And we see the financial implications of that as well. It's so, not a it's not a financial disaster for everyone. Yes, the billionaires are doing well. Very good point. I feel like we That's need true. to be That's true. hitting but that. For the, for the majority of us, saying. it is. For the majority yeah. of us, it is. That's the problem. And I think that Cornell West said what I expected him. What I expected him to say. You know, now here's the thing. I I think we have to think about people's strengths, right? What are the areas where people are strong? So like Medea Benjamin, foreign policy, that is her strength. This is like her thing. Uh, You know, Cornell West is a scholar, you know, a thinker. And I feel like Cornell West is, is very passionate about like, well, we need to do what's better for mankind, like that kind of thing. Yeah. And he talks about foreign policy a little bit as well. But Medea Benjamin, like this is her life's work, you guys. So she's a part of Code Pink for people who are not aware. She was also at the Assange rally in D.C. Like Medea Benjamin does this all the time. She goes to protests about uh, war protests all the time. She'll lead war protests. She's written books about this. Like this is her life work. Like that is her thing. So I think we need to think about what are the areas where people are strong. And I know Cornell West does talk about foreign policy sometimes, but that is not his primary focus. So for me, I didn't expect him to get everything right that he was going to talk about in reference to Russia and Ukraine. I didn't expect him to get all of it right. But one of the things I said, pay attention to, pay attention to the way that Amy Goodman framed the question. See, that's something that for me, I think 
I'm an observer and I, I do that a lot because part of like when I do my show, like when I watch these video clips, I tell you guys, I watch them multiple times before I go live. So I observe what people say, how they say it. I observe their body language as well. And CJ is really good at this too. He's really good at picking up on these nonverbal cues and the way that they frame the questions. And so what I noticed with Amy Goodman, and I watched that whole interview twice, look at the framing. Everything that she did when she talked about every question time she asked question, notice how she framed it around Russia bad, Ukraine good, Putin bad, Ukraine good. So if you're not paying attention to the framing, it's easy to walk right into that and say, oh, well, yeah, you know, man, Russia, we got a gangster named Putin. It's easy to do that when it's been framed that way to you, especially if you're not as well versed in it as someone like, let's say the guys at the gray zone. Let's say uh, Wyatt, Wyatt Reed, who's actually there on the ground. You see, those people are not on democracy now. Why doesn't Amy Goodman bring on Wyatt Reed to answer those questions? Why doesn't Amy Goodman bring on Fiorella Isabel to answer those questions? The people who are actually there on the ground. Notice you won't see them do that. She'll bring on like the scholars. They used to do this. I don't know what the hell happened to de uh, democracy yeah. now. They didn't want to be this way. That's all I remember. Ate used to work at democracy now. And even he said when he came on that they have changed. They went corporate. Yeah, exactly. So you got to pay attention to that, that like pay attention to the way that they framed the question. And she did that every time. She was like, Russia bad, Ukraine good. And what I would have liked to seen was her have someone like Wyatt Reed on to give that pushback and to say, well, wait a minute. I think you need to be careful with the way that you just framed that question. Mm -hmm. And I've, I've seen people do that before. Well, they'll push back and then you'll never see those people invited on again. But wow. they'll push back and say, you're not framing this correctly. So you see anybody who watched that episode, even though Democracy Now! is technically technically independent, people who watch that video that don't really know the ins and outs of the Russia-Ukraine uh, Ukraine conflict, and they don't know the things that other channels on independent media are showing, maybe they, they don't, they've never heard of the gray zone. Maybe they've never heard of Wyatt Reed or Fiorella Isabel or any of those people. They'll watch that Max. and not even pick up on the cues that Amy was giving, knowing that Amy was already setting it up to be framed that Russia is bad. You didn't hear Amy frame anything to show you that Ukraine was also bad or that NATO was bad or at the US government was bad. It was only Russia was bad. So that's something I think when we watch these interviews with people, it's really important that we pay attention to the way they frame the questions. And you know that how um, they, when it's said about how, um, so Putin was provoked because we keep putting NATO forces on um, like the boundaries of, of Russia, whatever the case is. Um, 
And they, and you know, like you might hear people like um, Jimmy Dore say, Oscar now what if, ahead. now what if some other country did that on the Canadian U.S. border and Mexico U.S. border? I say you don't even need a hypothetical. You could use uh, real life and look what happened when um, Russia put was going to put the missiles in Cuba and JFK was just like, whoa, hold up now. You know what I mean? And then we mm -hmm. had a standoff in the middle of the ocean where we almost had a nuclear war. So you don't have to really use a, uh, you know, use a, use a hypothetical. You could yep. use, you know, like real life. That's right. That's right. I want to make sure. Oh, go ahead, Bad Cookies, because I, I know. Yeah, you I got one last thing, and then I'll, I'll open the floor for everyone. Sorry to hog the floor, everyone. Um, the last thing I wanted to touch on was something that you had mentioned during your show. Uh, during the live stream, you had mentioned that you, there are several planned uh, protests coming up next year. I'm very interested in probably uh, attending one of these, but I haven't done a protest since maybe the mid 90s so as someone who hasn't done it in a long time and for those that are interested but don't know how to do it savvy what is a good starting point or how can we get started in trying to find our way towards those protests well I and thank you for your time yeah so i usually advertise those on my show so you can count on me to advertise the protest but if you haven't done it in a long time, it was your first time doing it. Number one, very, very, very important. Please wear comfortable shoes. And I mean comfortable shoes that can stand it for a couple of hours and your feet won't hurt. And I say that because you need to have on some sneakers that's like supportive, not no slide-ins. Because I've seen people wear all kinds of things to protest. So wear comfortable shoes, wear comfortable clothes. If it's in the winter, make sure that you have on a coat. I've seen people go to protest in the winter with no coat. <laughs> I don't know what that's all about. Um, just make sure that you have the, the proper attire, but just like don't don't wear something where you're going to be like restricted and you're going to be uncomfortable. That's that's a really big thing. The other thing I was I would say too, make sure you eat right before you go make sure you pee right before you get there they may there may not always be like available so just keep that in mind so that's another big one and make sure you bring at least a bottle of water these are not things that are readily available depending on where you're protesting at you don't want to get there and be like oh man i didn't you know do this if you take medicine on the reg make sure that you bring your medicine with you i've seen people go to protest and they had the medicine and it was a whole thing um, so those are the kind of things you want to be prepared for, but I kind of tell people like, I'm putting something in the like chat for you. Yeah. I kind of like look at it as like, you're going to a concert. And the reason why I, I say that is because when I go to an outdoor concert, I do have the same mindset as to like, let me make sure I pee before I go. Although there's usually porta potties. Let me make sure that I have more comfortable shoes, like that kind of mindset, you know, you're going to be standing for a while. So just keep that in mind. Uh, don't come to protest hungover. That's not fun. <laughs> I've seen that take a, a different turn. I've seen it take a different turn. You said, look that at the chat. Honest. You said, look so, at the chat. I said, so I put something in the chat for you that that'll probably uh, bring back memories and cheer you up. All right, let's oh bring in Bryce. Bryce, 
You have to unmute. <laughs> oh, just like that, he disappeared. See, that's <laughs> happened a couple of times. Let me try this again. It's Rice. Roland Martin, I'm telling you. Okay, you have to unmute. You should be good to go now. And the other thing I'll say about going to protests is mm. it's a ton of fun. It, it's a good time. I mean, I, I'm so happy with with the, the two or Price three that I've been to in the last year or two. So so go and have a good time. No, I, I hung up on accident. Sorry. <laughs> hey, Bryce. How's going, Savvy? Uh, Roger, uh, thank you for, like, uh, you know, let me know, like, uh, what's going on, you know, with, with Nevada, with the ballot initiatives. I still got to read it, but uh, thank you. Um, as far as Corn West, um, I, I've been following him, like, for, like, a long time. And it's unfortunate to, like, hear him, like, uh, get, like, Russiagate. You know, the whole thing with Russia, wrong. And, you know, like, uh, and, you know, when when I, like, uh, see that Max Blumenthal called it out, like, in 2017, and, and you know, he interviews, you know, with you guys, you know, like, uh, over at RBN with you, Savvy, like, and he still gets it incorrect, you know, that's, that's unfortunate to hear, you know, and I, I think, if anything, like, for me, I'm not, I'm not too concerned about, like, Amy Goodman, uh, I, like, I understand, like, why, you know, that happened and shit like that, but, you know, with Dr. Carl West, um, like, it's, it's, I, I just don't understand, like, why he would say the same thing, like, uh, with, you know, the whole Russia gay thing and shit like that, so, Yeah, I, I really I really do wish that more people would talk to some of these journalists that are on the ground um, at these conflicts. And unfortunately, that doesn't happen enough. It really does not. Um, I don't know why that is, but um, it, it just people are not reaching out to them. Maybe it's because they don't have a YouTube. So here's the thing. Um, Yeah, Amy Goodman has has uh, and democracy now. The whole thing has changed. They're they're not democracy anymore. They're getting no. paid really well to. No, even Aaron said that when he came on because I asked him about democracy now, and I noticed the shift from um in them yeah. to like them a lot. Um, Same here. I think part of the problem is if you if you are a diehard on the ground journalist going to these war conflicts. Unfortunately, it seems like if you don't have a YouTube channel, you are not invited on for the most part. And I don't know why that is, but it is something that I have noticed. So, for example, like I said, people like Wyatt Reed, you know, like more people should be bringing him on. He's been on RBN multiple times. Uh, John Kariaku has also been on RBN and I interviewed him at the Assange rally. Um, some people may be afraid to interview some of these people because they were whistleblowers. So there's that. Um there the other thing, too, is some people are afraid because they think they're going to get demonetized or get deplatformed. So there's that element, too. And, and we've seen people get deplatformed depending on who they interview. I know a couple people that have interviewed Whitney Webb have had their videos removed or their channel deplatformed because of what was discussed. So here's I mean, like, I, I don't understand, like, why that's a concern, you know, like, um, I, you know, if, if if you're trying to make money, you know, go ahead and lie. I don't I don't give a fuck, you know, um. But if you're trying to tell the truth, you know, why why be concerned with that, you know, to begin with, you know? And I think that, that if anything, like, I, that's why I appreciate, you know, you and RBN, you know, with the, especially, like, with Rome. Like, I fuck with Rome, like, you know, hardcore. 
you know, Nick, you know, he, he, he rolls. So, you know, I understand like, you know, cause like I fight, so, you know, like I, yeah. I box and shit like that. So, you know, like I'll hit the pads on, you know, like tomorrow, like I'm going to like work with my daughter, you know, like it, you know, working with her hands and shit like that. So, you know, that's me. But you know, yeah, it's more difficult to understand because unless you're like in it. And the reason why I say that is because if this is your full-time job, like for a lot of people, this is their livelihood. So earlier this year, when PayPal and uh, Venmo were trying to deplatform people, you know, calling for the deplatforming of the gray zone and stuff like that, like you guys got to understand, like this is their full-time job. So if they get the platform, they don't get paid unless you're just, I mean, you still get like Patreon and stuff like that, but not everybody is making like $10,000 a month on Patreon. Some people are, some people are making $20,000 a month on Patreon, believe it or not. I'm not yeah, kidding. Kalinsky's of the world. Yeah. Like some people are making bank, like look at how much, like some people publish there. So David Pakman yeah. used to publish his at one point. Look at how much David Pakman makes a month on Patreon alone. And that doesn't account for what he makes on Roku, what he makes on radio. So that's another thing. Like getting on radio is huge. But if you're going to be on radio, you got to be careful about what you say too, depending on the station. So mm -hmm. I think that um, that's a big concern for people who like, this is their sole job, especially if they're on the ground journalists and they have to travel, Right. Okay, you need that money for travel expenses. Like, I can tell you guys that trip to DC where I went to the Sanj rally, like, I don't have, I don't make $10,000 a month on Patreon. So I had to use my own money for that. That was a couple thousand dollars just to go to DC because you have to have a place to stay. Like, I had to pay to like get there. And I drove because it was cheaper for me to drive than to fly or to take the train. So, those things add up. So when you see people traveling all the time, like Max Blumenthal travels a lot. We were talking about this when he was on last time. Like he'll tell you like that shit's expensive and like it adds up. So you have to have the funding just to be able to do the job. And so that's a big part of it. And then I think um, some of us saw, or maybe not all of us, but some of us saw that article that Jordan Sheridan wrote recently. I know Hardland's yeah. media talks about it where he said he's making 40, 40 to $50,000 less than he was before that right there go to show you like oh the, my the, God. The, the, the wealth divide because my thing is is this i know oh people who are teachers in this country that don't make forty thousand dollars a year you see what i'm saying so it's forty thousand like, dollars i mean he's crying that he he's making forty thousand dollars less how much was he making when he was scamming I don't know if like Jordan Charles was scamming. I think I think, I think, I think, think if anything, like, like he, 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 he was really about, about to work. So I think um, remember he wasn't making, sure, right? uh, he, he wasn't making um, forty forty five thousand. He said he was making forty 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 five thousand dollars less. I think he said I think he said right. He said he said he said less. And, and that's the point yeah. that I want to drive home. That means he was making way more than that. And what yeah. I'm saying is, is this, there are people in this country that don't even make $40,000 a year. Mm -hmm. so how much was TYT paying them? Damn. 
No, that that was that was after when he started Status Quo. But I'm like, in the article when CJ was reading, I'm like, why the fuck is that even in there? Why why are you telling people you're making fifty thousand dollars less? Like, were you making more than that? I didn't. The I didn't watch that. Roger, that I just, I Sorry, but uh, but if anything, like uh, I just you know, like I'm hearing like um, uh, the news, like uh, because like uh, six days, like I was off and shit like that, and you know, I, I turned like all of this shit off. So, but I'm like hearing like everything, you know, when I like see like uh, what's going on with RBN. And I see that happening and shit like that. I'm like, what? <laughs> okay, what do you say? And you know, you guys are like, let me know, like, uh, what what happened? You know, so. And it's unfortunate to, to hear that you know he's making less money, but at the same time, like you know, uh, the message that he's he's trying to 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 deliver, you know, to us and shit like that, and it, it ain't it ain't it's it's not it's not landing. Yeah, well, everybody who was a part of that Bernie movement that had a channel during that time, unless they moved further to the right and started simping for Joe Biden, all of them are making less because people have left the Bernie movement. So I think that, you know, that that hurt that did hurt some people uh, financially. So I think like that's something just to keep in mind, because I don't know, man, you got to think about it. Bernie ran two election cycles in a row. So if your YouTube channel came out around that time, you were doing pretty well. I don't think it's mainly because Bernie left. I'm pretty sure it's like people just, they woke up. I mean, they they saw those, these politicians that uh, they voted for, like the AOCs, the squads, they're not doing shit. And all these channels for maybe around a hundred K and they're still simping for the squad. They're like, F this. And unless you got a big numbers like Kyle Kalinske, you're going to find a lot of simps and stands who will still be with a Kyle Kalinske and, and, uh, and a Crystal Ball. Oh, well, uh, if, uh, sure, like, I want to, you know, push back on that. Like, I think this has always been a problem, you know, like, for, like, a long time. You know, even, like, Ted just, like, talked about, like, you know, uh, what, what was going on, like, even, even, like, in Iraq, you know, what was going on, you know. I mean, I was, I was too young to, like, understand before when i was like supporting like you know what bush was trying to do and then i found out like after the fact you know i'm 39 you know like i remember like when like uh the world trade center like uh like got you know planes like ran into them and shit like that you know and i, I don't know I, I don't know like what what the actual facts are you know with uh you know what happened with that but from what i understand like the Saudis did it, you know, like they crashed planes into like you know the World Trade Center and shit like that. I remember like uh like a lot of the uh the, the people that that were that were Saudi in this country that were wealthy and shit like that, they got flown out. So, so Roger, uh, I think we're I'm getting gonna... a lot of noise from your mic. Uh, well, I'm still waiting for that pushback. Uh, Bri- uh is it Bryce? Yeah, because I, I I mentioned Kyle and Crystal, but you said you were gonna push back on them, and I'm I'm still waiting on it. No, I'm saying like uh you know before before like uh you know like all of this happened and shit like that, you know before like you know Colin and Crystal, like uh yeah. uh, uh you know these these things were like were like uh were in play you know before you know even like with Alex Jones like going. You know, and I'm no, I know, like, you know, people aren't a fan of, like, Alex Jones and shit like that right now. 
But uh, like when he went to, you know, he went to expose, you know, Bilderberg, you know, and, you know, recently like uh, Max Limithal, like, you know, went to like a, a, um, a thing and I, I want to say in Washington, like with Bilderberg exposing them again. Like I didn't, you know, like, you know, this is the whole thing like with the Illuminati and shit like that. And then like uh 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 when I talked to my dad and shit like that, you know, he's like Illuminati no, you know, but Bilderberg is a real thing. You know, well, they I, they talk I, I get what you're saying. I, I think yeah. where you're lost a bit is that I, I said that basically Where am I lost? When it, when it came to Jordan Sheridan, he lost his numbers because he was saying that same democratic shit. And I and I said that unless your numbers are like around Kyle Kalinsky's numbers, you're you, they'll be fine. But but I mean, if you need like uh you know uh, in defense of Jordan Charlton, like he did like a uh, good work, you know, and you know I don't know what the fuck happened, you know, after the fact, you know, like after like uh you know like uh you know post Bernie like yeah yeah yeah. So that's that's what I saw, you know, because I like followed you know Jordan Charlton. Yeah. You I know, can tell you what true. happened. I can tell you exactly what happened. I want to say. No, what happened was there were multiple attacks on Twitter by Jordan. And I mean multiple. Um, connected to anyone basically in community with Jimmy Dore. He's come after Jimmy Dore. He's come after us at RBN. He's come after anybody in community with Jimmy Dore. He just kind of went on this a couple months ago. He went on this rampage where he was just attacking all that shit. Now, that has nothing to do with the labor movement. That has nothing to do with his work on the ground. But when you are doing that on the regular, that starts to overshadow the good that you're doing with your reporting on the ground. That's what happened. Which, and then that started to transfer to his show, where if which, you're talking about a labor issue on your show and you start to bring up and blame Jimmy Dore, Jimmy Dore has nothing to do with that. Uh, and I agree. Like, if anything, like, uh, just, um, I don't know, like, what happened, you know, like, with Jordan Charlton, you know, where he, like, made that switch. And, I'll tell you, you what know, happened. Access. I want to say access. Uh, people have complained who were part of Jimmy's show, were part of Sabby's show. They, I've seen them on the channel, on Jordan's channel. But Jordan mm-hmm. tends to berate people while, while you, you, if you basically contradict him and your answer basically is the factual one, he'll basically scream at you. He'll, he'll berate you. He'll make you feel like you're, like he's the grown up, you're a child. And yep. people are, they, they're fed up with that. And plus, he, he begs for money. And he said, oh, don't you want me to go to France? Oh, don't you want me to go to France? Yep, yep. Do you ever ask you guys, this is something to think about. Even when I was going to the Sanj rally, did I ask you guys for money? No, I did not. Like, if people want to donate, that's nice, but I I don't expect people to just do that. I understand people's financial situations as well. But the other thing is, too, is that you can't sit up there and berate people on Twitter every day Jump into conversations. Then there was that time he came after RBN. He jumped into a conversation that Colin was talking about that actually had nothing to do with him. Nothing at all. And so I had to set the record straight. And my whole thing is, is this. You can't get up there and say that you're tired of the channels that talk about podcasters 
and then your ass on Twitter every day complaining about podcasters. You doing the That's same right. thing. And what I have learned, particularly from him, is that it seems to be okay when he does it, but it's not okay when other people do it. So here's the thing. Now he wants to say in that 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 uh, article that he wrote, now he wants to say he understands why people are mad at the squad and all of them. But when we he, said those things, he complained about all the things they didn't do. But when Armin said those things, he had a problem with it. He said that we were attacking them. So when the message isn't coming from him, he has a problem with it. And that makes you a gatekeeper of journalism. And honestly, it turns some people off. Well, if anything, like, Savvy, like, uh, you know, I don't disagree with it. I saw, like, what happened. You know, I'm the guy, like, uh, with the picture that says Bryce Smith on it and shit like that. And I've been the individual, like, that tell them, you know, like, I've been, like, Saying like I'll smack him if I see him, you know, like you know, I'm I'm, I'm that nigga, you know. (laughs) Um, But uh, if anything, like I just, you know, like when I saw that shit, you know, like I, you know, you know, like it upset me that you know Jordan Talton, like you know, he he went you know a different direction and he's like blaming like other people for his failures, you know, like, in, like, uh, you know, trying to, like, you know, you know, it, it, oh, apparently, like, he's for the movement and shit like that, which Bryce. he's really not. Right, but if, but if you took, if, but if you took a step back and you actually analyzed, not just this year, I mean, last I mean, year, I mean, I mean, he, he's a, he was already making that turn, same with Humanist Report, they were yeah. making that turn, was, and we, like, I don't know how I found Sabby. Like I, I was lucky. I just found Sabby, but I was in um, Convo Couch, and I was in like uh, uh, the last American Vagabond. You know, I was all over the place. So I don't know how I found Sabby, but I didn't leave uh, Jordan Sheridan or Humanist Report or Kalkalinsky or that guy David Dole for because Sabby was better. I just saw the change. And yeah. you should be able to see you know, that you too. Know what, you know, hey, so like, uh, you know, I want to talk to you too. You know, motherfucker. Um, if anything, yeah. like, uh, would, would, would like, uh, you know, like, you know, change my idea about like who he was. You know, like, was his criticism like uh, of like uh, the general strike and shit like that. You know, and 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 you know, like I watched that Rome interview, and Rome was like. You know, like literally, like saying, like you know, you can't even like say our fucking name and shit like that. You know, like I remember that shit. You know, like you know, yeah. you know this this, I, and this is why, like, I don't, I don't, I don't fuck with him. You know, like, uh, you know, when I when I saw that shit, like, I just, I just like, no, nigga. You know, like you can't sit here and sit here and criticize RBN when they're trying to do good things and shit like that. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Fuck that. It's not, even, it's not even it's not even it's not even about that Bryce I'm gonna tell you what where all this all started so it's not even about like the criticism okay. it's about the fact that he told blatant lies about RBN which a lot of the people are part of the RBN community you guys know exactly what we do so yep. for me yep. to have to sit up there and point out different streams where we've been on the ground where we've hosted all those different summits that was ridiculous. 
what I wanted you guys to understand is that when it came to our work, when it came to a group of black journalists, when it came to our work, Jordan wanted us to give evidence and proof about what we did. But when it came to his work, we were just supposed to accept it and take yeah. his word at it. That which, right there is a problem. Which, and which I will is, say, you know, but, I'll but I'll tell you when that split happened for people who are not aware. That whole split happened when it had been decided, when you guys remember that whole uh, issue with TYT and Jimmy Dore and Aaron Monte, remember that whole thing happened yeah. last year? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's when the split happened. When Anna Kasparian attacked Aaron Monte and smeared him as a Russian asset or whatever, remember that? Okay. Mm -hmm. At Here, that I'll point in time, Jimmy Dore brought Aaron on his show to let Aaron speak his piece. Then, after that, after that, TYT came back, and that was when uh, Anna threatened to blackmail Jimmy. You guys remember all this? Yeah. Oh, whoa, whoa, yeah. whoa, whoa. Okay. Well, if it didn't so, know, well, uh, Sabby, like, uh, I, I remember, like, um, when, like, uh, and it, like uh, criticized him about the nice new skirt like thing and shit like that. And, yeah. and you know, Jimmy Dore had like, you know, protect himself on that shit. You but know that I mean? all came from what I'm saying is that all started with TYT smearing Aaron Mate. That's how that all started. I just want to explain that for people who are not aware. Okay. So where the beef came out some people didn't like the fact that Jimmy revealed Anna's DMs on stream. But to Jimmy's point, if somebody is threatening to blackmail you, yeah, you get out ahead of that shit. You don't wait and see if they're going to do it. You jump in front. So that was actually foolish on Anna Kasparian's part. Well, I think so, like, like uh, uh, Aaron Monte like, was talking about like Syria and what happened. Right. Right. Yes. Yeah, right. That's, that's what happened. Right. So let me let me go on. So let me tell you where the split started to happen. After that happened, and Jimmy went on different shows to talk about it. He came on my show. That was the first time he came on my show to talk about it. Then there was that pressure against Kyle Kalinske to make a statement. You guys remember all that? So then Kyle eventually decided to make a video, which if I was Kyle, God, that video was those videos were bad. Yeah, he decided to make a video explaining why he didn't say anything and that he didn't like drama. And he said, of course, what TYT said about Aaron was wrong. But then he said what Jimmy did was wrong, too. So he tried to play both sides. If you remember correctly, also, one of the things that Kyle mentioned, and this was a big red flag flag for me when people say that they didn't know, they didn't realize Kyle and Crystal were dating. This was the moment I realized they were dating before they announced it. When he said, by the way, I watched that segment with Crystal and Crystal agrees too. That's when I realized what was really going on. After those videos, when Kyle did those videos and TYT did another video and Jink Uger said, Kyle Kalinske is no longer with us anymore. I hope that he can continue to placate to whoever he's trying to placate to. They got rid of him and removed him from the TYT network. 
That was the split. After that, after that happened, certain people that were a part of the TYT network, and that includes David Dole, and that includes Humanist Report as well. By the way, they are a part of the TYT network for people who are not aware. It had been decided that they were going to say, we are not going to rock with Jimmy Dore because basically TYT had spoken. They saw what TYT did to Kyle. They didn't want that shit to happen to them. So they said, you know what? We're going to say screw Jimmy Dore and we're going to start smearing Jimmy Dore. That's when the split happened. And Jordan Sheraton was a part of that split as well. But, um, I'll say one thing, Savvy. I, I remember watching his channel um, for a little bit when, uh, what's her name was on the, his co-host. He's the co-host. I forgot what her name was. She was trying to say, Jimmy did it. Jimmy did it. And you had Jordan on the other side was like, fuck, don't say anything. No, he didn't do it. I felt like there was it was spilling on a show at some point because I saw that they, did, they didn't agree on that thing. They basically, she went on at a Kasparian side. Well, what he has said on camera and what he has said behind the scenes are two different things. Who, Jordan? Yes. You know what? what was, like what I said, I, I do have, like I said, remember, I told you guys. Jordan used to DM us all the time, all the time, those of us at RBN. And I still have all that shit. Uh, so I'm just going to let you know now. I remember what when was you said was, on camera you know, always and what was said behind the scenes Jordan. are two different things. Two different things. Behind the scenes, I remember when you were looking out for Jordan. Yeah, behind the, Remember, Jordan Sheridan was on my show before. Yeah. A this was like almost two years ago. He was on my show. But behind the scenes, he was not saying good things about Jimmy Dore. Personally, to me, privately, via DM, privately. I and think I, I told you, watch out for Jordan. And you know what else is really gross is that when, you know, Jordan had that, that trouble with the accusations that were, that were getting put on him a while back when, when Jenk threw him big time under the bus, and who stood up for him? Jimmy Dore. Jimmy Dore had him on and had his back big time. And for Jordan to turn on him after that, it, it's pretty disgusting. I would like to on behalf. In order for him to be in, I guess, what you would call community with Crystal and Kyle, he was not going to be able to be in community with Jimmy Dore. I'm just making that very clear. And and what all this demonstrates is that this independent news space is a shared space. Um, many of the people who have subscriptions to one or more of these um, podcasts have subscriptions to the other. And I think that is a, a, an invitation or a temptation to try and do this SmackDown thing because they're trying to make sure that the people who have joint subscriptions stay with them instead of getting disaffected and going to the other side. And so it leads to all this other stuff. And, you know, I just think, you know, again, this is a part of that bigger apparatus. When I say, when we talk about the manufacture of consent, this is a part of that orbit that has happened since the corporate community took over the the big media and so you have people scrapping for what's left in the independent section and 
in the independent media, people are to different degrees to the left of each other. And so when their message starts to resonate with a different audience, I think it causes panic if, if some of these numbers don't keep growing and growing. And I think that's a part of what happened to Jordan. I think he was trying to find, because if you notice, Jordan always makes a point that he's a journalist. He's a journalist as if to throw shade on everybody else to say, where they're doing this independent media thing, but they're not technically a journalist. And it also tries to give him a hiding space between being a journalist and an activist. Because if you're a journalist and you're just reporting what the news is, you don't get all into that other personal space about who's jockeying for a position between these other spaces. And to me, he seems to be torn between you know, playing that partisan thing between the independent media outlets and then trying to shore up his bona fides as a journalist. Exactly. I think the Agreed. reason he feels like he has to do that is because he has a YouTube show. And look, there are a lot of different journalists like Vanessa Bealey is a journalist. Uh, Aaron Monte is a journalist. Max Blumenthal is a journalist. Why Reed is a journalist. Uh, you know, Caitlin Johnstone is a journalist. But I think the difference is I think Jordan may feel like people don't see him that way because he has a YouTube show and he was lumped in with that same group of people that were supporting Bernie Sanders. And those people were commentators, not journalists. I bet you that's why he feels like he has to say that. But my thing is, is this. You can't be calling people YouTube hosts in your freaking article and you're a fucking YouTube host, motherfucker. Like, I'm sorry, I don't have time for that shit. You can't, you can't, you can't sit up here and pretend like you also are not a YouTube host. Like that's the thing. And I think that's some of the problems that people have had with Jordan. And like I said, I've, I've really gave him the benefit of the doubt. And I was told things about him before I even met him. Mm. So I really gave him the benefit so of the doubt. Savvy, if you have a mic, you just better drop it right now. That, well, people, well, people that was not fire, realize, Savvy. Well, what people may not realize, and I'll go to Jonathan, Jordan Sheraton knew who Nick was. Nick, my comrade from RBN, he knew him back when Nick was campaigning for Bernie Sanders and out there canvassing because Jordan Sheraton interviewed Nick Cruz. And so, see, sometimes people think we got faulty memory. We remember all this shit. So he knew exactly who Nick was. Nick was a citizen journalist. Nick, that's how Nick got started. He started reporting what he saw on the ground when he was canvassing for Bernie Sanders. So when Jordan says that he's the only one on the ground, he's ignoring people like Vanessa Bealey, Wyatt Reed, uh, Ford Fisher, who, by the way, Ford Fisher is everywhere. I don't know how he does this. Um, he's ignoring all those other people and making it seem like he's the only one on the left that's on the ground. And that is an outright lie. We've been on the ground. I've been on the ground. But he doesn't consider it legitimate because he's not the one doing it. And that's the problem. You don't get to be a gatekeeper of journalism. Not everybody has the same type of privilege that you do. Not everybody can afford to buy like $3,000, $5,000 cameras. Some of us just have to use our phones. But instead of shedding on the people who don't have it, 
why don't you just respect the fact that we're doing the best with the equipment that we have? And at one point in time, he didn't have all that equipment either. And that is the problem that I have with Jordan Sheraton. This is really not about who's a journalist or who's not a journalist for him. It is about the fact that Jordan is pissed because he's lost some of his viewers which he's admitted this on his show. He's lost some of his viewers. And according to that article, he also lost a lot of money. That is what this shit is about. That is why he continued to smear Jimmy Dore because Jimmy Dore has been able to beat the algorithm considering all the things that have been thrown at us. That is why he is so angry. This all comes down to money. And if you guys understand, if you look at my Patreon page, you can see exactly how much I get on Patreon. That shit is not hidden. You can pretty much figure out if you do the math how much I'm getting on YouTube. Again, these things are not secret. But if you have over 100,000 subscribers and you're now getting the same amount of views as like those of us at RBN, that is a very telling moment because that means people have left you. It's not just because of suppression. Yes, there is some. And, and to be fair, I talked about how there was suppression with status quo. They were part of that case study I did. I did. But... Mm-hmm. Some people have been able to beat it. Katie Halper, for the most part, has been able to beat it. She was another one that was featured on that case study. She's still doing well for the most part. Uh, Jimmy Dore was able to beat it. He's still doing well for the most part. So well, Jimmy, Jimmy Dore is a comedian. So Yeah, I mean, there's, well, there's that too. But the thing is that Jordan needs to understand is that, yeah, some of it is because people have left. Yeah, some of it is because you might be suppressed, but also some of it may be because it's you, motherfucker. It's you. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I was going to tell Bryce. I was going to tell Bryce. I don't. I don't follow anybody. I don't. Let me. I want to say this. There's a reason why, like, when I want to smack that motherfucker. You know, when I see him. You know. No violence. I just, I just, you know, like no violence, no violence, no violence. Hey man, fuck that. You know, I'm violent. So, (laughs) I'm violent. I mean, I still remember. I still remember when Jordan Sheridan wanted people to be censored. I'll never forget this shit. He was calling for censorship because Convo Couch got censored. And this all happened at once. It was Convo Couch. It was Frank Analysis and um, Nico House. Like a whole bunch of people. They even came after Jamal Thomas. And I was like, why the fuck would you demonetize Jamal Thomas? He's one of the most like tame. Like like Jamal Thomas is is definitely not a conspiracy theorist. So the fact that Jamal Thomas okay. was censored, I was like, something is up here. But he was able to get his reversed, I believe. They did the same thing to Hardlands Media. All those people after January 6th. Jordan Sheraton was cheering it on until they started to take down his videos. Then all of a sudden, there was a problem. Yeah, it was I want to say this. Uh, I, I just don't like the fact that uh, you know George, Jordan Jordan and like uh, like talked down to like you 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 all. You know, like I just you know I hated that shit. You know, like motherfucker, you would never say you no know, bullshit like that. You know, and. You know, in, in like an open space and shit like that. You know, like you would you even like if you you know Jordan Charlton like would would it like ever meet me and shit like that. You you won't say that. You know, like don't don't talk. I, down I to probably people. see these before you, Bryce. Or, or or it seems that for some reason, all of the all of the cringe people are coming out of New York, and I'm like, this is not good. <laughs> We got George Santos. We got Jordan Sheridan. We got Majority Report. We got Kyle Kalinsky. 
I'm like, damn. Who is anybody freaking represented? I want to give Jonathan a chance to speak because I know he's been waiting. So go ahead, Jonathan. You just have to unmute. Thank you. Um, y'all, y'all talking about Jordan Sheraton um, having um, what's the name of his show again called? Status Coup. Status Coup. Y'all need to go way back to when he had Truth Against the Machine. Um, if you really want to know what happened between him and, and um, Jack Uger, go to Nico House. Nico House explained it by detail what happened. That's why I didn't understand why he got the support he did for his status coup. If, in case y'all forgot about this, the reason why him and Jank got into it was because of two things. One, um, Jordan was being accused of sexual assault. Now, yeah, I don't know what happened that. to those. Huh? Yeah, we remember that. That was, that yeah. was found but to the be main not thing, true, though. But the main thing now, yeah, I didn't know what came out of that. But one thing that was true is that he was using his, I would guess, privilege of working with TYT to get with women. There's one woman who admitted, it's like, okay, we did have a um, mutual relationship, but he promised me that he was going to do this, he was going to do that, he was going to do this, all that stuff, which never happened. And then the also, huh? Is that the woman that accused him? No, it's a different woman. She didn't accuse him. She just, she just felt betrayed. She never oh, accused him of the thought. Because I know he was he was using TYT's money to do to have like a sex party. Exactly. What? Yep. He was. Re- yep. He was. Yep. That's not. <laughs> I was getting. I was getting there. He was using TYT's money, the credit card, running it up, running all these charges, not doing his job. That's what Nico said. He wasn't doing his job. Well, so well, that's well, why well, he got fired. And then what really got me, and I didn't think about it at this time. But hey, John, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. From, it was. From from the band, was I think this happened. Uh-huh. What the woman said when she was on um she was on um Tim Black show mm-hmm. said that after each successful reporting or whatever report they do, they go buy drinks yep. and they have sex in the hot tub. Mm-hmm. And, what? Yeah, yep. they were, yeah, they were yeah. Yeah. What, what the, the fuck? Tim Black is new. <laughs> yeah, this was yeah, they were <laughs> all you sabi that he was having sex orgies basically. What oh kind of orgy stuff is this? This is news to me. I'll give you one thing. One more thing. The guy, there was another guy, a black dude, basically, that was in the room when that shit would happen with the girl. Well, guess what? That guy was with TYT. He got fired, and he's back with Jordan Chariot now. Yeah, that's... Yeah, but who has sex with and I, uh, Jordan? And I could be wrong, but I think this was around Standing Rock, Rock around that time. When well, this they, said happened. They, did, they said they did it like every time they, they, they did a reporting and they had a party. <laughs> and this and was, was like before, it. and this was before TYT did their whole thing trying to campaign for an investigative reporting. This happened like before that happened. And then, and then Jank was trying to fire J- Jordan. Jordan refused. <laughs> if someone said you, they're trying to, if someone said, no, 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 I'm sorry. Jordan, Jank was trying to let Jordan go. Like, okay. He actually offered Jordan a severance package. I was like, I should have known right then. And they're like, if you are a independent media uh, um, company and you're off of small dollar donations, where are you getting money for a severance package? So he offered him a severance package. Jordan said no, so Jank had to fire him. So Damn. you're this is what, what you're so 
girl. This is when I used to watch TYT. And actually, when Jordan, no, 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 and when this happened, like when Jank, you know, everything I said, what Jank said, Jank actually went on YouTube and said this. He said, yeah. uh, we offered him a service package. He did, he declined it, so I had to fire him. Jank did this on, you, on YouTube. He yeah, said, on YouTube. He even said he went against his counsel. Yep. What yes, the he did. Hell? So you got. So that's why I'm like, why? That's why I was like, why? Why are you bringing on Jordan? I mean, when he when he rebanded himself and said he's status cool and all stuff, I still saw as as Nico called him a weasel. I'm like, I see the I see the same weasel that he was when he was a TYT, and I'm like, why is he? Why are people giving this dude this benefit of the doubt? I mean, when I saw him on Jimmy Dore on your channel on. I was like, why are people still dealing with this dude? He has no, and as somebody said in the chat, he has no integrity. And yep. after all this, I'm like, okay, okay. You know what? Sometimes you got to sit back. Same thing. With, we're not going to talk about them, but the Vanguard. I'm like, I saw this shit a while ago. I'm like, all right, Savvy, go ahead. Y'all going to fool with them. Um, they they kind of crazy, but go ahead. And sure enough, what happened? They let have. See, I, I'm just intuitive like that. You know, do you think? But that's all I had to say. Um, I'm a, and, um, where is where is um, where is he at? Where is Alexander? We need him, and I'll leave. Oh, he talking about <laughs> Jonathan just dropped that bomb. But you know this. Um, this helps explain why when Jordan Charlton was trying to interview Nick Brana, when I was reading along in the chat, there was complication in the chat. Because people were making allusions to things about Jordan, but I had no prior knowledge or background on it. So I'm like, well, what is this all about? But it makes it more interesting now to understand Jordan's background with extracurricular stuff, if you want to call it that, as he tries to interview Nick Brana about his extracurricular. And then we find out that... Um, Crystal is dating Cal Kalinske. I'm like, is there anything going on besides sex in these areas? <laughs> oh, this is too much for my innocent ears. No, Girl! No, 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 no. I think all the sex is the best thing about them. But <laughs> I think this is the most entertaining stuff I heard about Sheridan. Did somebody call my name? Yeah, uh, that, that was me. <laughs> no, no, you know well. I mean? like, uh, uh, like, uh, it comes with money, you know. Like, uh, you know, and I, I really appreciate like what you have like been talking about like tonight and other nights, you know. And you've been my, you know, like my favorite like uh, speaker. Oh, thanks so much. Come on, Noel. Yeah, she's mine too. I respect you. I love you, Black Queen. Absolutely, yes, I agree. Oh, you guys. Thank oh you. God. I don't know what to say after that. I just feel, let me bring in, um, oh, I lost that person. I don't know what happened to them. So, Sabrina, I want to ask you something real quick. Um, who's the new, who's the new guy that, that, the, the, uh, he has like a very, um, like a, a, a Egyptian type of name, but he was, Q Amani or something like that. Who 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 is that? He just came out of like. Oh no, yeah. Q, Q been around. He's been on RBN a couple of times. He hosts a show on Call In with Glenn Greenwald. Okay, that was the first time. Like, I was just like, "Yo, this guy's talking some real stuff." Oh, and I saw you in the shit. chat talking about electricity and stuff. And electricity, yeah, electricity, like. Mm -hmm. 
here. I want to say, like, uh, I remember, like, uh, watching RBN and uh, he was on and shit like that. And he was, like, working, like, woodwork and shit like that, you know. And mm-hmm. he was, like, you know, cutting up shit and shit like that. And he was talking shit about, you know, what this, this system is and shit like that. You know, I love that, that brother, man. You know, that was I the know, first like, time. I love seeing that's the first time I ever ever seen him, but I, I I saw him. I then he started playing the dozens. He started cracking all over some dude on on uh, MSNBC about the way he says electricity. <laughs> and then I saw a savvy in the chat going electricity. You know, that was a, reminds me of the schoolhouse rock thing from like the seventies. Electricity, electricity, electricity. <laughs> You know what? If I may chime in and say one other thing, in this new independent media space, you know, it may be the elephant in the room, but personality and how well your personality translates in this forum speaks a lot. And I think that is a part of Jordan's fundamental problem, too. I don't think he has the um, gravitas, if you will, to handle these types of forums. He's really kind of dry and and he does seem to get agitated if people are not just going along with what he says. And it does come off as a type of pejorative type thing. And within that pejorative space, it can sometimes seems racist, if I may. No, uh, yes, you may, absolutely. Even though I still watch him, but yes, you're right. Noelle, you- it comes across as like that elite uh, covert racism I experience here in the Northeast. Like, that's what it reminds me of. It's like, you know, when I don't think he, he does that intentionally per se, but it does come across that way sometimes. And it's just like, dude, like you, you might want to work on some things with yourself. Like none of us are perfect. We all have our flaws and things that we need to work on. I have things that I need to work on as well. Um, But I feel like the difference is the rest of us seem to be willing to admit that we have things to work on and we have uh, needs to improve. Whereas like for him, it's just like, it's everybody else's wrong and it's everyone else's fault. And the order and when he came, and when he came against Jimmy Dore, like he got ratioed really bad. It was horrible. It, yeah, it was really bad. He he just he does have this. Um, you got to be a fool to 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 go after Dore, man. Jimmy Dore will crush you. Well, it's not anything went after Dore. Don't like, mess with him. It's not like he went after Dore. It's what Sabrina said that he would. He was he was trying to play both sides of the fence. Like, okay, yeah. You know, Jake, uh, Jimmy was right, but um, Anna was right here. And it was like, no, Anna is wrong. Jimmy is right. And people kept on saying that in the comments. Now, the whole thing of him not having Jimmy on, that was just messed up. And I really didn't think that him and Ken, uh, Crystal were dating because I thought Crystal was married to a wealthy man because she's worth a lot of money. I knew she had kids, but I thought she was still married. So when I heard they were dating, I was like, oh. Wow. Yeah. Sometimes sometimes people, you know, sometimes people, my friend went through this. My friend was married, but they were separated. And in her state, you have to be separated for at least a year before you can get a divorce. So she was just like, fuck that. I'm start dating now. (laughs) (laughs) They're like TJ Holmes and Amy Hey, when I saw that Chris Kalinsky, when I saw Kyle Kalinsky was dating Crystal Ball, I thought to myself, 
So there's a chance because I've had a crush on Crystal since day one. <laughs> you, you stupid, bro. So, <laughs> you guys are so. You guys are so. Mean. I know I got a chance at least. <laughs> you know, do y'all agree? Maybe that maybe Jackson Hinkle and Jordan Cheriton they got a little bit of that privileged white boy syndrome going on. Lance is in the house. Hey, I just wanted to pop in with that little comment that you know, like Jimmy Dore. I have profound differences with Jimmy Dore. I mean, really strong disagreements. I probably disagree with Jimmy Dore more than I do some other folks. But he's a real deal. He's the same on Tuesday as he was last Monday, and he he gets it. He gets it, and when he attacks people, I don't even think he means it personally. He's like, look, I'm calling it like I see it, and so maybe it is a little bit personal. But it's like he's a real deal. I don't know. He just doesn't seem, you know, like, for instance, it just seems to me that Jordan Cheriton and, and Jackson Hinkle with that MAGA commie stuff, they're just kind of like superior white boy. They got that superior white boy. <laughs> I saw, I saw um, let me see. I saw, jo- I saw Jordan Sheridan. And Katie Halper in person um, at the Stephen Donzinger block party when he was released, um, but they they was like busy talking to Steve Donzinger, so I was just like, oh, okay. So I, I knew I wasn't going to get a chance to speak to Steve. That's actually I went there to speak to Chris Smalls. That's what it was because Chris Smalls was there, and uh, that was the only time I actually seen like. Katie and, and Jordan in, in person or whatever the case is, but um, yeah. I um, Yeah, I think that uh, it's really interesting what you just brought up, Lance. Like, yeah, and Jimmy even said this when I was on his show. Uh, I think this was pretty recently, actually. We even said this when I was on the show. Like, we don't agree on everything. The difference is, like, I don't have to go attack people on Twitter. and We can just talk about those disagreements. That's the difference. Whereas other people want to go in for the other people want to go in for the kill. <laughs> Speaking of disagreements, I was thinking, you know, I kind of shot my idea in the butt earlier when I suggested Alex Jones be a moderator. But what do you guys think about setting up a debate where people vote and elect moderators for the debate? Ooh. Is Alex Jones gonna be a suggestion? You'd be one of them, you know, but there'd be plenty of other good people to pick from, like Whitney Webb. I hope hope the Sandy Hook people are not in the crowd because I don't know. I don't know if every moderator is going to get sued for being Alex Jones. I don't think um, Alex Jones would do it without getting paid either. Yeah, because that that guy's. Oh, he'd do it. He'd be happy to do it without getting paid. I think we could find better people than him, honestly. But I think, uh, I think we could find better people than Alex Jones. Uh, yeah, but we could, we could vote on moderators. Like my vote would be for James Corbett or Whitney Webb to moderate the whole situation because they're very knowledgeable on geopolitics. You know. Yeah, Whitney, yeah. Can Whitney I talk Webb? on the? Like I want to. Can I just like uh, here? Can I just can tell I, you guys? Uh... Oh, go ahead. I was uh, just going to say, wanna... uh, get get Whitney Webb on. Uh, I want to mm-hmm. hear like. Um... What she has to tell you, uh, you know, uh, RBN and you, Savvy. Whitney uh, Webb is like uh, my, she's, she really uh, is like uh, my spirit animal. I'm not kidding. Yeah, nerdy. Uh, Cool. (laughs) Down to earth. Uh, like, I, you know, like, uh, you know, uh, I I do like, uh, Colonel Douglas, you know, McGregor, you know, and him talking about war, like what's going on over, 
you know, in, in uh, Ukraine and shit like that. Like, I, I would like that interview too, you know. And, and, I, and I know, like, you know, we we all don't agree with the war, but I think, you know, it's informative, you know, from, you know, to hear from, like, a, a guy that says, has, you know, fought in wars, you know, to, you know, just, you know, like, uh you know, just give us, like, the information, like, oh, what's going on over there in Ukraine. Yeah. Even, like, Scarlet Raider. I don't, I have to figure out how to get in touch with him. Um, and I would probably have to do that only on Rockfin and Rumble. Um, and then, oh, John, I'm so sorry. John, uh, you have to unmute. I know you're a, a speaker. I, I think you've been waiting a bit. You just have to hit the, uh, there you go. I got you. I was just, uh, I didn't have much to say other than I love and appreciate you motherfuckers. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> That's it. I'm going to hang up right now. Likewise, Sappy's yeah, always right on now. here hosting shows, making stuff happen every night of the week into the late hours. We appreciate it big time. It, it, it's, it's doing something. And I was going to float another journalist your way. I'm not sure if you're familiar with James Corbett yet, of Corbett Report. Somebody else Somebody mentioned him to me. It was me. <laughs> oh, okay. I'll, I'll, I'll say his name again. Yeah, uh, you got to check this guy out. He has an awesome segment called Solutions Watch, where it's all about solutions, things we can do to make real change happen, and they are brilliant. One of them is about how to do your own research, um, and it's 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 amazing. Um, James, I'll, I'll post a link to him in the chat you cannot find him on youtube so you're gonna have to go to odyssey in order to watch his show but it's absolutely brilliant he's based out of japan and you're gonna love his work awesome i would love to have him on let me bring in um mj you just have to unmute you are a speaker michael jackson different mj i uh, i prefer michael <laughs> jordan but i mean the michael <laughs> jackson also works um yeah uh, magic johnson's a good one too you know what i'm gonna give a little bit of pushback because i actually support maga communism and i'll try to make it short but you know a lot of people in maga don't want to they don't support communism themselves and a lot of people that are kind of maybe communists they don't really support maga so they're they already are kind of butting heads but the reason why I support it is because I think there's like a legitimate working class sentiment. And that's like where the right wing working class sentiment is. So I don't know. That's just, that's my take on it. I think they would need to change the name. Cause I think if you put MAGA in front of it, that's automatically going to turn a lot of people off. That's the problem. It's a lot of rich MAGA folks. It's controversial. There's a lot of rich MAGA folks. So they're not just the populist, like working class right. There are a lot of rich. Okay, hold on. I agree with that. Let's let MJ finish. Sorry, MJ. Go ahead. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. You know, I, but I guess my, uh, response to that is i think there's factions of the ruling class kind of going at it so mm -hmm. i you know we shouldn't really support them but i think there's almost it's kind of like the republicans might be on like the lower tier which i think it's been flipped more recently where they're kind of like the lower tier capitalists that want to kind of create more business and stuff. And then there's the ones above them that are more globalists 
They're trying to push imperialism and they want to like de-industrialize. They want to use cheap labor elsewhere. So I think there's some factions in the ruling class that are fighting it out. But I guess the main point that I'm trying to say is I think there's working class sentiment there. But I thought the more the people were working class. At the same time, they don't even know what the word socialism and communism is. They think it's the same thing. Here's oh, a, yeah, I'm, I'm going to rain on this parade a little bit. It, I'm, I'm, I might be the bad guy here a little bit, but there was a new book that just came out, and he just did a recent interview on Joe Rogan about slavery, modern-day slavery. And uh, the Communist Party has a lot of uh, skeletons in their closet in that aspect as well, as well as capitalism, you know. Um, but they're not as working class friendly when it comes to people outside of the communist party. Well, out- here, I'm going to, this party. If anything, like, yeah. uh, if anything Brady, like, uh, I'm going to push back on that. Um, how, how do you define capitalism? You know, like, and, and how do you like define like, uh, uh, what socialism is, you know, like it's gotta be two different terms. Well, I was, mean the same I was focusing thing. more on, on communism, like specifically Chinese communism, um, there's a lot of slave issues that are recently popping up, coming up out of the closet. And it really throws a wrench in the idea that, you know, a communist party is, uh, uh, supportive of a working class, uh, at least on a global scale. Like it might be true that the working conditions inside of China are, are in- increasing and, you know, getting better, it's still bad within China. Um, and, Outside of China, with in the Democratic uh, Republic of Congo, especially with the cobalt mining and whatnot, it, it's pretty bad. And um, so, I mean, what I think we need to have like a handshake between democracy, communism, and socialism. I think it's time we could take all the best aspects of all those things, kind of put them into something new uh, for the new age. But a, a democratic communism, democratic socialism. Oh, we got to get rid of all isms. No more isms because it's got baggage no matter what it well, is. And can I make one more general they're, comment? They're useful. Yeah. Can I make a general comment? I think what people want to do is they want to think that if we just come up with the right terminology, the right number of phrases, and we'll just stay populist, take a little from here, from the right, and from the left, we'll have the perfect manifesto that everyone will, you know, 90% of, no, it isn't like that. It's going to be conservatives are going to be conservative. It means a Catholic person who is just truly down to their toes, just anti-abortion, could still vote for the pro-worker thing. We're tribes. Let's listen to Fred Hampton. We all want to talk about Hampton. I want to talk about these people. They weren't trying to create a thing where these white folks were going to come to the down home barbecue or that they were going to go out to the truck to the, to the tailgate party for the next football game from the inner city. It wasn't going to be like that. Like Abby Hoffman says, I'm a white, you know, basically he didn't use that term. He says, I'm a, I'm a upper middle class Jewish kid from Brandeis, suburban Boston. I am never going to have the same life experience. I've said, I say this a lot with the guy I'm sitting across the table from that's in the Black Panthers. You got to, and you have to go a little bit beyond just the Venn diagram. You got to try to understand each other as human beings. It isn't like we're going to come up with that perfect manifesto. It's just going to please so move the vast majority of everyone and then we can go to town. We're just going to have to realize at the end of the day, we're still going to disagree on 90% of the things except the 10% we're working on this time. Then there'll be another 10% that we all agree on that we disagree on 90 other percent. And I think we're looking too much to say, what's that, what's that magic? Sauce that's going to bring everybody together ain't going to happen. Well, what should be sauce? We're talking about solutions. The money and the, 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 the money and the corruption. 
I mean, that, that that's what that's what the, all the working class can agree on that that there's this super rich elite and billionaires and the mega corporations they're stealing from all of us and they're the people we have to have solidarity against and have a movement against them and i, I mean, totally that, agree I think that is the magic when you thought. try to create legislation it's going to get down to well wait a minute though how is this going to help my suburban white conservative but how is this going to help your urban left wing so no i i mean i agree so with no, what you're saying but it's, but I mean, it's going to be hashing out, but not not and not compromise on any of the values themselves. I think Savvy might have misunderstood what I meant about. I don't want Andrew Yang's forward party. Oh, you want to be pro life over here, pro choice over there? No, 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 no. You got to have an agenda. But I, I just don't think that you have to go beyond that. It's just I'm a lot more maybe practical about what can really happen as opposed to have you know. Let's all think about this perfect so situation. Really Everybody won't agree. It's just not. I don't think it's going to happen that way. So what, what can happen? What are the things that can happen? Fix the money. Fix the money. Concentrate on the money. I have make, an idea. Make the constitutional amendments to fix the money a priority and make ballot initiatives for clean, publicly funded elections a priority. And there's about a one chance in a million you're going to amend the Constitution. They can't even decide on a budget year to year. I mean, it just seems like. You have to work around them. I so, mean, it's it's not about you know our current leaders. I mean, they're corrupt monsters. It's part of so one of too, the you know? one of the ideas that I've been thinking about because um, uh, you know working on the mutual aid party uh, idea and um, getting that ready, I've I've been thinking forward about policy and how we can approach that. So, Lance, the first thing I would say is uh, there is a benefit of being able to say, "Hey, I'm a progressive," and a majority people who know what that is kind of could would know where you're coming from versus somebody because somebody says i'm conservative you kind of know where they're coming from they want low taxes they don't want to conform if somebody says i'm a libertarian you know you, you, it, there is some benefit to being able to say i'm this ism and then you could quickly automatically know okay this person is coming from that point of view but then there's the stigma of oh you're a socialist so i'm not with you that's the thing that we have to find, like, and I agree with you in that sense, we got to find that thing that brings us together. One of the ideas I was thinking about is, you know, the Olympics brings the world together, right, through sports. And 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 you, there's always a clear winner at the end of the Olympics. You know who got the gold, you know you got the silver, you know who got the bronze, right? So I was thinking about this, and I was like, we need to find a way to categorize all the different areas that we want to improve on. So, for example, healthcare, we want to um, want the best. And there are studies out there that tell you who has the best healthcare. Like America is like I think the Commonwealth Fund, um, we're number eleventh out of eleventh, right? So we need to have one standard because there's always studies here and there and all over the place. We need to literally like have. The economic Olympics, let's just call it for that for right now, right? And there's the healthcare. You have um, how do you treat the poor? And of course, I'm just throwing out stuff, but we could have better names for all of these things. So we have healthcare. We see who's number one. Okay, this year, um, Dutch got number one. Um, I said Dutch. Let's say Italy got number one in healthcare. And then uh, as us as Americans, or even at the grassroots level, because you know, the healthcare system here is not going to allow this. But us at the grassroots, we're going to say, okay, how can we find out how can we win the gold? Because we want to win the gold for next year. Oh, they got a single-payer system? Okay, I'm a conservative, and but I know that if they got a single-payer healthcare system, let's just try it. I don't care that I'm a conservative. 
we I just want care about winning the gold. And it's kind of I think Ro kind of kind of had an idea. He he called it like economic patriotism. It was something patriotism. And I was like, okay, that's interesting. Maybe he's in that direction. But the the point I want to say is um, so healthcare, uh, how we treat the poor, how do we treat the least of these, and what's transportation? You know, I, I want us to win the gold in transportation. So I've been I really have a passion about trying to promote a uh, hyperloop system, transcontinental system in America. You know, of course, this might happen 20 years from now or whatever, but if we could get that, we'll be number one in transportation, um, like infrastructure, it. all these different <laughs> categories. So let, I'm gonna, I, I talked a lot, so I'm going to finish by saying this real quick. All no, these different categories, we have one place where you can see it instead of all these different uh, uh, reports and all these different studies, have one place like the Olympics. And then you put all these categories, and every year we try to beat who's number one, from the town and the town city level all the way to the to the state level. States should be in competition with each other, and then the country as a whole, as a globe, we should then become in competition with each other. And that's how we build everybody up to have the best healthcare. Hopefully, that's I explained a, that well and articulated. That's that a healthy com- competition. Uh, Very yeah. healthy competition. Like, uh, I wonder, like, uh, before before you, uh, you know, you speak, Brady. Um, I, I just want to, like, you know, echo, like, uh, you know, what cases like uh, saying, like, it, it shouldn't be this hard, you know, to like define these things and shit like that. So, you know, like, uh, I, the goalposting, you know, goalpost movement of like what this is and. Like, I don't understand, like, you know, why people are trying to, like, you know, try to make, you know, create different definitions of, like, even, like, you know, socialism, you know, and capitalism. Like, we all know what these things, you know, these terms mean and shit like that, you know. And, you know, I, I find it hard, like, uh, you know, when I when I talk to people, like, uh, around me. Bryce, you sound kind of low. They don't understand. Huh? Hey, I just want to give everyone a heads up and let y'all know that I just dropped a link in the chat to the James Corbett report, one of the uh, Solutions Watch episodes. So highly recommended y'all all check him out. It's such a good resource. We're going to end up talking about this guy a lot, I'm sure, soon. I want to make a quick comment, if that's okay. Um, the, you know, one of the things about communism, I'm I'm pro-communist, but, you know, that, that term's... Uh, not really good in the U.S. It has a big negative connotation. So that's why I'm kind of pushing an anti-imperialist party slash coalition. So you know what? The main reason I've I've mentioned this on one stream, but I got that main idea. RBN. RBN had an anti-imperialist summit early this year, and they had so many good guests and in my opinion, imperialism is a primary contradiction. That's our big focus. We need to focus on us, the U.S., and not, you know, our 800 military bases around the world. So I just wanted to make that point that Thanks for the shout ideally out, I'd be in a communist party. What's up? Thanks for the shout out, MJ. Oh, heck yeah. Um, you guys have been a really big influence on me, and I'm glad that we at least have some good independent media out there because it's it's a mess. So I'm glad that we have RBN and appreciate you guys and the community itself. We have an awesome community. 
Well, Thanks you're free so to join the people party. I mean, there's a lot of aspects of the people party that I think you would probably sign on to. Um, and what I'm trying to do right now is reach out to all the people that lost the independent elections, all the independent candidates that maybe did pretty good, but, you know, just nearly lost and reach out to them, ask them if they'd be willing to run as a write-in candidate under just the people party or whatever party. You know? And, or at least just interview them and come up with a list of questions that we could ask potential presidential candidates um, and start vetting people to actually run for office. You know, um, it doesn't take a whole lot of money or anything to do that, to especially to get them on the ballot just as a write-in candidate. You know, all we have to do is get a large group of people to remember a name and write it down. I mean, it's, it's something we do often, but it's something I think we can accomplish. Does anybody think about, I mean, for people that think that, no, you got to take over the Democrats. There's people that still believe that we got to infiltrate the Democrats and take over that party. What do you think the effect would be if all of a sudden in 2024, there was 425 Democrats, Republicans and 10 independent party or just 10 independents who just thought for themselves. The idea that if you had those same 10 people working within the democratic party versus just being 10 people out of 435 that were of a separate party, do you realize how much attention and focus they'd be listening to every word just because they got there? I, I, I just, you know, so, I mean, I realize I'm pre preaching to the choir when it comes to, uh, the, 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 the duopoly, but these people that think that a third party isn't the way to go is if they want to just ignore American history, I did a list. There's been dozens and dozens. There's been at least 25 parties that have been around for 10 years or more. And we know some of them were the Socialist Communist parties in the early part of the century, 20th century. There's the, the, the people, you know, the populist parties that were like the rural populists and the regular. There's been all kinds of very, very influential third parties. So it's just historically inaccurate to say, oh, no, got to do it through two parties. By the way, as I've said before, both the Democratic and Republican Party we're third parties. So then why isn't it happening, Lance? That's what I'm saying. Because there's why, too why, many echo chambers on the – not here. Not 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 savvy, I, I don't believe, you know. Even Bree saying, well, maybe the two-party okay, – but, but why are there echo because chambers? There, because what, there's no the way – there is not any, like, real grounds on the left of even rhetorically saying we've got to do that. Yes, there is here and there. But, you know, I, because – I don't know. It's hard to say why. How the hell did – I don't think it's hard to say why. It's easy to say why, because we have tons and tons of, of money injected in the system, injected in the media. Big money yeah, runs wait a minute, everything. Wait a minute. What, the, the Republicans and so if you're not dealing with the big money, then, then what are you doing? What are we doing? Well, no, the, the communists and the socialists and the people in the, in the populist party, rural po folks that were the populists of the 19th century. You don't think the money's a problem? They fought, they fought the robber barons. They okay, so it's not a. It's not, yeah, I mean, I get what you're saying. There's always been money. I think that's not like the best. not like this. The, the rich, the rich are controlling. Me? I think the, the rich problem been controlling is politics since ancient <laughs> Egypt. The idea that all of a sudden you're going to get the money out. Yes, there's more than there used to be, but it's just you know. <laughs> Lance, I think the problem is we're in a different era now than we were in the early part of the latter centuries in that yes. when um, Eric T says the money is the money is the what he is speaking to is the way money has gained the entire system. We have no more um, independent media. We don't have the penny press. We don't have, you know, that piece of it. So it is, somebody's...
Mike is open. Can I can I just finish this comment? Um, you know, with the apparatus, the way we communicate with people, what people have come to believe and trust in as a reliable source of information is so distorted because of money. They have gained the system. And most of your everyday average Americans don't even dial in and understand the impact that money has had on the media, they still think it's a reliable source of information. And so when we talk about these initiatives and the way to change things, we have a real serious issue because Americans are deeply miseducated. I mean, profoundly miseducated, which is why if you say socialism, communism, anything, people have built in triggers about those things. And they couldn't tell you the difference between communism and socialism if their life depended on it. But they have been miseducated right. to distrust these things. That's why I'm so, but, but one thing, you know, so everything you're saying is true. So, but OK, so folks. Back in the day, I mean, way back in the day, you know, they didn't have any money either. You know, they maybe they got some people that had some money behind them. But like in 1954, a couple dozen people in a Wisconsin schoolhouse, you know, said, let's form a Republican Party. Six years later, Lincoln was president. Let me make one just just, just demonstrable point. Donald Trump, Donald Trump, (laughs) Donald Trump may not have the billions of dollars that we thought he had, but he had several billion. He didn't need a nickel of his money. He got the podium, empty podium would be on CNN when Sanders or whoever else would be making a a live speech. Okay. He got the free publicity, which again, okay, he's rich already. And that, that, you know, but here's the thing. Everybody realizes he did it with Twitter. He didn't do it by having his billions. He didn't do it by having fellow, by having fellow billionaires supporting him. Can I just say that? That's not true. Donald Donald Trump was a talk show first. No, I know he had the name recognition. I really, but suppose. But this is what I'm saying. It's beyond name recognition. He had a following. And when they discovered that the numbers would go up when he was on TV, the media property jumped behind him and they just gave him all the free airtime. He I understand, understand that, but that's not what got him elected was people watching the free podium. It was his stuff on Twitter. What I'm saying is that if you, in other words, Bloomberg was a big personality with a lot of followers. You know, there's a lot of people with a lot of billions that don't do it. You, you can hate the guy, right? But Donald Trump has that kind of weird kind of charisma. So there's a lot of other factors. And I know that what I'm saying has a lot of built in contradiction because he was already wealthy and all that. But I'm saying that it can be done. I don't think that with, with, with social media the way it is to be able to use it for flash mobs. See, but here's what people think. It's either going to be on. Oh, you got to do it on Twitter. You got to do it door to door with the, you know, wear out your shoes and all that. Like in a real way, AOC was a phony, but you know, you got to do that, but you could, it could be done. I do not believe, I know that the, the barriers might be different, but I don't think they're any harder because we do have. A way to communicate with each other on the millions. We didn't have that 20 years ago. So the very thing that makes it more difficult in some ways, we have media that, you know, we can communicate with each other on mass that we couldn't do 20, 30 years ago. I, I just, you know. Um, can I just, I'm sorry, one, one second, Lance. Um, one, one second. If you're not speaking, can you um, just mute yourself? Uh, Stan has been waiting for a while. Stan, uh, do you want to go ahead and unmute? 
so you can have a chance to speak as well. Oh, uh, hi. Uh, yeah, I've been listening to you for about uh, six months now, and this is the first time I've called in. Welcome. Uh, I love your show. I really do. And uh, I guess I just have more of a, uh, I guess, a comment. Um, you guys were talking about health care, and I have this conversation with my uh, my friends a lot, my American friends. Um, I'm from Kentucky, but uh, I live in South Korea, and I've been here for about uh, 26 years. And one one reason that I don't move back home is the the cost of health care. Um, I have great health care here, and uh, I pay very little for it. For example, uh, I have high blood pressure, and um, I went to the doctor just the other day to renew my uh, prescription, and just just to go to the to to see the doctor was like four thousand Korean won, which is about two dollars fifty cents, and I got my uh, uh, I think I got a month's worth. He put me on a new prescription, high blood pressure medicine, which I think is from America can't remember the name, but it, it, it was only like 20,000 won, which is about, um, I don't know, 15, 16 bucks maybe. Okay. And uh, I don't know how they do it, but when I go back home, I usually go back home in the summer to see my family in Kentucky, and I tell them about this, and sometimes I have to kind of argue with them and because they don't they don't seem to get it. They think that, Oh, somehow my health care is inferior to theirs uh, because I don't pay a lot. And I, you know, um, I try to tell him, I say, you know, my dentist, he's Korean, but he graduated from, from Stanford. And, you know, uh, my doctor is from University of Michigan. And I go to a very nice clinic and they have very nice uh, uh, hospitals here. And I'm saying, I try to tell them that uh, I think you guys really, you're just, you know, being ripped off, you know, and that when people say, oh, you can't, you can't have uh, Medicare for all or, or health care for everyone in the States uh, because of the cost, I try to tell them that, well, South, little South Korea does it. And, you know, my Korean friends and everybody, they just shake their heads about the Americans like, why do you pay so much? So, anyway, I just thought I'd contribute that. Thank you so much, Stan. Uh, Thanks so much for calling in. Guys, I'm going to be heading out in about five minutes because I did realize the time. I do have uh, fault lines at 9.15 this morning. So, um, any those words, go ahead, uh, uh, Case. I saw you unmuted for a second and Roger as well. Happy New Year, everybody. Yeah, uh, thank you. Thanks, Abby. <laughs> you know, I got a Cause so when you guys were talking about the Jordan Sheridan, so I I know I probably biased since Jordan's pretty much my neighbor. He's like 15 minutes from my house, and I met met up with him one time, and um he did. I thought he did a lot of work with uh, Flint. What I do understand all the other problematic things, I, and definitely I didn't like how um, 
a lot of the issues went down, um, the conflict on, on Twitter and stuff. And I hope that we have some kind of reconciliation system where people can actually talk to each other. I think when people talk to each other, uh, especially like in person, probably over the phone or whatever, I find people a lot nicer than um, through Twitter. So, um, you know, hopefully in, in, in the future we can uh, work, to, uh, learn to work together and, and hopefully come definitely coming up with the mutual aid political party. We're all going to need all hands on deck for that. Thank you so much, Sabi. I always enjoy these um, terms of uh, being able to strategize and I hope everyone benefited. Have a great one. Oh, uh, Case, you yeah. got the uh, you got the email for Arizona for Medicare for all. Yeah, 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 I got it. Good stuff. OK, also, um, one last thing. I think what happens is people turn on each other when you have no wins. I honestly believe that if we start getting wins, you're going to see a change. People may not reconcile the way things used to be or whatever the case is, but I see it all the time. When a, when a team loses, they either will turn on each other or they'll reconnoiter and assemble and try to figure out the best way to go forward. And like I said, I honestly believe the way to go forward is like you were saying before, like I was always saying, state by state by state by state through the initiative process. And that's all I have to say. Awesome. Thank you guys so much. One last thing I wanted to say very quickly is just this is probably our last call in with Sabby of the year. And I just wanted to call out Sabby and RBN and all the, the, the great independent media voices that are, that are doing crucial work. And, and I really think it, it, even though it doesn't feel like we're winning this thing, I really think we, we are growing. I think more and more people are getting clued in. And, and I think something real is really happening here. Thanks so much, Eric. Thank you guys so much. I second that emotion. Thanks so much, Savvy, for all that you do and creating a forum and context for us to share ideas, which is the best purpose for social media.